Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm A.T. Johnston. Hey! A.T. Johnston! Hey. Awesome! Book, Book Club, Club member. member! And I'm Brendan Carter. Hey! hey. Brendan's on the podcast! It's Book Club. Welcome to the show. And uh, it's your boy, Brian Levy. It's your yeah. boy, Brian. <laughs> Brian Levy. <laughs> yes. Book Club member! Awesome! It's your boy, Brian Levy, in the house. Thank you so much, Brian, for joining us. And I'm Chris Egan. Oh, Chris is here. Book club member. Yeah. Book club member. I'm Craig McKnight. It's Craig McKnight. Craig McKnight's back. Welcome back. And I'm Clayton Schofield. Clayton Schofield's on. Book club member. That's right. Welcome to the show. And I'm Drew Campbell. Hey, it's Drew. Hey, it's Drew Campbell. (laughs) Book club member. And I'm Hayden Orr. That's Hayden. Hayden's Book here. Club member. Awesome. And I'm Matt Trackbine. Matt's on the show. And I'm Mark. Hey, Mark's back on the show. Oh, man, Mark, thank hey. you for being back on the yeah, show. Yeah, this is great. Book club member. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> we missed you. I miss talking to you. It's great to hear your voice, man. And I'm Niklas. Yeah, Niklas is joining us. It's Niklas. Welcome to the show. And I'm Nathaniel Green. Whoa. Hey, it's oh, Nathaniel. Nathaniel Green. And I'm Paul from Gossahan. Hey! Hey! Paul, Paul, you're here. You're joining (laughs) us. Awesome. Awesome. I'm Ross Radke. Ross Radke's on the show. Welcome back, Ross. Book club member. And I'm Ryan Ewell. Ryan Ewell! Book club member. (laughs) It's Ryan Ewell. Welcome to the show. Book club member. And I'm Tom Barnett. Hey, it's Tom Barnett. (laughs) Book club member. How you guys doing? Yeah. Awesome. And I'm TechPot. Yeah! TechPot's Tech here. And I'm Wes Matthijs. Hey! It's Wes! Hey, yeah! Book Club members on the show. Yeah! And I am the Liam Tunnel. Hey! That's so great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Whoa, we have Whoa, everybody on the show. everybody. They're all on the show. It's everybody. <laughs> all the Book Club members. Friendship. Book, Book Club, Club members! members. Hey everybody, this is our debriefing episode. This was an episode that I've had in mind for a long time, and so we've been off for a couple weeks. I want to thank everyone for being patient, but we're not just sitting around. We've actually been recording more than we ever have the last couple weeks, and we've been talking to a lot of our listeners, and I just thought that this was a really cool experiment that I wanted to do, so this is going to be an extra long episode for you, and I hope you really enjoy it. I want to thank all of the listeners who participated. It's been really fun. Yeah, I want to thank you so much for participating on the show. You know, listener feedback has come to be such an important part of the weekly routine, and you're definitely a big part you're of that. Regular, so, yeah. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for all the friendship. Nathaniel Green. I honestly, I do try to hold back because I could just light you guys up every day. And no, it's I great. don't want to be a, a, no, it's a great. Things, you know? it's great. <laughs> that's what that's all about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A.T. Johnston. Oh, it's it's a good time, man. Thank you guys. Thank you for providing, you know, the the platform for it to happen and for being so interactive because, you know, some podcasts, you can reach out to them, but they don't make it so interactive as having that section. And I just I love it, man. Yeah, well, that was and the whole idea behind it is it's a book club yeah. and that's how we're yeah. trying to do it. So, yeah, that's the whole that's the whole idea. So I'm glad that yeah, that no, is succeeding. I- that's good to know. <laughs> 
when I'm waiting, you know, when it's like Tuesday, Tuesday has come and gone. And then especially over the holidays when there was like extra, extra gap, I was just like, man, it's Tuesday. My shit's not here. <laughs> well, we are hard work. Break and all. Yeah, yeah. We're also doing some hard work behind the scenes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I'm just saying, you know, it's a good product one, right? Aw. Thank you. Thank you. The listener feedback portion of the show has become one of my favorite parts of the show. It's just great to hear about hear from all you guys. And it's also nice to have uh, have you on and, you know, give us a uh, live listener feedback. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Clayton Schofield. It's part of my routine. You know, I get Aww. I get my comics on Wednesday. I pretty much read everything on Wednesday. And then when Tuesday morning rolls around, it's, it's great to hear you guys' voice and all that discussion. I don't have anyone um, in my city that's as dedicated like in in the manola verse material as i am so it's just great to have a have a routine that involves you guys it's 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 really weird in in that um i feel like i know you guys like really well i know that you don't hear me but when i listen to you it's like it's like you're there so that's why it's a book club that's why it's a book club yeah drew campbell yeah, Drew, um, I really want to thank you for participating in the show every week. You know, you've become like my right-hand research guy. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, you will drop these huge nuggets of research that are just amazing. I, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because, um, you know, like, are you listening and then you're like, oh, I'm going to think of that. I'm going to look at that later. Or do you, in the moment, immediately start looking? Or do you just know these things already off the top of your head? No, almost nothing that I comment is something that i already knew you know specifically uh usually i'm listening while i'm driving so no i'm not really going and doing the research right at the moment but uh i usually kind of keep a catalog of things that i want to look up sometimes i can listen while i'm at work at the at the computer and i'll i'll just kind of do a quick wikipedia search or something but I, I look up stuff on Wikipedia all the time on my own anyway, so it's, it's just something that I, I enjoyed looking up facts. We'll be, I'll be having conversations with the family, and I'll say, oh, I wonder, what, I wonder about this, and I'll pull out my phone and start searching it up on Wikipedia. Nice. Yeah, it's been awesome. really helpful. It's been so cool. <laughs> Hayden Orr. It's just nice having, uh, you know, that outlet. Uh, I think I've said before in some uh, listener feedback that I've tried to get my some of my friends to read the Hellboy comics and it's one of those series where there's so much because it's been going for, you know, yeah. over 25 years that they're like, Oh, you know, I don't know. Uh, and it, it's kind of hard to, to get a lot of people to kind of invest that. Amount oh, it's the same of, uh, way. It's hard to jump in. Right. Unless yeah. you have someone yeah. there to be like, to talk to you about yeah. it and be like, where should I look to first? What should I read? Exactly. Yeah. But you know, when you, when you can't get somebody into it, uh, that you're friends with that you could talk to about it it, it kind of leaves you going a little fucking crazy like talking <laughs> fuck who am I going to talk to about this destroyer world stuff I think that's literally why John started this book yes, club yes definitely yep. oh yeah yeah I, uh, I don't I don't blame I'm, I'm glad somebody else did it though instead of me <laughs> <laughs> Mark Tweedell yeah I, it, I feel out of the loop like you've been having all these very epic discussions uh, it was uh, Hayden Orr with his intro saying that, like, um, you know, people are going to have, like, these novel-length replies, and I felt so seen. <laughs> yeah, Mark, so first of all, I just want to thank you so much. You know, you've been such an integral part of the show 
not only with your epic feedback, but also the awesome reading order that you put together for the show. So, you know, we were already following your reading order, but then you like stepped in and made it even more specific and awesome. So yeah, thank you so much yeah. for all you've contributed to make the show what it is. It's been so awesome. Well, thanks. Nicholas. Ah, not the dad. Uh, thank you for bringing back my love for Hellboy again. So Aww, that was yeah. a nice That's why it's a book club. Yeah. yeah. All from Gotterhorn. In reality, you join us on almost every episode yes. because we have your awesome music, Amazing, that, beautiful uh, music that we've been using. So thank you so much for your participation in the show every week. That was sat down and written in about 10 minutes. And, wow. Uh, and I wish you hadn't uh, used it every episode sometimes because some, some of the books that you use, I can hear it's really off-key and pitchy. <laughs> uh, see, that's the thing. I, we love it. I always oh, think that about it. my own whatever singing, but I, I, you know, nobody else hears it. So... That's the thing is you're so you're always so much more critical of your own stuff because you can see it and hear it and whatever. But I, nobody else can. <laughs> Everybody else thinks it's beautiful Thanks, and wonderful. Thanks. So there's no yeah. Russ Radke. Thank you guys for having such an awesome podcast and Aww. for you know beyond just talking about the comics, creating a real sense of community and the fanship, which you know you talked about before. But not all fanships are all positive. Yeah. But you yeah. guys have created a pretty pretty positive community around these books. So, Aw, thanks, man. Fun, fun to be a part of. Aw. Ryan Yule. But I do want to talk about your art collection. Um, any sure. new pieces oh. that have come in the come down the pipe lately? Um, so, actually, I have a piece that's arriving tomorrow from Matt Strackbine. Hey. Oh, let's All talk right. about that. Nice. <laughs> Book club so, member. I don't know if you saw. Yeah, he, um, so he did a piece for the Buff Raffle, with, which just ended a couple days ago. It was an inked piece. It um, it was like a, it was like um, an, an homage to the Hellboy in, in Hell number ten cover. Oh, yes, awesome. yes. And so, as you guys probably know, he does pencils and ink separate for every piece that he does. Yeah. So I bought the the pencils from him. That's so awesome. Very oh, cool. Nice. nice. And you also nice. commissioned like that Mignolaverse piece from Matt too, right? So you've got a couple of really cool pieces from him. Yeah. Yep, I have that one, which is hanging on my wall right here to my right. I can see it right now. Nice. Nice. Awesome. But I also own his pencils and inks from his two-page uh, story about Vivara. Nice, yes. Nice. That evil Barbara. little Russian girl. That's a good one. Or, or, or Barbara. Is it Barbara? <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, it's Barbara. It's question. Pronunciation <laughs> Corner with Ryan Yule. <laughs> <laughs> so you have so many amazing pieces of art. What what's up on your wall right now? Just give me a a, a taste. Like what's what what's a Mignola oh. page that you might have on your wall right now that you might yeah. be looking at so, as you're talking to us? Yeah. So other than the the Matt Strackline piece, I have right up to the right and and above that is a commission from Sebastian Fiumaro. It's a Hellboy um like a it's like a bust. Nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> And then right behind me, I have the cover by Mike for Hellboy in Hell number three, the issue number three. God. Oh, man. (laughs) And then another by Mike, I have one of his, um, I actually have a painting by Mike. It's a skeleton, like a dapperly dressed skeleton guy with some tentacles coming down out of the sky. Yeah, I've seen that one. I know exactly what the one you're talking about. Can I ask you, who does your framing? Well, I wish you could do it, Daniel. I know. I also (laughs) wish that. I mean, if you weren't so far away. I know. Um, no, actually, I actually have a local, like, uh, a small mom-and-pop place that does it for me. That's awesome, because I work for a mom-and-pop uh, nice. place. So that's, yeah, that's nice. the best. I was going to say, that's the best way to do it. That's awesome. Yeah. I also have 
so he released a sketchbook in 2019. It was called 25 Years, and I have the original art for the cover to that sketchbook. Oh, nice. Oh, oh I know which nice. one. Yeah, that's really cool, yeah, we're, man. Where he's dressed, yeah, where Hellboy's dressed in like a tuxedo, and yeah, so he looks all dapper too. Very cool. Nice. Yeah, man. So the you're in the collection. You're in the perfect environment to be talking to us right now. You're surrounded by all the cool <laughs> art, art, you yeah. know, all yes. the friendship stuff. We got Matt in there. That's really great. Yeah, absolutely. And now that I work from home every day, I get to sit there and look at this stuff every single day. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Wow. Oh, that sounds so ideal. Tech Pat. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's it's really weird to hear all you guys' voices and actually have you guys speak back when I'm talking to you. <laughs> Are you one of those people like you're talking to the podcast as you're listening to it? Oh, yeah, definitely, especially when it's stuff that, like, you guys are like, what issue was this? I'm like, oh, how was that no. issue? It was just <laughs> yelling at you. I love it. It's great oh, to actually, man. yeah, be able to, to talk with you. This is fantastic. Yeah, this is great. William, nice. some hope. I mean, I like nerding about uh, Hellboy stuff, but this is this was like the one thing that, I mean, I can help other people nerd even more. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we love knowing how to pronounce things correctly, yes. and the fact that you took the time to do that, uh, it was it was it was really good. It was good quality little video yeah. that I we really appreciated it yeah. a lot, and that was really it was helpful, and it was also very fun to have that you know book club member participation oh, yeah. that was really nice of you to take the time to do that so i enjoyed that very much uh, i liked how you got excited about a hellboy story being based in where yes. you're from you're yeah. like hey i'm from yeah, there that's, cool. <laughs> that's really great i mean it was just lovely to read and to like i know exactly what this looks like and <laughs> he's walking there and totally awesome. yes. yeah absolutely that's awesome I wanted to talk to everybody. I wanted to get some of our listeners to talk about the final issue of BPRD. You know, we've been you've been following the podcast. We've been on this monumental journey to read all these comics. When you read issue 15, did you read it as a single issue or did you read it as a trade? AT Johnston? Oh, yeah, there was no way in for the trade. I have it sitting right in front of me here and I was um I don't remember if I if I stacked them up to like to um to be able to read the whole arc at once. I feel like I may have done that. I'm honestly not sure right now, but um, but definitely single issues. Yeah, you know, it's got the the magician and the snake and the shapes on the back cover of the single issue, which is really classy. I'm guessing they wouldn't have done that for the trade because they probably got to have a blurb. But yeah, it's a lovely artifact. Oh, it's uh, it's on the digital trade. Okay, good, good, cool. I made some notes here. So I mean, in general, well, I love the cover. Um, I I definitely realized. You know, you get to those, like, uh, sort of ash bits on that, that one panel at the end of... Um, and you just know, oh, this is a panel that's transitioning to Mignola art when I turn the page, right? And that, yeah. was, that was pretty pretty tingly special. I totally knew that was about to happen, and I was like, oh, shit, here we go. On, on page 16, panel 2, um, you know, when Hellboy says, uh, goodbye, kid, That's I think that was a tearjerker moment for sure. Oh, yeah, like, early on... The very first few pages I have for Ed, Ed Gray, Ghost of Ragnarok present, because it's such a, like, Christmas carol <laughs> moment, you know? Wow, um, yeah. So many other yeah, listeners have I mentioned think, that as well. Yeah, well, it just it has that vibe. I knew those Osiris Dilwads weren't getting far, but uh, this, <laughs> with, with, with HB drawing the, the RHOD back was really dope. You know, at the end where he's finally talking to Hecate, and it's just like, uh, anything you, anything else you want? No, I guess not. And then good. Now you're ready and okay then. And I just said uh, a lot here, uh, in what is 
like haiku-esque in its simplicity. And I feel like that's that's the theme of a lot of things. That that's like a really overarching theme other than the whole, you know, you you are what you choose to be and you control your nature even if the big strokes of, of destiny are, are, you know, defined already or whatever. Just that whole acceptance trip, you know, I was encountering some other things talking about acceptance as a theme and the importance of that. And uh, that's just it, right? It's like, he's like, he's like, yep. He's like, nothing else I want. Okay, then. And I, don't know, I just feel like that's, that's profound and important because often there's not enough um, not enough recognition of what's, of what's good and just being thankful and grateful for that and, uh, you know, just sort of accepting. There's it, a fine line, right? Obviously, you got to push back against some things, but acceptance has a place, and I think some people uh, could use thinking a little more about where and when that, that is appropriate. Um, oh, also, thinking about Abe and Liz, I looked up, uh, you know, Abraham means father of nations, and of course, sapiens means one who knows. So how how informed those names were about yeah. what he was going to be is interesting. And Elizabeth or uh, Elisheva, which is what Elizabeth is a, a version of the old Hebrew, is either uh, my God is an oath or my God is abundance. And uh, Sherman means shearer of garments. So think what you will about that. But I thought those are interesting ideas to consider. And then when those guys walk out of, uh, onto the land and see the luminous crystal in, in whatever way holding or entailing Liz's spirit or essence or, or whatever. Um, and I'm pretty sure I, I cried at, at that. I just thought that last, I mean the whole, I think the whole last five pages was amazing, but um, so fucking well done. Beautifully satisfying yet wondrously mysterious, not an easy combo to hit an end note on. Having followed these characters all the way from the beginning, back when Mike didn't know if Hellboy would as a book survive beyond seed destruction, very gratifying to see this epic narrative reach its fruition, especially since I've been following Mike's work since way back when he did that Rocket Raccoon miniseries. And uh, I woke my eight-year-old brain to the fact that, you know, some comic artists are, are cooler than others, or at least more to my taste. I felt very happy for him. And this is about specifically reading this issue. You know, I felt very happy for him. It's a big thing, right? It's, it's not easy to encapsulate how you felt. And I mean, I can just kind of sit there looking at Mike, uh, Mike's pencils, especially that, you know, there's that page where Hellboy goes from, from standing and like realizing it's going to be Liz. And then he's sitting it's sort of like you see him sitting under trees in, in Hellboy and Hell, but he's kind of sitting under the uh, Iron Maiden. who just has that dejected. There's just something about Hellboy. Yeah. Scene, the know? body language. Oh, right? Yeah. So that's amazing. And then the whole, of course, you know, the, where he says goodbye kid, like I said, that, that really hit me. And then that whole page, the black panel. And then, yeah, then the in the earth stuff and him going in the in the thing and and wow, that just so good, man. And that last page, with I feel like the way it depicts, you know, like I don't think necessarily those guys would look up and see that image, like as if you know Liz is like seeing like the body of a woman and, and the crucifix. I think that that's more for us to be like, this is what this is. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I love, I love how open to interpretation it is, and I think that there's something there about the whole thing that she was Catholic and like that cross is there. I, I don't know what it is to be said or taken, but I feel like there's something about an analogy to like some of the ideas of a Christ entity, which is like not to keep it in, in one faith system, you know, like the, the Buddha entity is very much a similar idea to the Christ entity, just this kind of awakened, you know, messenger, transcender, transceiver. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to try to interpret it too much. But anyway, I thought it was incredibly well done, and uh, Mike's thing at the end was was really cool too. And just 
the fact that, you know, there'll still be more and hinting at that there'll be things in the future and all down for Frog Howards. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Brendan Carter. I read it as a, as a single. And I actually, I think, so I got to Hellboy later in life. And I think it was about the time that I found out that they were going to end it that I was like, oh, shit, I got to oh, wow. read this whole thing. Yeah, geez. So wow. I think I spent like a good six months just plowing through everything. And I, I feel like it was around when issue 11 came out that I finally caught up. Oh, so, yeah, wow. I was, wow. I was uh, reading a single issue for the last four. <laughs> you were seriously speed reading that. Like, that's it's taken us two years. Yeah, you guys are taking that's time. incredible. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, and the the bad thing about that though, I mean, it's it's a great read and it's really exciting, but I feel like you don't take it all in as well as you would. You have time to marinate. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's why it's it's really cool to be able to listen to you guys in the podcast because Aww. I'm kind of reliving it all and remembering some things that maybe I haven't revisited since I did that whole read through. Nice. Okay. Oh, wow. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah. So you, you got the issue on the day that it came out, you it took did. it home, you read it. What was your initial reaction? Well, how did you feel after getting through that? I think I felt really good. I really enjoyed it. Nice. Um, nice. I, I can't remember exactly how I felt, but it was definitely one of those things where you kind of put it down and you sit back and, and you just let it kind of roll over you and, 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 and see what you feel. I remember it. I remember being moved by it especially the end. Right. And and just it it wasn't how I thought it would end, but I also couldn't think of how better to end it, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um it, it's this really cool little epilogue cuz kind of all the action ended the the issue before. So you're just getting this little thing that ties up some loose ends and and gives you this this beautiful little story at the end. I really dug it. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Nice. I feel like, and I might be reading way too much into it, but I feel like Mignola revisits a theme that we've seen before, especially in Hellboy and Hell, with the story of Charles Dickens's Christmas Carol. Yeah, for sure. Yes. So, has it, has yes. anybody said that? Yet? Yes. Yes, actually. And so you're not you're they? not alone. You're not crazy. Like that's. Well, we'll keep yeah. going. Yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear what else you have to say. Well, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm just going to say what somebody else had said, but yeah, it's, uh, the way I see it, you have Ed Gray as the ghost of things past. Yeah. Because I, I kind of feel like what he's showing them with the Ogjuham having their time on Earth and then the dragon destroying them, it's kind of in the recent past. But also, I feel like they're also kind of in that hell time that doesn't really make sense and doesn't matter. So yeah. everything's kind of already happened and happening at once. Nice. Um, and then I feel like you get to, you know, the Osiris Club, and they specifically uh, refer to Hellboy as ghost. So I feel like Hellboy is the ghost of the, the things present as he starts interacting with stuff and destroys the Osiris Club. Oh. Which then leads us to Hecate as the ghost of things yet to come. Nice. Especially since... She's been telling him what's to come since they first met. Yeah. Wake the devil. And then she and he together bring about the future. And, wow. uh, 
Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I thought it just hit me and it, it seemed really cool. It seems like yes. maybe that's what they were going for. You know, uh, you, you know, other listeners have brought that up, but yeah, you just, you stepped it up a, a notch. You took it to the yeah, next level yeah. there. By, by tying it into the, the past, present and future goes. I love that. That's and I think great. it totally makes sense and it tracks with all the stuff that Mignola loves about Dickens, you know, the puppet shows and the, the, you know, verses from um, A Christmas Carol being mixed into some of the comics and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I love awesome. that. That's why it's a book club. I, I just got, as a late Christmas present, I got the first uh, library edition, which is so cool. Um, but I was, I was reading through it. And do you guys remember at the end of the first issue of Seed of Destruction, the, uh, the American myth about a frog? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was, you know, going through this and, and it hit me that the, the basic gist of the story being that, you know, man realizes that he will die one day and sends dog to talk to God, to, to talk God into giving him reincarnation and dog gets distracted by soup on the way. So, <laughs> so frog, frog's like, I'm going to take this moment to, to help myself out and goes to God and says, Hey, uh, don't give man reincarnation because he's just going to mess up frog's home so just let him die and so dog finally gets to god he crooned man's need for rebirth in the song of his howl and god was touched by the devotion of dog for man but god granted the frog's wish because he got there first yes (laughs) I, i love that story but something about that it just ties into the end I never it, it, thought it, it, of that. It's all the it really frog does. stuff throughout, but then it's the fact that frog takes over man's place in the world. Oh my god, that's in the first issue too. And the fact that that's in the that's first in issue the first is so issue. cool. Nice. Oh my god, that's amazing, Hon- Brendan. I can't believe that. <laughs> Honestly, that's- going through the first library edition, especially getting into Wake the Devil, there's so much stuff that directly ties into the end. It, yes. it's definitely one to revisit and it, yeah it's it's just cool that either he knew where he was going from the beginning or he just you know went back and capitalized on these really cool ideas that he had already put in 25 years ago that's good storytelling right there wow yeah. brian levy yeah i read it uh you know at the day it came out i was waiting with bated breath oh, uh, okay. and i could uh uh get to the comic shop and uh and read it I actually, I remember I read it on the subway. I, because uh, I was coming off of work, I was working at like some, you know, public, uh, like a theater sort of thing at, at this awful place called Hudson Yard in New, in New York that you shouldn't uh, go to. It's really bad. <laughs> um, okay. And uh, I stopped at a uh, an unfamiliar comic shop that I hadn't been to just because, like, I needed to. I had to get the book after right. my shift. And uh, yeah, so I went into the subway and I was like, oh, am I gonna? Am I going to read this uh, at home? Am I going to, you know, wait and like be like with my little lamp and stuff and my little rituals? Like, no, 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 no. Let's let's just let's just knock this one out on the subway ride. I got to know what happens. I did, and I I remember it very well. Like, you know, we get to the last, you know, when it gets to the Mignola art, and uh, you know, like everything has happened, and there's all the crazy shit. Like, I just I remember like, closing it. It like I timed it perfectly because it's like right when I got to my stop in Queens oh, wow. uh, that I got to like the very end of the book, and I remember closing it, just kind of looking up and being just like, "Damn!" <laughs> and then 
and I remember I, I turned on a very specific song. I don't I don't know why, but you know the Tom York song. Uh, what is it? Black Swan. Are you familiar with it? Yes, from uh, yeah. all radio yeah. hit. Yeah, it's the one that plays. I think at the end of the Prestige. I, I don't like. I'm not usually someone that like just like picks a song. Like I don't like do the soundtrack to my life thing that much. I just listen to whatever. I just like that type of song. Like that sort of like Tom Yorky like kind of melancholy a little uncomfortable but like pretty and like good it just like made sense to listen to like that kind of music and i just you know i walked home and i was like okay there we go you know yeah i love it It kind of reminds me of uh, the end of which one is it? A chain coffin, or is it a chain coffin where he's talking to the pastor and then he goes outside at the end and he goes, "What a life!" and he like looks up or yep. whatever. Yeah, it kind of reminds yeah, me of that. That's a you, Brian. After reading the issue, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's one very specific moment that I just love, and it like it shocked me when I saw it, which is when you reveal like where the Osiris Club is. And like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's on a page turn. I can't, I don't have it in front of me. Um, but I believe it's on a page turn where it's like, you know, like Ed Gray is talking to Hellboy. It's like, they just saw the Audrey Jihad or something. I, I forget exactly the sequence right. of events, but it is a reveal that it's just this floating house yes. with like these <laughs> wires and it's lit so weird and it's just like so good. it's just disturbing. It it's is, like it's yeah. it's such a unique, weird image, and it's so like I know that the Osiris Club has been teased since like what, like the Wild Hunt or something. Nature like, of the like Beast. Like weird, like it's weirdly well, iconic, like weird, even though like, it's like like such a end weird... game plan. Oh right, right, right. Yes, right. yes. None of us had any idea how it would actually go down, and then it's just like, what the fuck? A like house? Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and then he like gets his hand back, and it's that weird like kind of like seance thing where he's a ghost or like how abe was it's just this very like eerie beautifully told totally unexpected it's like my favorite kind of like when fiction comes together like that and you're just like you're reading a story that you've never read before and like and you're seeing a situation that like you've just never seen play out before that is just Ooh, it's the creme de la creme. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to, to add one thing where, because I actually wrote this down. I, I mean, I know I've been like somewhat critical of like these last issues and stuff uh, in my in my letters, but it, it's, it comes from a place of love. But I, it, it also comes from a place of like, I wrote this down where I feel like the team sort of had their cake and ate it too a little bit mm-hmm. with this story and Hellboy in Hell. And I just wanted to lay this out where, like, I think Hellboy in Hell was, like, that beautiful, natural, like, ending to the story that presented itself that was not necessarily planned to end the way it did. And it just, the story gave Mike that ending, like, Mm, that with the shapes and stuff. And it's just, like, and the reason why it works so well is because it just happened, like, it just it's what evolved out of the story right but then devil you know is sort of like the contractually obligated thing that it's just like well you can't abandon the rest of that stuff just because you got like like the story 
gave itself a perfect ending, mm-hmm. but there was still stuff that had to happen. Right. That, like, yeah. You just, you can't oh, wow. leave it dangling, you know? Even though I think none of us would actually have been all that upset if it had been, I don't think that anyone on that creative team would have been okay with that. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So it's like, and but that's also, and that's another thing where I, it's a reflection of real life where it's like life itself does not necessarily have an arc. And, you know, there's like perfect moments that, you know, I mean, I'm not saying like we should all be like looking for the perfect moment where we want to die or whatever, but like, you know, I'm sure there are many moments in people's lives where it's just like, oh, that's the cap. That's as good as it's going to get. Right. And then you live for another, like, 30 years. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but you know what I mean? Where it's just like, it, I don't know. It's it's That's just sort of my, my big thing. Where it's like we sort of got the two, the two endings. The natural, perfect one, and then just, like, what there had to be also. Right. But it, they... which, it was also great, though. Like, I love that ending. It's just, I don't think it's like what, I think that one was more put there as opposed to naturally formed. Right. That's such an important aspect. I really like that because, yeah, I mean, if they could have ended at Hellboy in Hell and that would have been probably like a perfect ending, but then people would have been like, well, what about Hecate and what about this and what about all these other things? Yeah. 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 Christopher Egan. So I I read it as the trade. Um, I had actually planned out to do like a full reread of the entire Hellboy universe. So I, I have, um, I have like all the library editions. I have all the hardcover omnis, all that stuff. So I was, uh, sitting down and I, I started everything from the beginning and I was wrapping up with that. It took me almost a year to get through everything. Um, wow. I was wrapping up. Yeah. I was, cause I, you know, I fit it in kind of in between everything else I read. So by the time I was finishing that up, um, the the devil you know trades were coming out, and I think I had finished like it was like right around the time that like the new movie had come out, and okay. so when that final when the final trade for Ragnarok came out, I, I read it all in one clip. I think because I was so kind of in the weeds, um, I kind of I I kind of had a sense of where it was going. I, I kind of knew how it was all going to come to an end, and I had really stayed away from all spoilers. I wasn't looking at posts. I wasn't looking at. I wasn't even really looking at the uh, the single issue cover. So, I, but I still had a sense of where it was going. I kind of had a jumbled mess of emotions <laughs> uh, reading that reading that final arc. So, I, I I completely understand where some people were coming from with disappointment. Um, I completely understand people that loved it. I was, I think I was somewhere in the middle and it wasn't so much of it let, let me down or it didn't meet my expectations or any, or my standards or anything like that. It was just, I think I was just so emotionally overcome by the whole thing. Wow. And and it was a mix of, it's a sort of a downer ending in its own way, even though there is some hope left at the end. Uh, but it was also, it was this, you know, the series that I've reread multiple times over the years that I was coming to an end to. And, and even though I knew there was still going to be new Hellboy stories coming out, you know, I've, I've loved these characters for my entire adult life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to be 35 this year and I've been a Hellboy fan since I was 17. So wow. to wow. see like these characters come to an end, some of them survive, some of them don't. 
I just remember I, I plopped down on the couch the day the trade came out. I read the whole thing. I think I maybe I blew through it too fast, so I wasn't absorbing everything. So I was right. I was kidding like the major emotional parts, but it wasn't I wasn't when I listened to your guys' episode on it, you guys you know, you guys always do such a great deep dive that I was seeing it from a whole new angle and it, you know, I haven't read it since. I actually reread that trade this morning at like 5 a.m. because I'm a lunatic and I was awake. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I loved reading it again, even though I kind of came at it without having. I haven't reread everything again. I kind of, you know, I just listened to the show. So sitting down and and, and reading that again this morning, I really loved it. I, it was. I think it's the ending that the series deserves, uh, earned. I was actually. I was really emotional again for a different reason um some of the same reasons but but at the same time it was it hit me just differently and i and i was very happy to have have read it again when i was reading it this morning i was going i was kind of like kicking around how i was feeling today and how i was feeling when i first read it the first time i read it i felt like the final battle kind of felt very rushed and i don't know if it's if it was how it's told or if it was because I was just flying through it because I had to get to the end, I had to know. Um, but today I kind of, while it still was a fairly quick read, I just, I felt more immersed in it all. Mm-hmm. And for, I guess it's issue 14 where we really were with the battle between Hellboy and Rasputin. The first time I had a real emotional disconnect from it, it was kind of like this character that I've loved doing this final battle and I didn't feel like I was part of it. Mm. I felt like, right. you know, especially when Hellboy, I guess Hellboy and Rasputin grow to an enormous size. It was like, it was like watching a Godzilla movie. So <laughs> oh, those yeah. are fun. You know, those are fun, but I'm never, you're never really emotionally invested in those movies. They're just fun, like kick-ass buildings toppled over right. movies. This time I felt it more. Uh, I don't know if it was maybe the dialogue was just hitting me mm. in the right way or, or what. But then moving into issue 15 with Hellboy and Ed Gray and Hecate really closing everything out and putting not just like not just like a nail in the coffin, but right. se- setting everything that's past past and allowing for this new world to bloom. I just fell in love with it. That's and good to hear. I, yeah, I, I, I really connected with it a whole new way. And, and part of it is because of your episode. Part of it oh. is finally like taking a breath and like it's now been over a year since i read this arc right and, uh, Letting breathe and, and, a little. and right right exactly and it's like okay now all expectations are washed away this is let me let me come at this from a whole new angle sure from the first time i read it what really stood out with me was kind of <laughs> kind of the sadness just bummed that it was over mm-hmm. and and having some of my expectations I don't know, not, not met in a certain way. That's, that's really what stuck out with me for a long time. Right. Is that melancholy so that's, though? That's kind of a meta me- melancholy though. Yes, like that's kind yeah. of a, like you just said, like that's out of your own fourth wall expectations. So there's still that melancholy, but it's a, it's a better melancholy. It's more of a, mm. a bittersweet. Um, ah, interesting. I'm glad there's an ending. I'm glad it's not just another comic that got like canceled or something. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. or is just going on forever. He got to do no it on his own sight. terms. Like, you know, Mike Mignola and the whole team, they got to actually finish it out instead of having it, instead of everyone watching it be like, 
is this still fucking going on? Because this is just awful. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. I will say that the the final moment where Hellboy steps into the Iron Maiden, we see the new race of men and this possible resurrection for Liz. All of these things hit me. I was really moved by it today. Because um, again, I, like I said, I've, I've loved these characters for so long. And then in the previous issues, like seeing Abe just get taken out immediately and Liz taken out and like all these horrible things. I'm like, this, it can't end like this, but to have this like glimmer of hope in one way or another yeah, or one, sh- or one shape or another, I was really moved by it. And when I put the book down this morning, I was almost crying <laughs> and it doesn't take, it doesn't take a lot for me to cry. Yeah. Or something. Like I'll, you know, you'll find me sobbing on my couch watching a movie. The, you know, there's no question about it, but I really do love this ending now. And I never, like I said, I never hated it, but I felt like something was missing now that whatever that is, is not missing. It's, I feel like it's a complete story. It's exactly what it needs to be. And I'm, I'm here for it. I felt like there was a few people that had referenced like a deus ex machina effect on this final arc and don't really agree with that mainly because if you if you come at that term from a like a more negative pop culture stance it it gets thrown around as kind of like this is it and this is why and and there's no real reason this is how it's happening right and, yeah. or, or or it's a magical happenstance but when you're dealing with a series like this for me that term goes out the window yeah because this is what's been told from the beginning Yes, so, exactly. You, you, I think we talked about this before, but that would mean like Deus Ex Machina is like it's just out of nowhere. But here, yes. there was plenty of setup. Right. Yeah. Go back and read Conqueror Worm. You know what I mean? It's all there. The puzzle pieces that were forming so early on in that series, and that, seeing that come together, like even like you know the the aliens. Uh, what are they called? Um, the visitors or whatever. The vis- Yeah, the visitors. Seeing them so early on, I was like, holy shit. How did I miss this the first time? You know, so so there's so many little things like that over the years um, that when I was doing that reread, I just was absolutely blown away by like little details I either missed or I just you know you don't comprehend them the yeah. first time because yeah, it's it's almost three years worth of comic books, so I'll continue being blown away by this whole universe. <laughs> Craig McKnight, uh, that was day of for me. Nice. Nice. Physical or digital? Uh, digital. Oh, okay. So as soon as it dropped, right, you were there to ready to read it. Correct. For me, the, this this issue was very very fast. Like I had to go back. I remember going back to read it a, a few times over just because it is everything just seemed like a blur, especially on that first read through. So. So I mean, what did you think? Were there any big standout moments? What was your initial reaction to going through all that? It, I mean, that's 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 kind of tough. It's a tough question, really, because I mean, it's yeah, you know, as being as invested as I have in this in, entire universe as you know many of us have, you feel this this culminating point, and um, it was you know kind of hard to believe that after all these years and all these stories and how everything just kind of all the dots connected, and you're just sitting there with this holy shit moment, you know. And a, num- a number of times throughout this issue, there's those, you know, holy shit moments as you see that everything start to connect. Just, you know, seeing the Osiris Club all, all together, you know, and with, with, you know, with the right hand of doom, and yeah, um, that, was that, that, was, that was a huge moment. And of course, when it reattaches to Hellboy, and 
obviously when you get to the Mignola portion of the pages uh, that he did, um, that's obviously a standout yeah. across all those pages. And obviously in, in, in the ending and seeing, seeing the rebirth and, you know, there's also that, that that bit of wonderment of wondering, you know, what what happens after this. So to me, there's just a uh, it makes you wonder, you know, how much further is this going to go? Is this, I mean, yeah. is, this, is it over? Do we are we going to see more? Because now, now it's just a matter of my my brain just wants to what what happened next. What's, yeah, what's going on now. So. Would you would you be interested in that as a reader? Like, do you feel like there is room to still show like what becomes of this new world and stuff like that? Oh, I, I think it'd be. It, at least visited on some some level i mean it doesn't have to be like this massive new universe but at least something to give us a little bit of a feeling of what of what's taking place yeah but i mean it, it also can be looked on, on on the flip side just like much like many tv series they they just wrap up the story and and end it even though some things are left open to the the viewer's interpretation um i, I guess in some, in some elements it, it's better to just leave it that way yes, so that you know yeah. you're not because you never know moving forward if the story becomes something that's disappointing and then and then then it starts leaving that sour taste in your mouth right like this, i mean you're, you're you're you've been brought to this point you've been brought to the peak and and, yeah. and you've seen everything so it's it's I, I guess it's kind of a slippery slope from a from a creative standpoint well, that's oh the yeah whole, that's definitely the whole thing too. i mean that's why we're yeah. doing the book club is to be like hey our interaction with this makes it a whole other thing like our you know interaction with the art is what makes it the art i think one of the things that i wanted to see a little bit more with with with, with this issue was is is that first the first panel I wish there would have been more to it in seeing Liz's reaction to Hellboy, you know, being gone again. Oh, um, right. We don't. We, there's, there, to me, you know, it's it's such a, a major moment between obviously two characters that have been connected for so long that it it just feels emotionally distant a little bit. Like I wanted to see a, just even even just maybe a shot of 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 Liz's face to see right. the anguish. Mm. Yeah, because she and then cut she away. finds his body yeah. and his hand is cut off and he's lying there dead and yeah, it's just yeah. kind of one shot. You're absolutely right. There should have been more emphasis on that. I totally agree. It's it's tough on this because I understand that they can't have this be like some eighty page issue, but like I said, it's, it went so fast. Everything yeah. was so quick, and it was just like from from one moment to the next, and I, you know, it, and it just I it almost I, I guess maybe because we've we've reached that point. I was kind of hoping for a little bit of a slower burn, but you know, then it's just, it's just, it's just blazing through and then poof, it's over. Yeah. I honestly so, um, wonder if that's like, I, I looking back on it, you know, with the power of hindsight, I'm thinking about it in terms of like, isn't that how it happens though? You know, you're going along yeah. your life for yeah. however many months or years. And all of a sudden you're in a car wreck and you're like, well, that was quick. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And it's scary and weird. And you're like, when you think back on it, it goes in slow motion. You're able to dissect every moment of that and kind of look back on that as like a big, uh, epic, theatrical thing that happened. But in the moment, you're just like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. And then it's over. <laughs> that was loud, you know? And so I think that that's, uh, you know, that's what it would be. Right. Is this a lot of this, you know, it was a big momentous uh, epic event but it also is kind of like a huge car crash but on a more um fantastic scale right. i suppose okay okay i'll, I'll accept that <laughs> <laughs> just throwing it out there 
you know, it's kind of weird. It kind of reminds me of Hellboy in Hell because that was going to be longer too. And then they decided like, oh, well, we're wrapping up now. You know, this is it. So yeah, it, it's weird how both of the series kind of like felt like that, where it, it seemed like they were going to go on a little longer and then they were like, now nah, let's just wrap it up. It's just odd because then you, then you have series that as they were coming out issue by issue, um, Abe Sapien was a very slow burn to me. Right. Um, re- reading it in trade paper or trade back format is completely different from reading it from a single issue. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where <laughs> I, I wonder why that was stretched out for so much and so much detail put into it. And then there's other aspects right now that, you know, just like I said, it feels like a blur. Right. So, I, I mean, it, obviously, there's 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 stuff that we don't see that happens behind the scenes and, you know, deadlines and people have personal lives. And there's all right, these other yeah. factors that play into yeah. all of this. But, you know, us as consumers are always going to have our, you know, our opinions <laughs> on things. So. Yeah. Um, I hope that everyone involved in, in the making of, of these books doesn't take my words the wrong way. Like, I'm, no, I'm, I'm sure. I'm satisfied. No. I mean, it was, it was, it just, you know, a lot of times you just, you just want more. Yeah. And I, and if and, anything, it's yeah. a huge compliment yeah. that, that you want more. I think, of I think that work. that's the, yeah. the, that's the point is that it, it just like you said earlier, it's a slippery slope. It's they got to keep you, enough, yeah. they got to keep you on that point where you want more, but then they can't overdo it because then they're going to spoil everything. So if, if anything, like, if I, yeah. if I had yeah. had anything to do with the creation of any of this stuff, I would hear that and be like, man, I did such a good job. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> The, the, from the previous issue, I think one 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 of the most disappointing things for me, and this this, this is only because I like the character so much, was seeing Howard's go. That was that was not pleasing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah Howard's was such a badass. I was surprised um, by that, but also like, all right, okay, I guess. Yeah, I know. It just I'm just I'm just speaking from this is just the fanboy. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's brain, fine. Yeah, you're allowed to do <laughs> and, that. And, and then as 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 far as linking to your your podcast. Man, I wish I had the encyclopedia brain of of, of Mark Tweedell. Like, are you are you kidding me with yeah. this guy? Yeah. Like the, the amount of information he has in his head of every single little detail of this universe. I'm like, man, I wish I could have that. Are you kidding me so, with this yeah. guy? Indeed, for sure. Yeah. Clayton Schofield. I read it a single issue. I um, I remember um go- going and picking it up that day and I was I guess I had this plan that I was going to get back home that night to read it but uh my my office is pretty close to my shop and and it's about 5 minutes away so by the time I got back to the office I was already telling my secretary hold my calls please just hold my calls <laughs> give me an hour you got to give me an hour here and so I went in the office and then closed my door and sat down got comfy and I read it and I I I think I read it two or three times, and it was just a blur to me. I mean, I think I think Danielle said it right when the book, when you're reading it, it's like we're outside of time. And and as a reader, I couldn't help but feel that way myself. I just was lost in time reading it. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Nice. That's a good way to describe it. Well, I didn't have any expectations going into it. I I I, I had been reading these books probably for at that time, probably for about 15 to 18 years. The only expectation I had was I didn't know how many pages Mike would draw, but I knew he was going to do something. Nice, yeah. I I had guessed probably five or six pages, but to get 13 pages from Mike, that was incredible. Just incredible. Sometimes you're you're often left feeling like 
the journey the journey is more rewarding than getting to the destination. And yeah. and well, this it was yeah. not the case here. It really came together incredibly well for for this issue. There's a sequence where cowboy's blood is coming down from the mountain, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's near the end of the story. And I really enjoyed this sequence because it it kind of reminded me of the uh, Prometheus film. I mean, I'm yeah. not the biggest fan of it, but I, there were parts of it that I enjoyed. It yeah, we like those movies. You know we what? actually like those I movies. I fucking like that. And you know what? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't okay, know good. what people's problem is because as far as a sci-fi movie <laughs> goes, yeah. I'm just saying, as far as sci-fi movies go, like, it's all right. It's pretty good. Yeah. Like, I mean, what, what's his... I, I thought what's, it was all right. Yeah, what's that guy that I like? Michael Fassbender. I love Michael Fassbender. I mean, it's 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 fine. Yeah. yeah. Char- Charlize Theron's in it. Yeah. It's fine. You it's got, fine. Look, look yeah. Clayton, you, you got a Danielle rant on your on your interview. I'm just saying, if you look at most <laughs> sci-fi oh, movies these days, like it's a good fucking movie. Come on, it is. I'm it doesn't need to make sense. Yeah. It's fine. So like, there's there, there's a sequence where where the engineer is is um his body's dissolving oh, yeah. by the waterfall. Yeah, and his DNA mixes into the water. Yeah, and it creates the life on the planet. Cool. Oh, and, and I remember that. There's there's Hellboy's blood coming down the mountain, and then and then you see what looks like a waterfall the next panel, and then you see yeah. life, and then you Full see all water. this life, yeah. And, and then and then you see it has a lot to do with the ocean, so Hellboy's blood is going into the ocean. Absolutely. And then um, there there's Abe's body lying there, and his uh, the eggs coming out of the body, and then we see the next race of man, and I think what was was for me personally, um, Dave Stewart colored. Um, these panels really well with the frog's eyes and yeah. um, the uh, yeah. the next race of man's eyes, like the offspring of Abe's eyes. I think like you don't see the frog monster's eyes this color at all. You see the frog monster's eyes like a green or off green. That or, is so interesting. Like so so you're saying but so Hellboy's these, blood is is yes yeah man wow yeah man. So I I think I think. The color choices that they make. Oh, them. I dig that it's so much. Clayton, it's, it's part of Hellboy's DNA. Clayton, that's impressive. Wow, yeah. nobody's talked that's about fantastic. that. You know what I mean? Like, were the eggs there this whole time, waiting for the blood to come down? You know what I mean? And Man. bring life, yeah, like. Exactly. Oh my God! Man, that adds a whole other element. Nobody's talked about that. Dope. That's amazing. That's incredible. I, I, that is. Yeah, because we. When we see them walking out of the water, we don't know whether they're friendly or but look at their eyes. going to be evil. But but if you look at their eyes, and then you look at the last few panels of, of Hellboy's eyes, they're they're in that same shade that's, of orange. Yes. Oh so, man, that's so cool. He could have killed Hecate, and then Hecate's purplish eyes maybe would have mixed in with these okay. creatures, and then yeah. you would have seen purplish eyes. Right. Yeah, orange. If he hadn't decided to make the sacrifice. What's really interesting is um, when you say that it kind of reminds you of that scene from Prometheus. First of all, Prometheus. We think about getting a fire from there. There you go. But that's that's kind of like a coincidence, I guess. I don't really know. Well, it's synchronicity almost. But no. Is it uh, really a coincidence? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So, but he gets that way because he drinks the the magical uh, science juice, and 
Yes. It's kind of that like alchemical transformation. You know, it's that alchemical transformation thing. And like we get that thing in both in both stories. Like it's a very that has to occur, you know, and he has to sacrifice. But he has to die. Like literally he's taken apart in order for this new stuff to happen. And it's literally Correct. him as like it's his DNA that goes into the water. And does That is interesting. That's cool. I like to wow. think about that. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Good catch. That's excellent. Great. Yeah. That's why it's a book club. Yeah. That is why That's it's a book why. club. Drew Campbell. Uh, I've been collecting the single issues as they come out, I guess, close to 20 years now. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've got them all. Uh, I, didn't, I wasn't able to read it right away when it came out. I was kind of behind at that point. Uh, but I guess it was a few months later I went and, and caught up on the rest of it and uh, – the big event. <laughs> it was it was major to get to the end that has been, you know, foreshadowed for so long, and you kind of knew what was going to happen, but you didn't know what was going to happen. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like a couple days before you invited me to come on, I was listening to the last couple episodes, and something made me think about the similarity between, so like the humans go underground, and and that's kind of their fate. That struck me as very similar to the fate of the 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 fairies, the Doina she or whatever they're called. Yeah, uh, their the, their time oh. was kind of up, and they and they had to kind of pass out of the world, <clears throat> and and that just kind of seemed very similar. Actually, I went back and looked looked up some stuff uh, in the Wild Hunt after Dagda is killed. They're they're at his funeral. And they're talking about his son, and it says he's going to lead the last of their people down into the shadows under the world. Oh. Like, wow. I wonder if they're actually going underground, and maybe they'll meet up with the humans after this. <laughs> right. That's amazing. And, That's and, a good parallel. So I was wondering, maybe they'll, they'll live in peace under the world, or fairies will get pissed off that they're being invaded again. <laughs> 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 kind of makes Grogok's whole thing about fighting to to preserve their place kind of pointless because the humans didn't even last that much longer after that whole battle happened yeah or you could even say that the humans and grogok are they're they're doing the same thing right yeah he he was just just trying to preserve his his race just like the bprd was yeah that's really interesting parallel i love that great job another thing that had struck me about the ending was just how perfectly like the three kind of main characters kind of fit together in their roles in the new world. Hellboy, Liz, and Abe. Hellboy is like the lifeblood of the new world. Liz is the power source, and Abe is the seed of the of the new life that springs up. It's just kind of like I wonder how long Mike Mignola knew how that would work out. Like it seems so perfect. It seems like it could have been something that he knew when he created the three characters, but somehow I doubt that he did, but it just works so perfectly. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's a great way of summing it up. Hayden Orr. I read it as a single issue. Uh, At the time that it came out, I was still working uh, at a bank around here, and um, we don't really have a comic book shop close by, so I would uh, buy every new issue digitally. Uh, that you know the morning that it came out read it and then on the weekend i would go to the comic book store closest to me which is like an hour away and buy the physical copy uh, so i read it that that wednesday that it came out uh on my phone 
I really didn't know what to think on the 15th issue. You know, reading from the first issue of Devil You Know um, up until the 14th, I was kind of, I don't really know the best word to describe it. Maybe kind of confused or, you know, like, wow, this, you know, this, everything's really happening, you know, pretty fucking fast. Like, it, it was kind of shocking how quickly some, some things were uh, dealt with, how some characters were killed off. Right. And so in the 15th, yeah, on the 15th issue, uh, I really, you know, before I opened it up and started reading it, I was just like, what the fuck are they even going to do? You know, I read, you know, the first few pages are, are still Lawrence Campbell, uh, and then it goes into Mike Mignola. And when I hit that first Mignola page, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, like, yes. Is, yeah. You, this is how you know it's serious when Mike himself comes back you know, just to illustrate the rest of the issue. It does have that gravitas when you turn that page and you're like, oh, it's Mike. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, Lawrence Campbell does a, a great job of evoking that kind of, you know, that Mignola feel for, for when he needs it, and it, he's a really great fit for uh, BPRD or, like, the Hellboy universe in general, I think. But, uh, yeah, when Mike, when Mignola comes in and you, you recognize that art style, it's like, oh, shit. And I had no clue... Uh, you know, because it had just come out uh, on Comixology, I think it was like, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock that morning that I had, uh, you know, started reading it. It was mind-blowing to be finally, because I didn't start uh, reading Hellboy uh, right, you know, when the series first began. Uh, I started reading, I think, after, uh, when I was a kid, after I saw the first Hellboy movie. Okay. was when I started getting into the comics. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, but it's it's one of the few comic book series that I've, uh, you know, Hellboy and BPRD that I've consistently uh, kept up with, you know, because, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll read a Batman run and then you'll drop it when another writer comes on and you're like, oh, I don't really care for his stuff. But uh, all any and all Mike Mignola, Hellboy, anything, that's like the, the one series that I always bought everything for and... Uh, read everything for nice so so you know i I didn't start there at the very beginning but i've been with it for a really long time so getting to read what is essentially like the end was (laughs) it was it was mind-blowing i'm not gonna lie you know after i had some time to to kind of digest the issue i think that same weekend i went back and reread uh from issue one to 15 uh in one sitting ah yes oh nice and, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, that whole series, The Devil You Know as a whole, and this is just my personal feelings on it, while there are some great moments and, you know, the art throughout was great and that very last issue with, you know, with Mike wrapping things up, how he wants it, you know, wrapped up. Yeah. I still can't help but feel a little bit like The Devil You Know is a little bit of a letdown. Mm. Okay. Uh, okay. I think I said it when you guys read the 15th issue uh, in the listener feedback for that episode. It just feels like a lot of uh, plot points got wrapped up way too quickly or like with, a, you know, kind of a throwaway panel here or there. Mm. Um, sure. We, you know, we lost a lot of the great character moments like in um, Hell on Earth. Granted, you know, I, uh, I can't remember who said it. It may have been Matt. Maybe. I don't know. I might be misremembering, but somebody said that, you know, all the character moments everybody kind of came into their own in hell on earth and age sapien. And so they didn't really need 
mm, those kind of sure. character building moments for Devil You Know, and I can I can kind of agree with that. Uh, like I said in the listener feedback, you know, I feel like if there was a different writer than who was, uh, you know, writing the scripts on that, yeah, uh, like if it was John Arcudi or John Arcudi you know, was so good. Uh, yeah, he, he was, was a, so he good. Was yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you just a side note. I don't know if you've read his. Uh, uh, graphic novel of god somewhere that he did with peter schnedgeberg no uh, i haven't read that one it's super fucking good it's like a very realistic take on like it's like a very down to like earth real type of reality and this one character uh gets superpowers and nice. it kind of explores you know his sanity and like how he you know deals with the powers and how it affects you know his uh, friends and family and loved ones and all that stuff but uh not to go off on a too long of a note about it but if you get a chance definitely read it it's pretty good yeah that sounds like that's right up jarnar cootie's alley i mean that's what he's all about is bringing that human element to the superhero thing or whatever so yeah i would love to check that out awesome but uh, you know maybe if if he was on it or say if like christopher golden was on it because you know he's been great on the baltimore books oh yeah uh, you know I feel like maybe we we could have gotten a little bit more character stuff, or maybe some you know more um, satisfying moments. Right, right, uh, okay. Because there was some in the devil, you know, like getting to see Abe and Hellboy and Liz all sitting together, you know, talking about what they've been through the last few years, and you know where Hellboy's been, where Abe's been. You know, Liz has got a boyfriend now. (laughs) All all the important stuff. But, you know, yeah, overall, it just felt kind of lacking in that respect for me. Uh, With the the plot point stuff getting wrapped up, you know, the the vampire plot really felt like they were, that was going to come to a head in in its own big way. Maybe, I think Mike Mignola has even said that he's still got another series planned for... um, uh, Agent Anders, you know, like BPRD Vampire Part oh, 2. Oh, yeah, I would love uh, that. But he's waiting, yeah, but I think he said he's waiting for Gabriel Ba and uh, Fabio Moon to, to be ready to do that with him, because he didn't want to do it with anybody else. Dang. Oh, cool. That's um, awesome. I would love to see that. Yeah, so maybe, you know, if they end up doing that, maybe that's where they'll kind of resolve the, the big chunk of that vampire storyline, uh, you know, somewhere in the future. Yeah, I'd love but to check that out. Oh, definitely. Those guys are fucking. Every artist, you know, that's been you know working in the universe is amazing. But those two guys really are. They have like such a really interesting style, especially you know when they're on the book together. They go from that yeah. kind of dreamy watercolor from uh, Moon to like the more uh, hard outline cartooning of Ba. It's it's such a great dichotomy between those two. I don't want to rag on it too much because it's still, you know, it's still a, a great compared to a lot of like contemporary like superhero comics and stuff. It's miles above, you know, yeah, like quality wise, you know, reading like a, a Batman story where you know, you know, Batman and Robin are going to be fine by the end of the story, and you know, oh, oh no, they killed Alfred, but he'll be back when another Robin. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Like, you can read The Devil You Know and know that while there may be, you know, prequel series in the future or stuff like that, that this is the end for those characters. Yeah. And you don't have to, like, 
be annoyed that oh man the next big crisis event is bringing hellboy yes, back yes absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah you know it like all these characters deaths and their their endings do mean something uh you know with this story even if it may not have been exactly what all of the readers yeah wanted. you, you so, can tell that there's a, a, a genuine broader more robust archetype or theme that they're working with it's not just like well, we got to sell more books, so who are we going to bring back? Let's bring back Captain America, but he's a Nazi now. Like, it's very, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's, they're not just exactly. like, what thing can we try to get people's attention? It's not days of our lives. Like, they're actually yeah. trying to say something here. Uh, it's got some modicum of artistic intent yeah. behind it, at least. And so I, I can definitely vibe with that for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one last thing I will say uh, about the devil you know is I really... And this is just a just a you know my my lizard brain that you know that knows what I personally <laughs> like. Sure. I really was hoping and praying that they would bump into the Frankenstein monster like three or four issues earlier, and we would get to see some cool see, like, a little Frankenstein bit, yeah. action. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I want to know if he can shoot Vril like Liz can, <laughs> since he yeah with that Vril spirit. In underground. I want to see him be friends Ooh. with dinosaurs. We see the little flame over his head at yeah, the very end. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm, He's a I'm monk. curious if he if he can you know fly around like Liz and do cool Vril shit. Maybe he's you know, the dinosaur monk. <laughs> Maybe lightning shoots out of his nipple bolts. I bet. I bet that's what. Oh I'm gosh. Thinking. That's <laughs> probably it. You can't tell me that that wouldn't have been satisfying seeing him vaporize a bunch of frog monsters from his nipple bolts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Niklas. I bought uh, the single issue, uh, digital, and I bought the, uh, the uh, number 14 too, and I was like, okay, it's now out, I have to read it now, I have to see if this is really the end of all, because uh, yeah. that was yeah. really a surprise for me. I was like, okay, now it's DRPD to end, and then there's a, a, a mini series, uh, and then it was like, oh, this is the end, oh, yeah. this is the end. Wow, I don't know what to feel right now. Right. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to ask you what was your reaction when you got to the end of the issue. I mean, um, what were some points that you really liked, or some of your favorite parts of the story? All the Hellboy stuff, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I uh, uh, might never um, a secret out of it that uh, that I'm here in the Hellboy world to read the Hellboy stuff. And I think this was great. And I think um, he, he even had some character development at the end. It mm -hmm. was not uh, said out loud, uh, but I think there was some thing. And I, I'm really excited to, to say it now, but uh, I will keep that up for later. <laughs> and I like the stuff where all Hellboy is, and I like the ending as it was. The only critique I had at, the, at that point was like, I reread it, and now it's like, okay, this fits all nicely together, but last year it was like, okay, some stuff was a bit um, hasty, a mm. bit fast. It was like, okay, shit, yeah, I know the Osiris guys were doing some evil Osiris guys <laughs> shit. <laughs> and it was a real big surprise. I like that plot twist, but it was like, in other series, uh, it would have been at least uh, one issue, but uh, I'm okay with that now. Right, I right. Think. Yeah, I think I think it was uh, it was good. It was nice. It was fine. The only thing I'm bit a bit miffed about really is, um, and that's a critique. It's a critique because you could read uh, BRPD and Hellboy independent from each other. 
Mm. Okay, oh. that was yeah. That was good. Yeah. And now you have to buy the BRPD book to see how it ends with Hellboy. But if you read now BRPD, you're you're asking yourself. I, at least I will ask myself. If you only had re- read uh, BRPD, okay, that's this Hellboy guy. What's so special about yeah. him? Why yeah. Does right, he, right. Why does he punch the the bald uh, Russian? <laughs> Who the fuck is the bald Russian guy? Uh, what, the fuck is, what the fuck is going on here? And that's, that's the only critique I have. Uh, I sure. uh, really have about the book that you know, like at least I, I'm a compulsive reader. Sure. And I yeah. like okay, and now. One series ends for me, and if I hadn't followed BRPD and uh, Hellboy at the same time, I wouldn't let the fucking know what, what yeah. the fuck happened. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> who's, who's the lady in the in the in the Iron Maid in the Iron Maiden? Well, why is this blood suddenly turning? Everything? Right. Yeah. Right, right. You had to yeah. have read it. That's a good point. I think we talked about that a little bit with another guest too. They were overarching and like references, but it's never like. Um, yeah, I mean, you can read over 100 uh, issues of BRPD and you're like, okay, I, I get this. Yeah, Somehow. right. But then not suddenly the big red guy, the big uh, naked red guy uh, joins the team and you're like, who the fuck is, well, what the fuck is that? <laughs> That's a good point. Sir Edward Gray, right? You would be like, who's this ghost who's that just shows ghost? up and flying yeah. around, right? Why is this guy here? No, that's a good, that's, you know, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah. yeah. Daniel Green. I, I read all the Mignolaverse any issues when they come out. Oh, nice! And so yeah, I I read it the day it came out like five times. So oh, tell wow. me about that. You went to the comic store. You got it the day that it came out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Always do. Always do. I even uh, make my kids dress up sometimes Aww. and come with me and we take pictures, like picking up the new Hellboy now. It's not weird. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds adorable. Do they at That's least are they? Awesome. It's like yeah, this is fun. We'll do we'll do that, or no? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, they love it. They, Dad gets uh, giggly and happy, and and they get on board. It's fun. That's great. And what what was your initial reaction to reading that? Honestly, it, it kind of felt like getting kicked in the stomach, you know. And you kind of have to come back for a night and, and realize, you know, it's not you're not in personal peril. These are things we really, really like and and pour over and have you know great book clubs and. But, you know, it is, at the end of the day, it's a book. It informs us in life, you know, what kind of people we want to be or not to be. Yeah. And the uh, more I read it and the more I let it sit with me, the the better I felt about it, the more I allowed it as a crowning achievement, really a high point in the series. So, Excellent. Yeah, Could not have said good. that better. Wow, yeah. Awesome. Well, not to uh, talk too much, but I, we got to go back to issue 14 real quick and remember when Rasputin you know, took the right hand of Doom off, and then Hellboy still killed him with his left hand, yeah. or his oh. knife hand that he killed Satan with, remember? Yeah. That was the knife yeah. hand. Oh, that is so great. Yeah. I felt like that was a really cool callback to that. It almost kind of undermines the importance of the the right hand of Doom as Which being all that Hellboy really has going for yes. him. Like, he was always relevant and important the whole time. That's an amazing revelation. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for that. That's that is so exactly. awesome. Exactly. You don't have to have a powerful mystical relic like weird superhero hand. You can just yeah. defeat evil. It's fine. Yeah. Like go ahead with your regular <laughs> normal body. That's, <laughs> like, that's, that's okay. a good moral. Yeah. That, that talks to all of us. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah, it you was can... it was in you all along. You could defeat evil all along. <laughs> the real the yeah. real the real hand of doom was the friend, friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so <That's> awful. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys noticed in the sketchbook, Lawrence Campbell has some thumbnails for the uh, cover ideas he was going to do. Oh. And one of them is the Statue of Liberty as a hell statue with no the face way. on the torso. And it's oh, just an amazing right. image. And I, we, I we, missed it until yeah, today. We talked about that. It's actually in the issue. They show it at one point. But really? yeah, you're right. It was it was going to be a full cover. Right. Right. Oh, wow. oh that would have yeah. been so awesome. Wow. I actually didn't see that before. Yeah. yeah. If I could ever afford a Lawrence Campbell sketch, it would it would <laughs> ah. be that. I would want that nice. creepy thing in my house. Wow. That is very creepy. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Instead, it was just briefly in a uh, panel. Or yeah. Something. So that's neat. Did um, anyone else notice the last image at the back of the trade? The magician and the snake has the palm fronds around it now from the new world oh, oh wow. okay so that was on the back of the trade the very end of the story when they're showing the the kind of eden or garden or whatever and it's all palm fronds and they have that framing the magic and the magician in the back I and the little frog this. is there too yes. yeah and the yellow is more burnt orange now yeah, almost the... like the vril is a little different now oh this is great yeah oh. i, I love really this. like that oh wow thank you so much for yes, yes. that. i hadn't actually noticed that that's great yes keep going you're doing great so in the afterword too which i loved written by mike mignola i don't know i don't want to rub it in his nose but he quoted that when the little bird was talking about the apocalypse in the island it's actually in the third wish Oh, right, right. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, it is what it is. I, I don't know if I want to, like, politely write Katie O'Brien and right. just kind of her door hey, and then duck out. <laughs> Mark Tweedell would do that. He would do it. I'm pretty sure yeah. Matt would do that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little panel of, of flowers that aren't quite lilies, which I expected. I mean, I love the lilies and the growing out of his blood, and that's definitely a tattoo idea that's coming. But it's the last panel that's just flowers towards the end of the book. Right. It's not lilies. It's not. We, I think we said they were lilies, but it's kind of like, is that the new kind of like right. lilies I guess it's or something? Yeah, I never thought of that. Wow. They just put nice subtle spins like, yeah. yeah, the world is there, but it's importantly shaken up and different now. Cool. Yeah. It's a different yeah. variant that of it. That is cool. I yeah. like that. Oh, and one more curiosity. What's with Hellboy's blue eye at the beginning? Right. Well, that's what we were. I think yeah. we had some listener feedback about that. We talked about that a little bit. I I know that Rasputin, when he died, he had a blue eye. And right. I um, was like, just by chance, I was going through darkness calls today. The giant who's watching over Ninue's body, he has blue eyes of a similar hue. Oh, nice. Um, like melancholy, uh -oh. maybe other world melancholy blue eyes. I always assumed that his orange eyes were because of real. Or something right. like that. Right. So I don't really know. I guess that's like an absence of real. Well, at the very end, before he goes into the Iron Maiden, they turn back yeah. into right. he has both orange eyes again. Awesome. Very cool. Um, and just one more thing. Uh, Liz's choker and crucifix necklace has always kind of bothered me. Right. I'm not anti-religious or anything. No, it bothers it's, me it's, too. It's fine to be bothered by that. Super 90s, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's fine. Love the 90s. Just hanging on to it. Worship whatever you want. Yeah. But it's featured really prominently in the panel with her yes. in the crystal cocoon. Yeah, yeah. And that makes me, it makes me think like I'm almost missing the unspoken themes of the big stories. 
like religion is skirted throughout the whole story. It's never overtly addressed or, you know, maybe this is throwing it away too much, but I kind of felt like that was just so that we would really know it was Liz. Because that's the most identifying thing about her throughout all these stories is like, you know, it's her no matter who's drawn her. I just kind of felt like they wanted to really drive it home and say, hey, this is Liz just so there's no mistake. This is Liz. I don't know. That's what I got from that. Maybe I'm not. That's just how I've organized it too in my head. It's just so we know it's her. But she's always worn it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, religion is always kind of skirted and never addressed head on. Drinking and drug use is an interesting thing that never really comes all the way up it's just right. kind of back and yeah. uh parental relationships you know um trevor broom is kind of hellway's stepdad mm-hmm. and hellway isn't a demon he's referred to as a demon all the time he's half demon half human yeah oh, okay. yeah he's he's kind of his own weird inter- intersectional cool thing you know um that, that'll be my last annoying thing is a bunch of questions <laughs> and, I don't know if no it's good oh. it's no, good I we love, love it yeah paul from gardaharn uh, single issue, yeah. Um, I I live in Gartaharn, as you can guess from the <laughs> the moniker I use, about half an hour from Glasgow uh, oh, in wow. Scotland. And so uh, I ducked out of work just a little bit early, nice, nice, uh, in order to make it to uh, the comic book shop before it closed. Um, there's there's not really many good small comic book shops right. like. Uh, Growing up, so it was Forbidden Planet in Glasgow, uh, oh. and oh, and I kind of rushed in and 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 got one, um, and then sat in the car uh, and read it. Uh, sat in the double yellow lines and read it. Yeah. There's nice. so many. There's so many nice. similar stories. We're you know talking to quite a few uh, book club members lately, and there's yeah. so many stories about how. Oh yeah, single issue. I I, I drove. However, yeah. just to go get it yeah. like a day of and I, I just sat there and immediately read it and like there's so many stories of like how, you know, everyone's just like, oh, I got to get this issue. And yeah. so I just think that's so yeah. touching. Like that's that's um, that's just across yeah. that's just across the board how people are reading this. I think that's so interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah I read I read um, floppies. Um, back in the day, back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> but when I went to university the first time, I, I kind of drifted away from floppies. Uh, right. You're trying to be cool in front of your new friends and, <laughs> and catfish girls and pretend that you're not a nerd. Uh, and so there were black <laughs> comic books. And so I, I went to floppies at that point and then uh, drifted away from comics for uh, five years or so and then came back and things were starting to come out in hardbacks at that point. Um. I kind of in the middle of League of Frogs, I I went to hardbacks, but um for the Ragnarok arc, I bought all the uh, the floppies for that. Nice. I'll sure, sure buy it in trade and then hardback at some point as well. But. Oh yeah, yeah. The the omnibus yeah. is coming out in March, so I'm pretty excited about that. I think uh, issue fourteen and fifteen both uh, were difficult. Uh, I I know you guys in the the last episode, or the, the the one before the the blooper reel, um, <laughs> you all, you all seem to be really at peace with it and joyous, uh, and I don't think I felt like that. I think I, I kind of mm-hmm. felt stunned mm-hmm. uh, right. and a little bit stupid. I felt a bit stunned that they'd actually kind of ended humanity, <laughs> uh, um, and I felt stupid. I didn't see it coming because literally 
everyone in, in the entire series, every bad guy in the series, has pointed at it and gone, "Yeah, you're going to end. <laughs> you're going to end. <laughs> uh, you're going to end hum- the human race, kind of thing. You're going to end humanity." Um, so I, I did feel a bit stupid, uh, and I, the uh, the George R. R. Martin quote is uh, I can't remember what the character was, but he says if if you think this ends well, you haven't been paying attention well. <laughs> right. Well, you're so, I mean, I don't think you should feel necessarily feel uh, stupid because you know we I, I don't know you know like culturally speaking, all the books that we read and all the movies we watch are all set to be like. Ah, there's a threat against and us, and we're gonna be. come out on top in the end. And you know, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, why would you know you're you have to have that threat, or else why would there be any tension in the story? And you're like, oh well, they have to say that because otherwise, why would we care? But it's in the end, it's gonna be fine. There's gonna be a happy end, and it's kind of like I don't see it as a not happy ending. I, I see it as an a, an ending, an appropriate ending. But I can understand yeah. why so many people would be like, what the heck? You know, that's not how yeah. stories are. <laughs> but it's it's I, I I thought it was really um, you know interesting that 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 they did it that way because it's yeah, like I that's think I was yeah sucker punched by it a little bit yeah. because the yes the BPRD arc definitely felt like the apocalypse right but yeah. all all of Hellboy even up to and including Storm and the Fury and Death of Hellboy he always wins out in the end yeah. now he lost life fighting them away in dragon form but he saved humanity at the same time yeah, uh, yeah. and so when Hellboy came back uh, I thought oh the apocalypse has been coming but here he comes to save the day uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally agree and I think like on the show I've been able to sit with it for a long time yeah. I'm obviously yeah. like doing research on it to, for the episode and stuff like that but I, I think at the time when I read the one issue, I think I did feel kind of like you did, Paul, where I was I was stunned and I didn't know what to think. And it was weird because we were doing the Abe Sapien stories in the podcast at that time. So, like, I, li- oh. I literally had to put it down and then go work on some Abe Sapien stuff. So it kind of, like, distracted me. Sure. You know what I mean? But then while we were reading that Abe Sapien stuff, I couldn't stop thinking about it. There is a scene where they're making breakfast and they say, hey, do you want some of this on your eggs? Uh, and all I could think about oh, was Abe, Abe and the eggs at the end. You know what yeah. I mean? So I wonder oh, if wow. little things like that... Anyway, it's just like, yeah. But I, I, I do feel you on being stunned uh, on that initial reading of just the one issue waiting for it to come out. Yeah. I mean, I'm coming around. Uh, li- listening to you guys talk about it and uh, yeah. prospecting it and over the last year or so, I, I am coming around to being at peace with it. <laughs> and, 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 the whole time and I'm reading it, I'm just like, this is dope as hell. This is fucking yeah. rad. Yeah. You know what I mean? This, all this is so rad. But like, yeah, I can understand that. How, how it would be it's, difficult. it's amazing. I, I think one of the things that I think is incredible about it is how far back, you know, if you ever listen to any interviews with Mike Mignola, he's had this idea since so far back yeah. about yeah going to end up in Ragnarok and then you know I, I just recently there was an interview and he said that the idea about bringing Hellboy back by using Roger as a bridge was something mm. that he and John Arcudi had had yeah. in the back for like a decade or something oh, oh wow, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> damn 
So yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's absolutely incredible what they've done, and yeah, to keep you guessing right up to yeah. the very end like yeah. that is just phenomenal. I'm I'm so impressed, and to, to end with the frog people reaching for the amber with Liz inside yeah. is the next goddess. It's just it's incredible. Do you think that there's more to that? Would you would you want to see more, or are you like that's a good, it's perfect, just leave it like that? Or would you want to see what happens next? You know what I mean? Is there? You think that there's more to tell regarding any of these stories? If Mike thinks that there's more to tell, <laughs> you, one, one thing that you didn't do uh, last episode was read the afterword. Um, yeah. Right. I, yeah. Doing that, he he points to the fact that he didn't think he was going to have all you know 25 years to play it out mm. so maybe you guys have actually read it the way it was intended over the course of a couple of years <laughs> that was the way that you thought it would go but sure. uh, in, in, in terms of going forward he says that there's I'll, I'll read the quote he says there's there are a zillion stories still to tell about the good old days when humans were still running or thought they were running the place <laughs> And even a couple of things we are thinking of that continue to take us into the future. So yeah, I, I, I think that indicates that he's got some ideas. Now, unfortunately, I suspect uh, some of those ideas were in the Frankenstein Undone. Oh, part. right. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. In uh, issue 12, I think it was, when uh, Edward Gray talks to Hellboy whilst he's at BPRD headquarters and says and any something like anyone that will listen and he puts all the symbols yeah. on, on the yeah. map of where the cave entries are uh, it reminded me of uh, something called the indalo man which is uh, a symbol pretty much exactly like that and yeah. um, which uh, it's an ancient symbol i'll just read this here about it found in the province of almeria in spain over a hundred years ago uh, also known to some as the Indalo Puppet, which I think is very Mignola-esque. Wow, yeah. yeah. It first found somewhere in the Las Velas mountain range of northern Almeria province in a cave known as La Cueva de los Letros, or the Cave of the Signs, uh, in 1868. The symbol is thought to date back to Neolithic times and seems to depict a man holding a rainbow in his arms over his head. Wow, blowing my mind with this right now. That oh, is wow. exactly that. Can you send me yeah. that? Can you send me that? I'm going to use that for, for one of the posts. That is great. Good bit of research. Oh wow, there. that's awesome. So Edward Gray busted out of hell, uh, and he's but he always seemed to know that the world was going to end. You know, he went after Rasputin in hell and got whooped. Yeah, uh, he just got disappeared, mm-hmm. but then. But then he appears to Hellboy. And I want to know what he thought he was doing at that point, because he can, he seems to be appearing out of time yeah. at, that, at that point and, and to know everything that's happening and what's going to happen. Uh, and he, in that sense, it took me back to the, the Hellboy and Hell series where there's the three spirits, the kind yeah. of... Uh, ghost of christmas past and so on yeah uh, that are showing him different things and showing him around and and 
Edward Gray seems to have taken on that role. Absolutely. A lot of people are making that parallel, and it's. I think we all agree that that's very appropriate parallel yeah, to, to make. Yeah, that's so interesting yeah. that you bring that yeah. up, because other people have brought that up as well. Interesting. So, what, so why is he doing it? What? Why, why is he doing it? He, he, he sent out that sign so that some humans could escape with Frankenstein underground. Underground! <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> um, but then he continues to hang around with Otherworld, the Hellboy at that point. And I just wondered, what, what do you guys think he's doing? What's his motivation at that point? That's a good question. When he was drugged down to hell, he was in the middle of tra- tracing the Silver Lantern Club or something like that. Are they like a offspring of the Osiris Club or the uh, Heliopic Brotherhood? Something like that, yeah. Very similar. So I think, like, in my head, he is driven by that. Because even in, like, uh, in the service of angels, the lady, I forgot what her name was, but she turns into that spirit Zora. She tells him, you you got to stop chasing the Heliopic Brotherhood. Yeah. It's going to be your ruin. You know, this is going to destroy you. And then at the end of that story, it's like, and he never stopped. You know what I mean? And so he traced the Heliopic Brotherhood. He went after all their offshoots. And then he got drugged down to hell. And he's like, no, I'm still going after them. You know what I mean? Because I think like the ultimate goal was to bring down the, the Osiris Club at the end. I think that's what his mission is. And so... I don't know. I've never really thought about that that much, but I th- well, that's me, the I feel, line that I would draw. For me, I feel like, you know, he, he's he's also a very emotional character. We've seen even at the end, he is driven by his his feelings for others, especially Hellboy. He's often, you know, repeating stuff like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry about this. I, I, tr- I, I tried to stop this, but I couldn't oh, yeah, do it. Yeah. And I'm sorry you're for what you're about yeah. to go through, man. This is going to suck. Like he's... Part of it, I think, is he's just there for him because no one else can be. Mm. Who else can be in that role? Who else? He's uniquely positioned to comfort and uh, Hellboy and guide him through these final moments. He's he's uniquely positioned to be like, hey, man, uh, this is going to suck. And I'm sorry about it, bro. Like he's being a friend. Yeah, I think in this in this in this horrifying situation, at least he's not alone. At least he has someone who understands. So what you're saying is that very final issue of the BPRD arc was written as a homage to the friendship of the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Sure. It's at the heart of it. Yeah. The humanity was being destroyed by the Ultrahem and then the Osiris Club used Hellboy's hand to bring the Ogdra Jihad down to Earth, which they did, and we got the off-scene or triple O boom. Right. And and the nuclear blast, which destroyed the Ogdra Hem and ended their short time on Earth. So why did Liz have to scorch the Earth then? Why did Liz scorch the Earth? To end it, and so that the new one could become... It goes back to that do it, right? Yeah. The, uh... yeah. yeah. It's got to happen. It's just It just has to. I feel like she was cleansing the world of through fire, you know, just like cleansing the monsters away. And then afterwards, when um, Hellboy's blood runs over the earth, it's kind of like washes that away from everything. It's just like, it's. I feel like it's like a, a purifying of the planet. Mm. There has it's to just... be death if there's going to be rebirth. Right. There can't be yeah. a birth. You know, like it's like you can't, you know, you can't have like life without death. You can't have death without life. It's just it's they're 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 intertwined. 
Well, and and it makes me think of that's a great question though. It makes me think about the Vril too. You know, the Vril is what Liz is channeling. So, you know, in the beginning of the in the beginning, the the Watcher pulled the Vril from the sky. You know, so I wonder if that has to happen again. Something like that has to happen. There has to be some sort of somebody's grabbing the fire to restart things again. And that I guess that is Liz burning everything. I don't know. That's uh, I don't know. That's a great question, though. My last thing is about pacing, which I think was a a big criticism in the community. Oh, yeah. On Reddit and things, people felt like it was hurried at the end. Mm. And it kind of happened at the same time as the end of Game of Thrones on the TV and so everyone was facing and and things being hurriedly finished. Um, I actually didn't feel it was hurried. I I felt like they did it how they wanted to do it. But again, going back to another interview, apparently when John Arcudi hung up his spurs, Mm. Mike and the rest of the team got together and worked out how many issues it would take them to tie up the various loose ends and uh, maneuver characters into position for the apocalypse to happen and all the things that they wanted to happen. So I think Ragnarok, they they had sketched out, well, this needs to happen, then this, this, and then this, and it was just a line of dominoes that they wanted to knock off in order to get to the end. And yeah, what 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 was your guys feeling about the pacing? I didn't, I don't think I've heard you talk about that yet. Yeah, I think that. Um... I didn't. I, that wasn't an issue for me. I wouldn't and, have wanted and, to drag on and on. And, and I talked to yeah. Matt about this because Matt and I have had a lot of discussions about Devil You Know, even before we got to it on the podcast. Because like we both just talk about it because there's no one else to talk to about it, and um, <laughs> we both talked about <laughs> how. <laughs> there you go. We will call yeah. you now. But we both talked about how everybody was saying, "Oh, they were writing it for the trade." That was the big criticism. Mm. This is being written for the trade, and I never felt that. Right. I never no. felt like that was a thing, you know. Um, but I've also talked about when I was reading it, I would read the previous issues. So when I yeah. read issue three, I was reading one, two, and three. And when I read issue five, I was reading one through fives in one go. So when I read 15, I had read, like, the previous 14 issues the night before so I could just, like, be fresh on it. So maybe... That's why I didn't see it like that, and, and I, I don't think Matt did either. But that was a that what that was a big criticism, right. and I don't yeah. know. I, I think we've talked about it at length, but it it worked for me. Yeah, I wonder if that perspective comes from I don't want this to be over or something like that, yeah. or I I, I yeah. would rather explore every little avenue of this and savor every moment, and it's happening so, and and isn't life kind of like that sometimes there are moments where you're like oh i wish this could last forever but it's it's so quick and so don't you have to kind of learn and train yourself how to appreciate that while it's happening and of course for exactly for what it is but fortunately you know you can go back and reread it and really take it in at your own pace and and think about those things if you want and that's what you know that's what I, who knows like they might go back and explore those things in more in depth sure. in the future and hey that would be cool but like yeah. i think as an i think it holds up i think it's solid just because i feel like why would it drag out on and on it's it's Ragnarok. it's got to be it's intense man like sometimes yeah. things happen yeah. very intensely yeah. and very quickly and sometimes it's just like that because we read it the way we read it uh, it didn't feel rushed to me mm. but um i wonder if like some people you know do 
pilt rush because they were buying issue and issue and just reading the issues and and then it was just over and it's just like not that it was just over but you know yeah um people have been with it a lot longer than we have yeah and so it's like you said maybe maybe they just didn't want it to end yeah (laughs) yeah joel has got this uh, extra story that he thinks is really worth telling i want to hear it but i think if if he thinks it's done then I, I, I then i'm open to the space being left mm-hmm. i like that very yeah. good very good ross radke i might have mentioned this before but i read all of the devil you know when it came out in trade um i waited for all three trades to came out and then read them all Okay. Yes. Oh, you did yeah, mention you did that. that. Yes. That's right. You did. So, you told us that. So this this last the final issue, um, I had managed to avoid pretty much all the major spoilers. There's a nice. couple little things that I think I'd seen pop up in Twitter or something. Before you but quickly for the scroll part, past, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought they did a really good job wrapping things up. Endings of any sort of long form storytelling is is the hardest thing. If you look at Especially in like yeah. TV, you look at things yeah. like Lost or Game of Thrones or uh... even Star Wars. But even if you go back to like the Lord of the Rings and you've got the uh, prolonged epilogue, like yeah. sticking the landing for a long story is the most difficult thing. And right. I, so I do like, you know, all things considered, I feel like they did a really good job tying up all the loose ends. Um, I, I definitely understand why some people feel like it was really compressed compared to what had come before. Right. But I think right. that's pretty pretty typical when you get to, like, the final act of a story. Yeah, I tend to fall on that side, too, of, like, you know what? All things considered, this was great. <laughs> They did a fantastic job. Yeah, and I, I, I like that you mentioned that because there is a fine line between too many endings, this won't stop ending, and then also like, oh, that felt too short. And I think you definitely want to be on the it felt too short yeah. side rather yes. than mm-hmm. this went on too long side. Agree, yeah, agree. You know, I, I, I was curious what you guys thought about the Rasputin reveal with um, Barbara. Or Varvara. Vavra. Now I'm like, every time I say that, I, I think about how I'm saying it, and it just doesn't roll off my tongue anymore. Um, <laughs> what if it's Vavara? <laughs> when I saw, obviously, he's on the, Rasputin's on the cover of the trade. Right. You know, so I, that was one of the things that was spoiled for me before I read it, and it, I, I initially, I was kind of like, oh, Really? They're bringing him back, you know, because I, I kind of feel like that's a very mainstream comics in a way. Right. And and not that that's a bad thing, but but the Hellboy and BPRD is always kind of blazed its own path. But the way that it actually unfolds, instead of feeling like a trope, it's kind of like, oh, how how did we not connect these dots? Because it's, I get the There's impression There's so much that foreshadowing for it. Yeah, the yeah. general fandom didn't even pick up on the whole. Oh, here's this little Russian girl. Yeah, and the of course. Big bad yeah, of, of Hellboy is a villain. Or, you know, Russian Rasputin. So, um, and, and the real Rasputin had a daughter named Vivara. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. So, so then I kind of every Russian like, fan is like, really you didn't see this coming. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just one example, but they were masterful in the way that they pulled the reader all along what was going to happen 
And the reason why I think, like my like I didn't pick up on a, a lot of that stuff, or I'm assuming a lot of the readers didn't, is because it was usually the villains who were saying what was going to happen. Right. And so your your instinct is to be like, well, yeah, that's what the bad guys want to happen. But so you reject it outright. I kind of feel yeah. like um, when Empire Strikes Back came out and. Darth Vader says, Luke, I am your father. Apparently, half the people thought that he was lying when that oh, first Oh, wow. Like, oh. A, lot of, a lot of people who saw that movie, like my, you know, probably like my dad's age, right? When they're teenagers or whatever, when those movies came out, were just like, no, that's a lie. They, they just, especially younger, yeah. younger kids who went and saw it, it's just, they could not accept it. Probably because there was a whole host of characters that could have just, from the very beginning, been like, by the way, Luke, your father is a maniac, <laughs> mass murdering guy who's working for the emperor, but no yeah, one but... told him that. So, from like a writer's perspective, yeah, you're like, yeah, I how can I, I trick the help. audience? I'll have all the bad guys say it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but kind of like think about it in terms of kind of like other other stories because it is such a epic mythology that they built. Yeah. It's interesting as like listening to the podcast and going back through the whole series and, and even looking at some of the really early sketchbook stuff, it's it's amazing how much of this stuff that at least the seeds of it were there from the very beginning. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like and I think that there's been a couple times where we pointed out like like in the first couple of library edition volumes, they have sketches of uh, Ed Gray and other characters and stuff that kind of hint at stuff that didn't even happen until Hellboy in Hell or later. Oh, yeah. No, it says like Atron in there. And I think it even has his sister. Isn't she in the yeah, Seat of Destruction yep. sketchbook? And yeah, she's, she's not even she's, she's not even going to come out until Midnight Circus or something like that. So, yeah, oh, that's wow. amazing. Yeah. And there's even some stuff in there with a um, abandoned storyline with like an evil twin of uh, Abe Sapien that that even in the sketchbook, they're like, yeah, we don't know what this was all about. And it's like, well, someone did because they kind of brought that back with Strobel. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So I don't know. I, I just love all that type of like stuff that behind the scenes kind of thinking about how how you how you get all the pieces to fit, you know, and sometimes maybe you have these puzzle pieces at the beginning that you don't actually know if they're going to fit or not. Yeah. That's great. I, I love that. I, I want to go back and look at those sketchbooks again. Just the, so specifically focusing on, on issue 15, um, which I did not know Mignola drew the majority of that, you know, that was a complete surprise to me. Okay. So describe that reaction page. to yeah. when you turn the page, you're like, Oh shit, it's Mignola. It was a it was a surprise to me because my impression had always kind of been that Mignola Hellboy in Hell was was his, but he had kind of let the other writers kind of go off in their own direction with some of these other um, series. Him coming back to tell like the ending, yeah. I mean, you kind of get a, a, a sense that that's coming by and bringing Hellboy back. You know, I was thinking about this. Hellboy had already, like we were talking about multiple endings, right? Hellboy had already had a satisfying, well, to, to most people, I would say, satisfying conclusion. 
Yeah. And and this is sort of like an epilogue for Hellboy, whereas for all the other characters, this this is their final chapter. Right. So yeah. there's a weird narrative dissonance. Yeah. I love um, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And 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 you kind of you kind of feel that in the way I guess the the death toll for for lack of a better each issue, you know, more and more characters meet their ends and again you could you could maybe say oh man i wish we had had more time to spend with that character or i wish that you know there had been more time to you know draw draw out and make that death have more impact but i feel like if they had it would have just it would have just slowed things down too much right okay yeah you get back into that too many endings thing yeah 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 Yeah. too many as cliche as this might sound, it's like, you know, real life, you don't have tidy endings. Yes, I agree and, with yeah. that completely. Yeah. yeah, I'm a, I'm, yes, I'm into that. So not, not every character that we care about is necessarily going to have yeah. some big heroic ending. Yeah, sometimes it's just how it goes, man. That just made me think of something in terms of like Hellboy coming back to life. And typically, typically in, in comics or superhero stories, when a character comes back to life, it's usually a... A not so great like Christ allegory, yes. you know, I, right. like have Superman yeah. or or Neo in the Matrix or something, and it's it's it doesn't always land. And, um, and Jesus, Hellboy, <laughs> Hellboy was like is really more like a ghost story in that he yeah. he was coming back because he had unfinished business, so he wasn't coming back to save the world. He was coming back because there was something that he had to do yeah yeah um and so that yeah it's not like it's not a triumphant return which is what you would usually expect to see in in, in a more mainstream superhero comic exactly yeah. it had me yeah. i was just like what the hell what's what what <laughs> and so yeah the lack of triumphant return ended up making the ending to this better yeah yeah that's interesting I like yeah that. I, i'll say like i think my favorite moment in the last issue was is when hellboy is floating around with ed gray and they they see the uh all the guys like hooked up to his the, the right hand of doom oh, yeah. and and hellboy's just like no and yeah. <laughs> he attaches his hand like i don't know why that like, that moment just worked for me yeah. so well because those guys have always just been lurking around in the background yeah being like so you know, pompous. Yeah, man. Thinking that they're the master manipulators of everything. And Hellbush is like, nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think, I mean, that's that's the moment too when it transitions from Lawrence Campbell to Mignola. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I think that that kind of just even like sealed that. As I don't know. To me, that was like the, definitely the highlight of the issue. One one thing I'm curious about, and I'm curious like other people's. Their, their read on this. So the very end, the very last page, with uh, Liz in the big yellow like crystal or amber or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had totally missed the connection to um, Frankenstein Underground. Right. The first time I read it, and and one thing that I thought is interesting. So for for Liz Sherman, she's always had the the crucifix is kind of one of her, like, the defining things of her, the way Mignola draws her, especially. Right. And mm-hmm. so like, they've got that in that very last uh, page. That's kind of like, that's, to me, that's identifying that that's Liz. 
but I, did, I don't know. I've always thought that that was a curious, curious choice for that character. I'm curious if you guys had any like I, thoughts about that. Now, a but, couple of people have brought that up too, Ross. You know, a couple of people have brought that up too, that there is this kind of imagery at the end too that kind of, you know, is Mignola trying to say something here or is that just meant to identify the character? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it now in terms of like the after Christ's resurrection and he appeared to a certain amount of people and then ascends into heaven and then you're left with everyone trying to figure out what what do we do now or what's next and so i wonder if there's some of that idea of the actual life of the character kind of being now up to like what like those frog people what what stories are they going to tell right you know, are, are they going to get the details right are they going to start some religion around you know liz wow That's, you know, I I don't know. I just kind of like think about it from that perspective as well. Kind of like what what the possibilities are, and that's that's part of why I think the ending works so well because it leaves you with just so much to kind of chew on. Ryan Yule. Oh, I read it as a single issue. The day that it came out, I first bought it on Comicsology because I wanted to read it first thing in the morning before I went to work that day. Nice. So I, yeah, so I read it right away, and, and then I went to the comic book store at lunchtime and I bought the uh, the single issue. I mean, I was looking back, and this issue was released, what, April 2019, which was almost two years ago. Yeah, from what I remember, I was I was pretty much blown away by it, um, especially getting to the Mignola pages about halfway through it. For some reason, I wasn't really expecting that, but I was pleasantly surprised that they're in there. Yeah. And then, I mean, as far as the ending itself, I think it ended the way that it was always going to end, the way that it was meant to end, and that we were always teased it was going to end. So, I mean, I was happy with the ending. I just read it again last night, just so it would be fresh in my mind. Nice. And uh, one thing that I was noticing, or that, that came to my mind, was that when the issue opens, it, it shows Hellboy on Earth, and he's dead, and his right hand of doom is no longer connected to his, to his body. And then they show him talking to Ed Gray, and he also no longer has the right hand of doom. And so I was curious how that worked exactly. This looks like a continuous story to me. I don't understand what's confusing about it. So you're you're just saying he just lost it in both. His his ghost version is current and up to date is what I'm saying. Okay. Like it's, <laughs> it's okay. he's a continuous being no matter like what type of being he is, I suppose. Am I saying that right? Like I guess yeah, I think it so. It just seems like he continues on. Yeah, awesome. and when I yeah, Ed kind of sums it up on his first page too. He says it's impossible to say exactly what you are now. Yeah, there it is, right? <laughs> like they kind of, they kind of. It feels like they kind of anticipated all of this. The the right hand of doom was never alive to begin with. It was just bound to him and followed him no matter where he went until it was removed. And so, because it was removed from him before he quote unquote died or didn't die or whatever happened to him, he moved on to the next stage. The hand didn't because it wasn't attached to him anymore. Right. Yeah. So then, is the hand that the Osiris Club gets, is that the same one that's laying next to him and Liz here on this first panel? I just assume so. I assume that. Yes. Yeah, they, they get it somehow at some point. Yeah, so how do they get it? Probably magic. Yeah, that's true. The, the same way that they're in a flying house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, it's, it's the apocalypse, man. They lean into it. House. Those are great <laughs> questions, though. Yeah. This is Ragnarok. Let's just lean into it. Quite a few of the questions that I have thought of 
have been about what happens after this whole issue is over. Right, I right. mean, it's been almost two years since it's ended, and we haven't heard anything else about it right. really since then. So I'm just curious. I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, where is Hellboy now? Is, is he gone forever? Is he still in hell? Well, I think the major lesson that we all learned was that n- nothing ends. And, right. like, the only thing that's forever is the idea of infinity and forever like it keeps starting and stopping the whole death and rebirth cycle kind of a thing so like he's around in some type of manifestation i mean i think we've seen like abe and liz have been re-manifested in some new world and so it's kind of like hellboy and hecate seem to be like the the center of it all i mean i would be shocked if he didn't exist in one form or another right or like yeah, I don't even know. He made know. existence possible. I don't even know how basically. to answer that. I he guess, is existence. You know, because, uh, you know, there's the watcher. He pulls the fire and then that becomes the hand. But then in this new version, it's like the frog mo- the frog guy touches the crystal. Is something going to happen there where it's going to create? Or maybe that's not even related to that, you know, because it's kind of right. like a different... It's kind of a, a different take on it. We talked about it where... The Watcher stole the fire, yeah. but here it was kind of like a natural progression. They were going to yeah. free this energy to create this, like kind of like the Shambhala that We've was underground. We've seen this like cyclical idea of nothing ever ends. So it's like, what would be the inverse yeah. of Hellboy? You know what I mean? Like, what would be the other version of that? Like an angel with a right foot of doom or something? Or <laughs> would it be of doom? <laughs> a giant boot? Would it be of doom or would it be like of blessings? There you go. Something? Yeah, something like yeah. that. I don't know. But what no, I mean, I, I, I don't think that, I think we've been, the lesson we're supposed to glean from this is like, it's not, it doesn't end. Mm. You know, the whatever the, the tree of, uh, what's it, the Yggdrasil, is now here and so then this becomes this and then it just yeah. goes one step further and one step out and one more it, what iteration begins and ends and it's like you know yeah but I, you know there are a lot of there, we talked about this in hellboy and hell but there's you know they talk about pluto that's down there we know that kashi is out there looking for that goat so like yeah there is something yeah. more to be said yeah. about what's happening on these planes would Hellboy still be there on that same plane with Kashi? I don't know. Yeah. And you think Ed Gray is still down in hell? What is up Maybe. with Ed Gray? Like, where do we see him last? Yes, Iris Club. Because when the right hand of Doom joins Hellboy, that's it. We don't see Ed Gray anymore. He's there with him that's in the true. house. And then after that, it's just Hellboy and Hecate. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It seemed like Ed Gray was just barely hanging on, too. Like, he was barely in existence. You know, he had been, like, almost annihilated by Rasputin and all that stuff. So, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I would like to see Ed, maybe Kashi, and Roger, if he's in hell. Those guys, like, and sitting in a pub having a beer and having a conversation. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was that? Uh, God, what was the name of that pub? The Drunken Limpet. Oh, there you go. Good job there. Yeah, good one. Right? Yule. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> So the other thing is what happened to the, the the people and the agents that made it underground. That's something I would like to see more of, uh, you know, them down there with with Frankenstein. Of course, yeah. And I mean, another big thing that's down there is the sword. Howard's yeah, sword is the down sword, there yeah. at the mouth of the cave where they all went right. down. So, yeah, I don't know. We don't really see. I mean, we get that little insert 
between Hecate and Hellboy where they show Shambhala, they show the the dinosaurs flying around. Mm-hmm. So I assume they're down there or they lived or they had lives down there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if anybody grabbed the sword and, and took it down on it to, to the underground with them when they went down there. Oh, uh, wouldn't it be awesome if Frankenstein got it? <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> Frankenstein Howard's underground. That's the ultimate. There you go. <laughs> That's a series that I'd read. <laughs> Tom Barnett. I read it as a single issue. When it when it was released, I read it. Oh, uh, so you got it that day? Tell me about that. So I got it that day, and um, man, it kind of blew me away. Like, uh, you, as you guys talked before, we could all see this coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but maybe there was some... There was some sadness that it really happened the way it did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, because, real. you know, reading comics, you're like, the good guy always saves the day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's, I mean, I guess, kind of. But, it's a different but kind of our narrative. Heroes yeah. Didn't really, yeah. Our heroes didn't really make it out. <laughs> It's a different yeah. kind so, of saving the day, right? I mean, they kind of did. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the thing is that yeah. that cycle of, like, death and rebirth is sort of too real. And we're like, oh, do I have to face my own mortality? Is that what's happening right now? Or well, there... yeah. Okay. All right. I'll do that. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's in there. Yeah. <laughs> I read it twice. And, you know, the first time I'm like, oh, my. Oh, shit. This is really. <laughs> that's it. You know, it really, like, you can hear the clang. At least I could in my in my head of oh, the Iron Maiden shutting. Yeah. You know, you get, that clang resonates in your in your skull, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, it does. for real. Uh, this this kind of came to me in further readings because I'm not sure how many times I've read it several times. Um, but in the beginning, I don't know. I think Mignola loves the Christmas Carol. Is it? Isn't that true? Yeah, it's Charles Dickens. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah. and so. The scenes in the beginning with um, with Edward Gray and HB really kind of feel like the ghost of Christmas oh. future or present as he's leading him through showing him these things. Yeah. And so I kind of yeah. got a Dickens feel from that. That's cool. Yeah, I love I dig that. that. That's rad. Yeah, I don't know if everybody, anybody else got No, absolutely. That? You I mean, absolutely I mean, that's spot me. on. No, that's spot on. It's not just you. Absolutely. Okay. It definitely gives that uh, that feeling of uh, Charles Dickens and this whole thing. I hadn't thought about it that way before you brought that up. That's why it's a book club. Yes. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the ending, yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's extremely well put together, uh, especially over the amount of time that they've been working on this story, mm. and you know, having Mike finish it seem yeah. extremely appropriate and it feels almost like like at the beginning it feels like the dickens like to me like uh, uh, but then at the end I, i'm not very well versed on biblical things but it feels very biblical sure right. at, at the end uh, and i'm not sure if that's intentional it probably was so the blood of hellboy washes away this old world and gives life to it and then you have, you know, the sons of Abe, of Abraham. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh. Populating this world with with what could maybe be Eve. I, I, you know, I'm not sure. Well, they also took it and smashed it into Revelations as well, because there's a lot of fucked up shit going on. Yeah. it makes dragons me, and... Well, it, it makes me think of, you know... dragon There was whatever. a really cool... There was a really cool double page, like, back in the... 
Black Flame, I want to say, where he was like, people are going to see the the dragon and they're going to think, oh, well, this is Revelations and this makes sense, you know, like, yeah. they're mm-hmm. going to tie it into yeah. all that. So, yeah, I remember there being some stuff like that. I didn't know if it was intentional. And like I said, Probably. I don't... I'm, I'm not, I don't know much about that stuff. Right. I mean, one of the lead characters yeah. was Satan for a while, so yeah. I think that's okay. <laughs> I think it's okay to draw that conclusion. I think that's an, all, that's an all right parallel. Did you have any other things that you wanted to talk about specifically regarding that issue? Yeah, I got one more thing. Did you guys notice? I love, did you know, I love this bit. I love, did you notice? This is my favorite. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. Please. Okay, so when they go into the Osiris Club, his eye, Hellboy's eye is still blue, his one eye. Yes! When, yeah. <laughs> when, when the arm reconnects, we got that big page where it reconnects, and then we have the explosion. Somewhere in here, okay, so then Hecate is there, and his eye is now orange. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what is I that? I don't know what to th- make of that. Maybe his soul is back. The, uh, uh, sure. I, I don't know. I, I I connected it more to like the Vril. Is that connected to okay. souls in some way? Like we've got a new element to this sure. now. Everyone's got their. This has been the ultimate sticking point so far. A lot of people have been bringing which this I'm up. I'm excited it's about that this is the one the where eyes, people the are color like, okay, of the eyes. this is the thing I want to talk about. It's so interesting. Yeah, I love that is that. so cool. And we have in the past discussed how color. <laughs> Is such an important part of this. I mean, we even had that thing that Mark Tweedell put together for us uh, about the colors over time and all this, what that means and all this. Yeah, so, you yeah. know, it's important. It's not like we're just like making something out of nothing. Like, oh, what if this is that? And it's right. just like weird conspiracy. Like, this could actually be, obviously, it's art. Like, yeah. why wouldn't it mean something? So, yeah, that's interesting. Well, and and I guess the way that I think about it is the right hand of doom is the hand that pulled the fire from the sky, right? That's the Vril, or sure. it's connected to the Vril somehow. Right. Yeah. So maybe when it reconnects with Hellboy, it's yeah, reconnecting the Vril or something like that. That's got to be it. Yeah. I heard a lot of sounds of approval there. That has to be, that has to be it. Very cool. That's why it's a book club. But, but another thing that we talked about, Tom, was... When Rasputin died, his eyes turned blue. And then we were just talking to a listener who mentioned that the giant in hell also had a blue eye or something like that. The one that was keep uh, projecting the box from Nimue had the same shade oh of blue eyes or something like Has that. Has blue so. eyes full of lies. Eyes are yellow. He's a good fella. Oh, is that right? <laughs> that's, that's how it goes. <laughs> Tech Pat. Uh, I definitely read it in the single issue. With with everything else, I, I read it in trade paperbacks. But once I knew, like, the last this was the last series, you know, I, I I did something I hadn't done before and actually bought them on digital as they were coming out. And I'd never bought digital comics before. Okay. Like I just I needed to see it immediately, you know. Yes, yeah. I feel that. That is so awesome. So, so tell me about that. Yeah, you know, as as, as soon as I realized it was it was up online, you know, I'd buy it. I know people say this term a lot, but, like, it was very bittersweet. Yeah. No, I feel that. You know, this is something we've been reading for, you know, more than 20 years, if you count, like, the original Hellboy series as well, you know. You know, we all knew this day was coming. It was was almost like high school graduation or or something. We all knew it was coming. (laughs) The day it does happen, you're like, oh, wow, you know. It felt very zen and very, you know, yeah, attachment. Some of the stuff I, I do for fun is I, I do some flip napping and make, you know, like arrowheads and stuff. And when I was learning how to do that, originally they, they kept telling me, you know, you have to learn disattachment to be able to do this right. Because one little strike 
on that rock, on that arrowhead, will snap the entire thing. And you can't fix it. There's nothing to do except go, oh, well, and move on to the next piece. Right, oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. And, you know, that's something I really learned with that, and that's what I felt reading this last issue was Hellboy and, and everybody else going into that, finally go, you know, accepting the disattachment to, yeah. to, to everything, basically. Yeah, that's, that's heavy, man. perspective. I love yeah. that. Fantastic. There's so many great moments. There's the, you know, seeing the Adr Jihad just crashed and dead. Yeah. yeah. It was wild. Very striking. Uh, uh, seeing Hellboy take out the, the Osiris order was, was very satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, the, the, that final bit with the, uh, I guess they're the new Abe Frogmen. I don't know what to call them, but, right. you know, the final bit with them, you know, uh, uh, touching the Liz and the Amber was just amazing visually, and it felt very, like, this is the beginning of a new religion or something. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Or the end of religions. Oh. Oh. No, but these are some great <laughs> highlights. These are some excellent highlights. Uh, but I, I think... I think my favorite moment, and I, I don't know if it counts, but it's in the book, is the the very last illustration of uh, the magician and the snake yes, statue. Yeah. A very oh famous, yeah. You know, it just it felt right to have that there. Yes. Yeah, we, we talked Agreed. about that a little bit. You know, it has um, it has the little frog there in front of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's very telling. That's a really nice way to, to cap it off. I think that that counts, and we didn't we didn't really talk about that on the episode. I'm so glad you brought it up. We've all been talking about getting the shapes tattoo, and yes. I was just like, well, you know, I might just have to get the whole statue instead of just the shape. Hey. Hey, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and, that would and, be and amazing. That's the perfect picture right there for that. You know? Absolutely. I, actually, I think uh, about an hour or so before you guys called me up, I uh, was talking to my tattoo artist to see about... Uh, we're talking to ours that, you know. right now. When We're talking to ours that, too. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's excellent. <laughs> it's I think incorporating that into the the shapes tattoo. I think incorporating other stuff into you know it doesn't have to just be the shapes. It can yeah, be the statue. It can be the shapes with other. Everyone's stuff is going to be yeah. a little different. So yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I just like because it's like the shapes, but it's also friendship. That's also friendship. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Aww, yeah. I I feel like uh, through the podcast and then also on Mike Mignola's art, like. There's been like some stuff going on, you know. There was that whole thread with the punching the Nazis. Remember yeah. when all that drama went down and all that kind of stuff? And I feel like, I feel like I know this guy. This is a good guy. He's a friend. You know, you've been there throughout yeah. the whole thing. It's it's a it's so awesome to be able to talk to you and incorporate you into the show. Yeah, well, who would have thought that would have, that would have been a controversial? Who would have thought? That's not kind. Should well, not yeah. be controversial in yeah. the slightest, especially not in a series that is mostly about. Defeating Nazis. Nazis, yes. Like that's <laughs> mostly what it's about. Uh, yeah. But I've I've definitely played the 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 listener feedback for my partner and, and other friends. Uh, whenever you guys have mentioned <laughs> my stuff or read my stuff, I'm like, look, they're talking about me Aww. right now. Oh, Aww. that's awesome. awesome. <laughs> Great. Well, they'll be able to actually hear you on the show when, yeah, when this one goes to up. Yeah, actually <laughs> talk to you. This yeah. is great. West Matice. I had read it as a single issue. I had to read it the day it came out. So, like, it got it, there was a point at which EPRD I stopped, and Hellboy too. Like, I would just let I would let my pile accumulate, and then I'd read right, it. Right, right. Because it was rough. It got rough. Yeah. To wait. Or right around wait. Wasteland and stuff like that. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so I'd wait and I'd read. And and most of the time, I'd just go back and reread stuff. Unless something cool was coming out that I wanted to check out. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I'd just go back and read it. Yeah, issue 15, I read right away. I actually did a similar thing to Matt, and I went out on my back patio with my dog, and he sat next to me, and I, and I read it oh. in the middle of nowhere, away from all the people. Nice. Oh, nice. Nice. So tell me about that. What was your initial reaction? I didn't have, like, it almost, like, was my brain melted out of my head and, and there was nothing in there anymore <laughs> like i don't know how to explain it no, any sure. different than that yeah but i i was like in shock and completely lost yeah and like i like and i didn't have the i had the book club at the time but i didn't have the book club at the time at this point right, right. so we didn't, like i had so many questions i don't know and i did i like literally didn't know what to do um, and i started going <laughs> back to comic books but like i was in shock like i like i read the comic book and then i I spoke to tobacco pipe and like hung out and walked around my backyard with my dog. And I was like, I don't even know where, oh. do, where do we go from here? Like what happens now? Like, what do I do wow. now? You know? I, um, wow. I love the idea of you after finishing the comic, you got to like, you're smoking a pipe out there. Contemplating with your dog. You're like, what does life mean? <laughs> 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 That's amazing. I yeah. love that. It's a very oh, Hobbit response. Man. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, that. there were so many things that made sense, but there were so many things that I, w- I just didn't, like, I didn't connect the dots that Hellboy was using Roger's body. Like, there were things that I was like, I don't even understand. Right. I don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't, um, I think I talked about this a little bit, but the all the Frankenstein underground connections were kind of, I didn't really... I wasn't expecting Frankenstein to come out, and then the Liz being in the crystal, that wasn't fresh in my memory, because that's in Frankenstein, you know what I mean? That gives you a yeah. lot of, like, precedent of, like, what that means, and so some of that stuff, I was also scratching my head and, like, what is this, you know what I mean? I connected it more to, like, the Vril, the 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 Watcher grabbing the Vril out of the sky versus the frog reaching up for that crystal, you know, that was the yeah, connection exactly. that I made. But then yeah. when you go to Frankenstein Underground, you're like, oh, my God, there's like a much deeper level to all this. And um, anyway, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, I, I love the return of Ed Gray. I like when Ed Gray popped up and like I read Hellboy in Hell, I almost wish I had met Ed Gray that way without the history of Hellboy in Hell. Like I, I sometimes started thinking about BPRD, how it, how it would have fit without me reading any hellboy and how, like what if i just started oh. from hollow earth and and read oh, it wow. and i don't think my reaction at the end of it would have changed that much like I, even with all these connections i still think it would have been pretty stellar like hellboy just disappears for like pretty like he's there in the beginning there's snippets of him in memory and then he just pops up in the end right and he does his job and and i don't know i i'm, I'm curious about that so i i loved ed gray and just how his character evolved at the end like the way yeah. he like who he was at yeah. the end was such a cool character he's like a dead wizard i have no idea <laughs> it is really fucking cool no when you think about where we started and where that ended up that's i i completely agree yeah and i like the idea that like if you were just reading that is so weird to think about if you were just reading bprd <laughs> and then ed gray fuck? pops up at the end and you're like who is this guy yeah. he's just like a floating wizard yeah i like the Agri- Agri- jihad seeing them dead at the end was satisfying yeah. Yeah, I love the Osiris Club coming back at the end as well. Yes. Um, because even even they were such an important part of the story throughout. Like they just kept popping up, and you know. And then um, <laughs> I I loved how they were like in their bunker in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <And then laughs> just, 
Yeah. Hellboy destroys it anyways. He's like suckers. Yeah. <laughs> Floating house. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot to love. I, after after I finished it like for a week and I processed and sort of went through, I, w- I went back and read all of Hellboy again. I was so caught up on like well, what happened with Hellboy's arm. Like why? Like I don't understand. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That like I had to go yeah. back and read it. Oh yeah, yeah. And then there's that scene at the end of the Wild Hunt. That's where they kind of talk about that. We're going to be there on yeah. the last day and we're going to take the arm and all that stuff. And I had for- I had yeah. kind of forgotten about that scene too. William Tunholm. I read Devilino Trade. Okay. Oh, nice. I think I got all the Devilino Trades at once, but then I read them like one at a time, one day each. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Spread it out over three days. That so, sounds but, awesome. It was. So having, Great way to spend the weekend. Yeah. Having the benefit oh, nice. of being able to just read it all in one go like that, um, what, was your, what was your reaction to it? I appreciate the entire story, mm. but I feel like 1 to 13... It's just the things that need to happen mm. before 14 and 15 when, I mean, that's just the great big finale that's yeah. awesome and everything we've been waiting for. So I appreciate both those parts, but I mean, the last two are the right. best, yeah. I think. Often when I like watch an entire series or read through an entire series like Buffy or Fables and stuff, then when you're done, you just feel empty yeah <laughs> but yeah. this time i actually didn't feel that and i think mm. that's that just means they really wrapped it up very thoroughly and in a great way i don't think that's something bad i think that they actually managed to make the ending that made me accept that it was over yeah oh nice wow when it comes to little things it's like the way they tie like finish mm. small arcs here and there you have the ever after and then the individual agents and just right you have the big story but then in it you have all these little scenes that like here we finish this thing and then here comes this thing and (laughs) they have it all in there even though it's not a lot of each but the elf world with the alice and so on when they're watching the sunset the watercolor part yeah those are so cool poignant yeah I really like the dragon joke with uh, Eddie Gray and Hellboy. Oh, that was a good little part where he's like, they asked me to get a dragon. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the final piece of Hellboy's very special kind of simple humor. Yeah. Yeah, that's... One last joke for the big fireworks thing. I think that's so sweet and very telling that that that's what would stick out to you. I think that's really... I like that. That's a great (laughs) response to that. That's excellent. (laughs) I kind of like the whole Hecate thing, mm-hmm. and I that quite a lot now that I reread it for this talk. First, you have Rasputin in most of the you know, like the big villain. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. Lucis and Hecate is the one who ultimately gets the last laugh. Mm-hmm. And I I thought about it, and the thing I like most about Hecate, I think, is. Like, you have all, all these bad guys. You have Rasputin, you have the Black Flame, you have uh, all of them. And they all say, oh, you are different and you are evil. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and then you have, like, the good guys who are very well-meaning, like Broom and Kate, who says, no, you're not different. You're one of us. Right. But, like, Hecate, she's, she has this attitude of, yeah, you're different. And you're going to do beautifully and you're going to change the world. In a like when you think about it, quite supportive way. Yeah. 
yeah. even though Hellboy doesn't accept it. I mean, she feels like, in hindsight, like a metaphor for the most supportive character. Sure. Weird, but I kind of like it. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I never thought that's, of it like that's that. That's a great perspective. And it's in it, hindsight it yeah. is make it it does make it different. Well, and she is this larger than life. Like you mentioned, oh, there's the good guys and the bad guys in these factions and that they all feel very like they're still you're still in the milieu of like earthly squabbles, but Hecate does have this kind of larger than life force of nature yeah. feel where she's just yeah. kind of a constant. She's just there. And it, it, it makes me think about we were we were talking to Matt about this a little bit when Hecate is talking to Ed Gray on the epilogue for Darkness Calls. She's telling him, like, all this stuff is going to happen, and Ed Gray is going to... He, he's going to hurt more than anyone else, and she just goes, this is not my curse upon you, it's just what will happen. You can't fucking... Yeah, this and is... I love that line, because she's just like, this is just what's going to happen, you know? And I love the idea that all the while when she was telling Hellboy, you and I will be together on the last day, she was like... We're going to do it together. Yeah. Yeah. Hellboy, you and I, we're yeah. going to remake the world. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. whole time she's like, it, it's fine, though. <laughs> it's all right. I love that. Yeah. That was such a great it's way to look at it. It's not a threat. It's just like, it just is. Good job. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Man. I, I love that. Mark Tweedell. Um, I actually read it uh, as a PDF uh, in advance of it coming out because um, for Multiversity Comics, um, we wanted to... Like, we'd been doing the column since Hellboy in Mexico came out, um, where it's just all about Mignola's books. And we'd had a lot of different people on the column at that point, and some had um, left um, in the years, and uh, others had joined. And we thought, well, you know, since this is such a major event, we wanted everyone to get in on an interview. Uh, sorry, on the review. Uh, the problem with getting a lot of people onto a review especially when everyone's in different time zones is it's basically one person writes a comment someone wakes up in a different time zone 12 hours later and writes another comment so it's an extremely slow way to write a review uh, also it's pulling in five different directions because there was five people involved in this particular review um, so we, what we ended up with was this absolutely epic document and the review that we ended up posting up on the site is about half as long as it actually was. I think the one that we ended up posting up on the site was about 7,000 words long. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what was your initial reaction? Did you have to go straight into work, or were you able to, like, sit with the ending a little bit? Uh, we didn't really get to sit with the ending, to be honest. Uh, it was. It's a case of, um, in order to, to get your thoughts there on, uh, like, you know, on time... You have to sort of hit the ground running. You start writing notes and everyone starts responding to your notes and you don't really get a chance to go back and uh, revise them too much as you've had time to mull on it because people have already responded to your responses and that would change their responses and it has a, a knock-on effect. And so you kind of have to commit early to what you're feeling and like, you know, going back and reading through it, there's some stuff where I'm like, I've sat on this longer. I feel different about this now. You know, like it's, it's very awkward in that regard. Like um, I feel like... Having an interview go up, you know, the day that it comes out sometimes isn't the best way to review something because some things, like this one especially, really requires you to sit on it. That's part of it is, is you know, how you mull it over over the weeks and years to come. Talk a little bit about that. What, what Any specific moments that you felt changed for you or that you see different that you want to talk about? There's a, a certain aspect of uh, when you've been reading anything for a really long time, 
you start to build your own ending. Um, it's the same, actually prequels kind of have this same problem where um, if you're reading, oh, Star Wars is a great example because everyone has such great, you know, such great thoughts about Star Wars. Um, <laughs> with the, if you're, uh, if you watch, you know, the original Star Wars when it came out, like the, that original trilogy, um, you had like 20 years to create the prequels in your head, you know, before they started coming out. And when people watched them, they didn't necessarily line up with their headcanon. And that, like, that just, it just makes people react differently. Sometimes, you know, like, you fall so in, fell so in love with the stuff in your head that you can't appreciate what's in front of you anymore. Uh, and so there's a bit of that where um, definitely um, there were certain character payoffs that I was hoping for that never happened, or if they did happen, they didn't quite come together in the way that I'd hoped. Um, it, it was mainly, like, small character beats that I was missing. Right. Um, I feel a little different about it um, stepping back from it because, you know, like, I feel like uh, I understand, like, the... With with The Devil, you know, probably more than any other series, you kind of have to step back and appreciate it as a larger thing because that's the context it was written in. It's hard to do, though, because I like being close to things. Uh, with the final issue, I, I thought that, like, the, the 15th, you know, the final issue was perfect. Everything that Lawrence Campbell did leading up to the Mike Mignola transition is just all fantastic. Um, for me, the big moment was, uh, to be honest, this was kind of the weird thing, because um, I'd had a conversation with Mike Mignola ages and ages ago, and um, we were talking about, like, you know, the grand universe stuff, and... Um, he he did that thing where he's like, I want to tell you the ending, and I was like, No, please don't tell me, you know, because <laughs> uh, he was like, I, he wanted to tell me ending, tell me the ending, because he thought I would appreciate it. I specifically asked for him not to, but <laughs> the thing is, uh, when I got to the ending, I was looking at this, going, Man, this is this is pretty much beat for beat what I had in my head, there with one exception, and that was Hellboy getting his hand back. Um, I like I knew Hellboy was gonna lose his hand and all that sort of stuff, but the idea of him taking it back had never once crossed my mind. Like, you know, I thought that, like, once he lost the hand, that was it. You know, that uh, and uh, at that that moment to me is, like, the mo it's one of the most defining moments for Hellboy. The idea that he was damned by this hand the second his father attached it to him, and it ruled his life, and he was free of it, and he could have left it alone, and the world would have been whatever happened afterwards, and it wouldn't have been good but he chose to take it up again. And that choice is the heart of the character. I, I adore that moment so much. I thought Lawrence Campbell drew the crap out of it. Like, it's one of those things I can't help getting emotional when I think about it because it's just such a perfect encapsulation of that character. And, and like, you know, the whole idea of, you know, uh, we, we've had that conversation a bit about, like, you know, Hellboy is always trying to push against his destiny. And uh, at the same time, he's got all these prophecies made about him and what i liked there was that this is a case of it was both he was fulfilling the prophecy while uh you know like pushing against the destiny that everyone told him you know like he he, it, he managed to do both at the same time it, it's a moment that is all about being himself and being a good person and it just I, it was perfect i i, I sorry i'm rambling no no that's great perfect, perfect. We haven't spoken about this, but I have to talk about the colors. <laughs> I know it's such a, t a typical thing of me, I know, but... Oh, um, I love it. It's... it's oh, I love, okay. Yeah. 
What I love about this particular issue is you can stand back and look at the pages as thumbnails and you can see the themes of the, the whole issue. Like, you see red, that's the connection to Hellboy and to Blood. You see orange, you know that's a connection to Liz and to Vril. You see green, you know that's a connection to Abe and the New World. Um, and that, that's a specific kind of green, by the way. And then, of course, sepia, which is the human race. We're all in sepia tones because we're like a faded old photograph, a relic of the past. Right. And I thought that whole thing was just so clever and beautiful. Like, you could easily describe um, Dave Stewart's colouring as simple, but I think that's misguided. I think it's more that it's just like Mignola's drawings. It's been refined down to its barest elements. And because of that, it works on just like this real gut level. You feel it immediately. Yeah, yeah. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, I, I'm so oh, yeah. glad you mentioned the colors. And also, I, I just really love the lily thing. Like, you know, like we've, had, we've known for ages about the lilies in um, Hellboy's blood and everything. We've known about these for ages. Uh, and... Like, I was looking up the meaning of uh, lilies, because most flowers have a meaning associated with them. So lilies uh, have to do with purity. And, you know, it changes depending on the color, but usually the white lily, purity. But they're also associated with rebirth. Yeah. Yeah, rebirth and motherhood, which I thought was like, that. okay, that's really, really cool. And, like, so that ties in uh, really nicely, because uh, one of the things that we've spoken about a bit already is how... Um, Hecate is defined by by what other people put into her. She's basically a power that becomes whatever you uh, you feed it. Right, it's, it's like yeah. the whole you know the two wolves inside you thing. Um, and and you know like when you think about her origins, she basically came into the world. This cult started up about her, put infants inside gold statues and burned them alive and fed their blood to her and all this sort of stuff. Like you know they they were pretty messed up. Uh, then in Wake the Devil. Rasputin puts a Nazi inside of her and encloses her inside an Iron Maiden and and everything. And now, this time, it's Hellboy that steps into the Iron Maiden. Like, we know what happened the last time someone got slammed inside the Iron Maiden. Hela became such a defining part of Hecate that when her secret name was used against her to capture her, her secret name was Hela's name. So, like, when Hellboy steps into the, the Maiden of Dew and it closes, that's so significant. You know, he's, he's giving up himself in a way that will completely define the world to come. You know, he is choosing what the power of Hecate should be. And the power of Hecate should be someone who is willing to sacrifice. Wow, that's so awesome. Wow. I never thought <laughs> of it. Yeah, she is whatever you feed her. So it's kind of like we've never got to see what Hecate could be yeah. with this kind of source or whatever. And I mean, there's all these other things in there too. Like, um, I mean, have you gone back and read Macoma since finishing this issue? No, but I, sh- I really should. Yeah. That's a good one. Oh my God. That, that, okay. Macoma basically says, this is what's going to happen in Ragnarok. And then you read Ragnarok later on. Yeah. Like it, it tells you what's going to happen before you get there. Um, what I love about it is um, there's this recurring iconography of giants. And, uh, you know, like you, you see Hellboy as a giant, um, you, like Makoma as a giant. You see um, Hellboy and Hell as a giant. The big fight between Rasputin and Hellboy, they're giants. Right. And his body, you know, is uh, like in, uh, uh, ends up becoming the vessel through which the world is remade, which I thought was very appropriate because in Norse mythology, which is where Ragnarok comes from, the world was created out of a giant's body. Ah. It was Ymir. 
I had a quick thing about the lilies. Um, we were talking to somebody oh, else. Yeah. We were talking to somebody else recently, and they were saying um, a similar thing. They were like, "Oh, and you see the lilies, but they're slightly different from the way that we're used to seeing them." And I think they are. And it's like they were lilies before, and I think there's still a type of lily here, but it's a different type of lily. Like, but I don't know. Extrapolating from that, now that I'm looking at it much closer, it looks like it might be a water lily. Oh. And these oh. insects look like they might be the type of insects that are born from water, like much like mosquitoes are, in, instead of like flies. Right. And That's actually like kind that. of appropriate when you consider the new world yeah. is people. So I wonder That's if that was. Really cool. Yeah, I wonder if that was deliberate because before we were all like, oh, lilies, but then I didn't notice that it was a slightly different looking, like a water lily. Nice detail. I love that. I feel like it would be deliberate just because Mignola, yeah. like, when he wants to reference something. Like, you'll see it. He'll he'll go and redraw a panel, and it's like he copies the composition exactly. Like, the lines are in the same places and everything, and you sort of go, okay, yeah, I know exactly what that is. And he's fussy about it even when other artists do it. Right. Like, um, there's stuff where um, he drew specific panels for Ben Stenbeck with uh, Sir Edward Gray's backstory, and he copies those panels exactly. You put them side by side, and it's like, my God, like, they're really paying attention. So I feel like he's been referencing the lilies for 25 years and it's always the same lily and then he suddenly changes it yeah there's no way that's an accident yeah, yeah. it looks like a water lily so it's like maybe nice. they're two dude maybe they're two different kinds of lily it's a different kind of world mm. right yeah, so it's that's a different seed that's cool. of the world but the, so. the blood still makes a lily like i think that's so interesting yeah wow maybe before like he was he was always like a fire dude and then now it's like, because, mm -hmm. you know, he was fighting like a dragon. He's like Hellboy. He does, he's a unified. And so now we're getting so much water-themed stuff right. going on. And so I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I love that. But you Perfect. made me, you, you reminded me of the person who had pointed that out. And then I went on this whole, and then I was looking at it and I was like, oh, it's a water lily. Good so job. Anyway. Very Sorry, cool. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You were on a, you were on a, a roll there. One of the things I did want to point out is like, all the prophecies that ended up happening, like they did end up happening, which is great. But uh, and, and um, someone actually on Reddit uh, recently posted um, something where they were saying, "Wait a minute!" Like, uh, I can't even think of his name. Fu Manchu guy from um, uh, Memnon Sa. Memnon Sa, thank you. Oh my god! Man, I thank got you. to I, I got to tell Mark a, a name. I caught oh. that on audio. I, it's it's, it's oh, recorded. I do that all the time. Like seriously, like it's 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 the good thing about writing these things is you know you always get to uh, sound like you know these things straight off the top of your head. But you don't. <laughs> so yeah, Memnon uh had all these prophecies and they were right. You know, Rasputin had all these prophecies and they were right. But the thing is, what makes them bad guys is not whether they're right or wrong it's what they do with that knowledge like they take that knowledge and they always want to uh, elevate themselves or to control it or to they're so sure of what comes next like they basically hear a prophecy which is one plus one and they go ah it equals three you know like that's that's pretty much what bad guys do all the way through this and what i love was basically going through this ending and seeing that like at any step of the way you could imagine like, basically, if uh, you can look at um, previous battles throughout the, the series and go, okay, if they lost this one, then you roll through the entire series and you get to this point later on, that event would still happen. Like, there's, like you know, the outcome of that battle, whether good or bad wins, um, doesn't change this event. But, the like, what comes afterwards, the fallout of that would be very different. And you can see that with things, like, even things like um, Hellboy taking back his hand, if he had just sat there 
and let it happen, the world still would have been reborn. He still would have ended up in uh, like like with Hecate. How that um, like a particular um, you know moment would have played out, I don't know, but it would have been different and it would have still been Abe's body that created all these uh, you know frog people but they would have been ruled by the Osiris Club then you go back even further what if Abe hadn't you know um, had that battle with uh, Strobel what if he just you know relented and let things happen well Abe would have been killed and Strobel would have been one and it would have been Strobel's people that populated the entire earth and you know like all these things they you know they end up in the same place it's still a frog people that rules over the world but it means a completely different thing. Right. I love oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to look at that. So this is uh, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, Frankenstein Underground was so core to understanding that final issue. Oh, because, it really I mean, like, was. If, yeah. you have, if you haven't read that issue, like, what must you think when you see what happens to Liz? Like, how do you even understand that? Yeah. Oh. Like... Boy. Because, like, that basically, uh, Frankenstein Underground is basically giving you context to understand her ending. You can look at that and say, oh, so she ended up, like, frozen in an amber. Yay, that's that sucks. You know, like, that, <laughs> that could very much be your reaction. You know, and that's that's not what that is. I mean, like, after reading Frankenstein Underground, you know that that isn't a prison. That's a protective amber. It, it means that she has literally been there for thousands of years inside an amber and the amber is protecting her from the passage of time you know that when the frog touches it that her consciousness and that frogs will merge like frankenstein underground and king thoth's daughter those two live on together as one being that guides all the people in the un in the underworld meanwhile in the overworld you have this frog monster well sorry frog person that merges with Liz and those two will guide everyone. So now what we've got here is when they, ages back in um, The Storm and the Fury, there was a moment when they said that, uh, like, the time that Hellboy bought them would uh, allow the spirit of humankind to survive. The time that Hellboy bought them was enough to get Liz to that position. Like, Liz is at the end in that amber and going to be reborn as a frog person guiding the ne the next human race because of what hellboy did in the storm and the fury that's the knock-on effect oh man <laughs> you're blowing my mind here but yeah so i never thought of that when frankenstein he merged with that the bean in the amber and that's why he has the little flame over his head and he's like meditating at the end of issue 15 right yeah it's a strange way, you know, you've got two beings living in one body, but, you know, I thought Frankenstein and uh, Thoth's daughter were at peace together. So, for me, I think it's it's a happy ending for uh, Liz. You know, she is an immortal being that gets, you know, to, to live in a new world that is going to be awesome. Like, all the, the weird, messed up stuff of our world has been stripped away by this, this crucible of rebirth. And what we've got is a kind of paradise world. I mean, she's basically in heaven without actually having to die. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a great way to look at it, too. That's a very hopeful outlook towards yeah. the, end of the end of the story. I, I felt the ending was very hopeful. I mean, like, that. I think that's kind of like the thing that I get confused about when people react to this, saying how bleak it was and how terrible. Like, again, I think it's just people always want that the human race 
somehow stops the end of the world and everything is fine and I'm like all things must pass and I I wanted to see a story about what happens when something passes it's it's uh Mignola said before um that this story was always about the long defeat so it isn't a story that's going to eventually win with the good guys you know end with the good guys winning it's going to be a story about how they choose to face their end it, it, it was all inevitable in the end. I mean, you go back and look at Conqueror Worm, right? I know. How crazy is that? Like, you you go back and look at Conqueror Worm, and there's your panel there, and you're going, oh my god, that's Abe's corpse. Like, you're looking at, like, Abe's corpse in Conqueror Worm. It just blows my mind. That's a trip. Yeah. After I finished reading the issue, uh, I texted John, and he's like, go look at Conqueror Worm. He didn't even tell me what to look at. He just, go look at it. So I went and looked at it. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, I actually kind of have a question for you then. Okay, yeah. So, okay. So, from the beginning of The Devil You Know to the end of issue 14, before the massive time jumps of, uh, number 15, how much time do you think passed? Oh, okay, um... I mean, the, like, the panels, every scene was literally time-stamped, and I'm very curious to see if you actually noticed how much time passed. That was something that, as we were reading, I was like, I should probably be keeping track of this. Is it some? Is, yeah, so, I feel do like you a know lot the, of people are thinking that. Dude. <laughs> I do. I have. Come on, you think I'd ask that and not know? Yeah, of course. So I mean, um, I, I guess I'm gonna just guess off the top of my head since it was time stamped, and it seemed like it was just hourly. I would say maybe just like a couple of days. Is it like a handful of days yeah. up until fourteen? It's three days. Wow. Oh, so basically, wow. you have issues one and two are the first day. Day three starts up in the middle of issue six. That from issue six all the way to the end uh, of issue fourteen is one day at that point. Just to put this, you know, like in, in a frame of reference, we started reading the like as it was coming out monthly in July two thousand seventeen. Uh, so the issue fourteen came out March twenty twenty. So you're spreading three days out over, you know, like almost two years wow that it kind of gives you a sense of like um how decompressed the time starts to become we talk about uh quite a bit about how this story feels like a mad rush and in in some ways it is but at the same time it's super decompressed i mean you can literally look at like several issues and go oh yeah 41 minutes passed right okay the the interesting thing is uh i actually like i i get why they were doing it because like it puts a ticking clock on things like the the whole idea is as soon as you start posting these times it's just like oh man there's something coming you know it's like having a clock going right every time you know uh but i feel like at the same time because of the the scope of everything they're constantly jumping between different time zones you lose a frame of reference like I mean, you, when you're jumping just across America, I mean, it's like three hours difference from one coast to the other, and then you've got everywhere in between as well. And so, like, you lose that sense there, and then you lose it even further when you start jumping to Africa and to Europe, where right. the time zones are different again, you know, like... So I feel like this was something where they had a certain idea, and I understand why they chose it, but I feel like ultimately it worked against them. Um, there's actually... A moment in there. I'm curious if you even noticed. Did you catch the one moment where we went back in time? <laughs> yeah. You know, we're following an event, um, and then suddenly we go back in time, I think, about five minutes. And the thing is, like, you don't even notice. Like, 
they're literally time stamping these things and nobody noticed we went back in time. When is it? Uh, it's just for a really minor scene. I think maybe it's when Rasputin appears and there's that's a big epic reveal and it takes a long time and they want to give all that moment its breathing space and they cut to another scene and they go back a few minutes just so that they can show this moment and things leading up to it. I can't remember where it was exactly. Um, I'd, I'd have to look around, but it, it was it was an extremely minor scene. It didn't really have to, to be there, but it was just kind of an odd thing if you are paying attention to the timestamps. And this is where I, what I really wanted to talk about, which is the timestamps I felt like is probably one of those things where it created some of the structural problems that I think people responded to in that like once you commit to it you're locked into it and it means that certain like you have to respect the order of events whereas like if you look at uh bprd in um like in other stories if you're paying attention you will subtly notice that the two storylines that you're intercutting to do not make sense in times of time Mm. like You'll have a story where one of them unfolds over a period of a few hours and another one unfolds over a few days. You don't really notice because you're reading the book and you just you get into it and you're just following the story. But they do this all the time and they it's it's common in all kinds of media. I mean, Game of Thrones was doing it all the time. They have, you know, plot lines where it clearly unfolds over a period of a year in one season, but another character experiences a period of three months. And that's okay. You're allowed to be reflexive with time because later on that character that had the uh, story that you know kept, um, took three months will hop on a ship and they'll go on a journey and that journey will take a year so they catch up again but it's just who wants to be intercutting for the re- the other half of the season to them just sitting on a boat no one like <laughs> you're allowed to be flexible with time here um people can get a bit literal minded with this stuff sometimes and and unfortunately like i feel like this is a case that that did that because it meant that um you had to to have things happen a certain way because one event is unfolding and you know that they're going to get to this place at this time and it's going to take this long to get there it kind of forces you to um when you're doing an issue and there isn't much progression on um a particular storyline you still have to check in on it because at this time such and such is going to happen you're not going to get the payoff until the next issue because we're not far along enough in the timeline but we have to drop it here because that's where we are in the timeline now Whereas, like, if you were writing it in the more flexible format, you would drop that storyline from that issue entirely, start the next issue with that scene, and end the next issue with its follow-up. So you get the payoff and the planting in the same issue. Right. So this is this is what I mean about, like, my main problems with the final arc are, oddly enough, just structural things like that. I feel like it gives everything an odd pace, and you can tweak some things, and it would become a bit cleaner. But anyway... I appreciate what they were trying to achieve, though. Yeah, that's really interesting. I would love to see that breakdown of how how much time passes. I need to go back and do my due diligence on that. Or you could just send me a shortcut to it, Mark, if you're Yeah, so I can inclined. send it to you. <laughs> I awesome. don't have the locations or anything because I was doing this quickly, but I've got all the timestamps um, written down and the issue that they were in. Also, yeah, the end of the world apparently happens in October. Oh, <laughs> which I, I gotta I gotta say, uh, as someone who is a fan of Keeper and the Age of um, Wonder Beasts, that that's a nice tie-in because you know they also ended the world in October. Ah, wasn't Hellboy's birthday in October in Hell? Um, oh, when was his one in Hell? I should know that date, but I don't. Does it? Do you know exactly what date that is in October? Does it say? Uh no, it doesn't. Um, they're they're. 
very reluctant to put dates on um, these things, mainly because uh, whenever they do, it creates uh, continuity issues. Um, like like John Arcudi, all the way through um, uh, Plague of Frogs, um, was tracking dates quite diligently. And uh, at a certain point in Hell on Earth, as the Abe Sapien stuff started happening, they realized that having two series running in parallel and trying to keep the dates correct was going to drive them mad. And uh, they found ways to avoid talking about it, but there's continuity gaffes there. Right, right, yeah. The thing is, uh, BPRD has, um, like, after 2006, slips out of sync with the release date of the comics. Up until 2006, basically when a comic came out was roughly the time that happens in-universe as well. But then 2006 happens, uh, and it starts slowing down. The warning, the Black Goddess and King of Fear happen over a period of about three to four months, uh, and they were published over three years. You know, like, the, the slip, like there's a major slip out of sync there. Um, I think when I worked it out once, you could place King of Fear around, I think it was 2009 or 2010? I don't know, possibly as early as 2008. But anyway, like, placing the time gets really, really difficult. Um, there are one or two things you have to ignore to kind of make it work. Right, right. Okay. I know a lot of people have this problem, and uh, it's come back in, in the feedback where, like, they feel like um, they weren't really close to the characters in the final arc. Um, there's a bit of distance there and i kind of i get where they're coming from because like uh hell on earth was very very character driven and when you were experiencing a scene you weren't just getting the plot of what's happening you were getting the point of view characters feelings about what whatever was happening you know it really dug into that kind of stuff it tried to make you feel not just what they're feeling but um how they feel in that world with other characters like um but yeah, so when you get to, to The Devil You Know, um, it has so much to get through. And I, I think because of the format that they chose, which is to come out issue by issue, they had to structure it very carefully around having certain reveals always in the fifth episode of an arc, uh, issue of an arc, and then having to have a long break between arcs so that people reading the trades wouldn't be spoiled. And I appreciate them going to that trouble, but I think it really limited them in a lot of ways. Like, it kind of meant the story was contorting to the format rather than being told in the way that was best for the story. Mm. It created a few redundancies. You know, if you're you're reintroducing Hellboy, you have to reintroduce him at the end of issue five because you know there's going to be a long break. You know that's you need that cliffhanger moment to be like, ah, you know, like we want people talking about this until, you know, that next bit comes along and... But if you had, say, for example, uh, decided to int- uh, do this series as a series of graphic novels, then you could potentially have had the reveal mid-book, and it still has the same effect of that cliffhanger. Right. You know, um, you, like, because people still finish and go, oh my god, Hellboy's back. But it doesn't have to be on the last page anymore. Um, it also means that, you know, like, uh, if you decide to do kind of more episodic stories within it, then you can do things where, like, the reveal at the end of issue 10 with Vivara, you could have had, like, the story about Vivara as an epilogue to that volume instead of having to shoehorn it at the beginning of the next arc. Mm. And it just kind of gives things a bit more breathing room and allows you to react to the here and now in, in more dynamic ways, which gets you closer to the characters. The structure, I felt, like, was... It had to hit the structure in such a way that it was constantly having to, like, 
concertina things where the characters were concerned and I felt like that's where that you lost the synchronization there um, and then there was moments that were missing that I really wanted so if you put two things in the same panel you're making a statement whether you want to or not so if you have O'Donnell dying and you have dialogue from the overlapping scene that's going to follow next what does that dialogue say about O'Donnell's death right and I don't think the dialogue from the overlapping scene in that particular case really said anything much except that he was a character and he died and it was kind of like you know no one really noticed I mean like it was just another death another mark on the the wall and the dialogue for the like it feels almost like um it's copying movie language where they frequently um do this thing where you'll be watching a scene and to tie and edit together better they'll do overlapping dialogue from the next scene or a sound to bring you into the next thing and it's not necessarily making a comment on the previous scene though it should if it's done well but it's just a way to make you not notice the edit right and i feel a little bit of that was happening there where like again because of space concerns they compressed that moment but like just in terms of what they're saying about O'Donnell's death, I can't help th but think, man, if they had removed those speech bubbles and just played that scene out in silence, just had all those beats of him falling and dying, making you look at those panels and saved all those speech bubbles for the next page, right. my God, imagine how much different that death suddenly reads. You know, like, you suddenly get to spend time with it. But of course, if you move those, you've suddenly inserted another page. You now have got a 23-page issue instead of a 22-page issue. Like... A lot of this stuff is space things. I can see why it's really becoming more and more popular for final issues to suddenly have 80-page issues and things like that, because um, especially with a really big cast like this, they can tweak things to massage the timing better. Right, yeah. But yeah, for me personally, the, the, like this is a, a, a strange thing I'm missing, but I would have absolutely loved a moment where Abe gets killed and... And we're kind of like, you know, I'd like a, I would have liked that battle to all, all play out with, you know, like um, Hellboy dying and everything. But instead of that happening at the end of, you know, issue 14, I would have liked to have had it, say, happen at the end of issue 13. So basically Hellboy dies, Abe dies, you know, that, all, that whole battle ends. And then you have a whole other issue saying, okay, they died. This is what their deaths bought. And then we spend all the next issue with all the BPRD people rushing to get underground and everything. And I would have, and you know, I sort of had, like, it, I felt like that would have made it feel more significant. So you could do things like, for example, having a moment where Abe's corpse is lying on the bottom of the water and Abe's ghost is sitting next to it and sort of going, it was all just for this. And Shonchin basically showing up and, you know, consoling him, basically having a moment where he's, you know, I'm here for my friend at the end. Like, I'm, I'm glad I get to spend this moment for you and giving him the context he needs to move on. Things like that, just stuff that doesn't really add much to the story, but gives us a little bit more context to understand what we're seeing. Because, like, while I get into this stuff and go, oh my god, it means this and this and this, I know that, like, there were other readers um, where, because they just did not have this encyclopedic reference that's like well, i don't get what that means you know um one of the reviewers on multiversity was like that he'd been reading the series very casually and it was just a lot of it was going over his head right yeah i could totally see that i think the abe thing was something that i also felt like i think we could have had a little bit more time with that you know uh it would have mm. been great i think if they would have had a, a, another issue i like the way that you kind of laid that out 
like I feel like it's a kind of strange thing where the last issue, like issue 15, isn't really a BPRD issue, it's a Hellboy issue. Like it almost feels like we needed issue 15 to be a goodbye to the BPRD and then the final issue that we got was, you know, like like you basically get BPRD, the devil you know, Ragnarok from, you know, uh, 11 to 15 and then you have the 16th issue would be Hellboy Ragnarok, you know, like it's this extra thing yeah. at the end that fu functions as a coda to all of it. That would have been awesome. To say that it should have been longer, I feel like if it had been longer, I think we would have felt like it was too drawn out. Because can you imagine if like they had done the devil, you know, as they'd originally planned? Because it was originally meant to be as long as Plague of Frogs, where like the vampires come back and you just get like a long drawn out thing of them fighting the vampires and ultimately defeating the vampires. And what does the vampire thing really add right. to the story in terms of the meaning of the end of the world like the vampire storyline the way it ends with this kind of cosmic joke on them is extremely thematically relevant but again i feel like it would have landed so much better if it had been brought up in the first arc and wrapped up in the first arc as well like um it, it, they they have this thing where in the first arc you have the vampires show up in um america and they they fight them and go oh no the vampires are back then later on they have vampires show up in europe and they have another fight there and i'm just like man you should have just had a bprd team in europe confined the whole thing to europe and started and finished it in the first arc so that you can see the thematic shape much more clearly and then it frees you up to do other things in the remaining two arcs yeah the the only other thing uh, is basically to do with the character death stuff because a lot of characters died and I've, and a lot of people responded that they didn't they just felt like they were killing them off like flies and that's appropriate but at the same time it's also redundant because death in real life can be random and tragic and and just like you know frustrating in the way that like it just feels cut off with no meaning but we give meaning to things later on it's just the way we are and that's why we write stories. Stories is part of us trying to give meaning. And so when you have a story trying to resist meaning, you, you get a bit of a problem there. And it, it can work, but you have to get, you have to do it really well in order for it to work. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so if you look at the way deaths were treated, say, in Hell on Earth, uh, especially like Kate, Johan, and Panya, their deaths are basically thesis statements about their lives. Like, it says something about who they were as a person. When you look at the deaths in The Devil You Know, not so much. Uh, a lot of characters die just because people need to die because it's the end of the world. And I mean, like, you can do that to an extent, but like, by the time you're getting to the sixth or seventh person, you're hitting diminishing returns because how many times can you say the end of the world is bad and people are dying before you're just saying the same thing over and over again? Right. For me, the deaths that really worked and, and had like a thematic shape well, like, say, for example, you have uh, Tian's death and you have that moment of reflection with uh, Liz and how everyone sees the way she's reacting. And then you have that conversation with Carla and then you have a bookend to that when Carla herself dies and Liz is there to witness that. And I feel like that's something that's there in the current version but could have been massaged just a little bit to kind of give that a stronger thematic shape overall. And, um, and the other one was uh, Bruno in the graveyard you know like with uh, Kate I felt like it was a nice little middle death between that that kind of 
expanded on those themes a little bit and and closed it off. Uh, those ones those ones really worked. Yeah. Uh, the other ones, aspects of them worked, um, but I felt like you know you could have got more out of it if you just changed the shape of it a little bit. That is such a good point. I I think that those deaths were effective, but yeah, I I, I do kind of agree. You know, you kind of play that line with well. This is how it really is. You know, you really don't have time to, especially if it's over three days. But, yeah, I, 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 I like oh, yeah. the, uh, I, I like those kind of uh, headcanon rewrites that you had there. How did you first come across the Hellboy comic? How did you first discover Hellboy? Brian Levy. Did any of you have a PSP, PlayStation Portable? No, I but I, uh, oh, you had it, Aubrey? I'm familiar with it. <laughs> yeah, I had it. Uh, I bought it like right when it first came out because I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna be amazing, and I barely. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that that's sort of how it how it goes with that thing. But um, my dad worked at Sony, right? So like at at some Christmas, like 2005, I must have been 14 years old or 13, oh, little baby boy, uh, <laughs> and we got a we got a PSP from my dad's work, right? And one of the movies that came on it, they had these like awful little discs that you know you played movies off of them yeah i remember those yeah one of these the umd universal mini disc baby yeah that's good uh (laughs) the revolution in digital technology uh one of the movies was hellboy and okay i remember my brother and i used to just we would sit in the back seat of the car and we would just watch the first hellboy movie over and over again because it was the coolest shit we've ever seen oh wow we couldn't get enough of it. And then a couple of years later, or three or four, I've, you know, 2008 rolled around, Hellboy 2 comes out. We've also already seen Pan's Labyrinth at this point. We're turning into GDT heads. Yeah. You know, and, and so there's that. And then, but I still haven't read any comics. And then it's really silly, but in the background of a scene in the movie Kick-Ass, there's a Hellboy poster, but it's comics Hellboy. Yeah. Um, I think I remember that. Yeah, that turned me on to the books. After I saw Kick-Ass with my friends, like, late high school, I was like, you know what? I like the Hellboy movies, but that art uh, looked cool, didn't look like the movies. I want to check it out. And I bought the first trade. And uh, there you go. I've loved it. I mean, I'm 29 now, and uh, that must have been when I was, like, 18, 19. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's been, it's been, like, a decade. That's... That's my Hellboy story. That's your Hellboy awesome. story. I love it. Yeah. Craig McKnight. Um, I actually wasn't invested from the beginning when it first came out. It would have been shortly before the first movie came out. Um, it's when I was still in the military. Uh, my roommate at that time, I was just sitting on the couch, and he walks past me and chucks a, a Seat of Destruction trade paperback at me and nice. says, read it. Nice. Not- Oh, nice. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Um, And and from that point, you know, obviously I started digging into what was available at that time. And then from that point on, I was buying every single issue. Drew Campbell. So, like I said, I guess that was like the late 90s. uh, And I was a big Tool fan. And I was on the Tool website and it had like a little section that was like suggested reading. And one of the things was Hellboy. That's so cool. So I was like, all right. So I'd already been into comics, you know, for a while. And, uh, you know, I had a subscription to Wizard Magazine and stuff. So I had seen the character, and but it never really was, you know, I never dug into it or anything. So I was familiar with with the existence of the character and what he looked like and everything. And 
you know, the Wizard magazine would have jokes about him having goggles on his forehead and stuff. So <laughs> I, I kind of knew all that stuff, but I'd never, you know, never had tried, to, you know, reading it or anything. So then when it was on that list, and I was like, well, I guess I'll maybe I'll check it out. And the next time I was in the comic shop, I looked in the in the in the racks, and they had a I think it was almost Colossus. It was either that or Box Full of Evil. Uh, so I picked it up, and uh, I've been hooked ever since. Niklas, I saw the movie. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I saw the trailer of the first movie, and I was uh, I wanted to see it. I went out with my mother and her boyfriend, and then there was this. Uh, you can't uh, the the publisher of the German edition of Hellboy did uh, a little print of the first of the first issue. Mm. Uh, it was for free. You could just oh, cool. take it uh, with you. I still have it. That's wow. Cool. That's cool. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I got into Harvard because I read that first issue. And now I see, yeah, now I see, okay, this is kind of typical 90s action, but it's still its own thing. Yeah. And I was hooked and I wanted to see the comic and to read the comic and I got the first collection and then I was hooked and then I wanted to read more and more Hellboy. Awesome. Nice. Oh, that's great. Nice. If you get some some spare time to look around for that, if you find that, if you ever come across that, would you mind getting like a picture of that and like sending that to us? I would be curious no, no. to see the thing. That's what I was going to say the too. Book, yeah. yeah. I would love yeah, to get yeah, a picture of that if you have a chance. No, no problem. I will send it. I will send it to you. Yeah, I, we'd love to see that. We're just I curious. Know where, I know, even know where it is right now because I have a... Uh, uh, cleaned up my my room and my uh, library, so I can nice. finally find things. I guess. <laughs> that's a good feeling. No, that's that's so, so interesting. Yeah. That's so cool. And you know, I think a lot of people have mentioned that you know they're like, oh well, the movie got me interested in yeah. this, and I was like, what's all this? What's this Hellboy yeah. about? So that's interesting yeah. that they, you know, when they made that movie, how many readers? So well, many readers. I think that's cool. They had the issue. They had like a little issue. Yeah, they were to like, hey, out. by the way, hey, this here, is a comic check book. Out the yeah. Comic. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it was for free and they and they mentioned stuff yeah. like, Oh, there's the Baba Yaga and Crazy Witch and there's a Nazi <laughs> with a with a gas mask and uh, a crazy <laughs> grenade another crazy Nazi head with a gorilla. Uh, you read the stuff and you're like, okay, I want to know more now, all right. And they all get their asses kicked and it's great. Yes. Yeah. Nathaniel Green. I hate you know. to be this guest, but I'm gonna tell you how I didn't come to read the comics. Because <laughs> in a, like nineteen ninety three I was maybe 11 and just getting into comic books and I had wizard magazine and I loved the casting column too, just like you guys and you know, oh, yeah. fitting the movie characters. I and used to love that. Yeah. Man, that was great. Somehow I missed Hellboy and read too many articles about this jackass Todd McFarlane and this fucking title called Spawn. <laughs> and I just, and I was consumed by that. And I always felt like that was, I, I missed, you know, uh. that was the Hellboy train. And it's funny, um, I have a local tattoo artist who's a buddy of mine. He was at the same convention, and we were from San Diego. We were at the same San Diego Comic-Con uh, chatting with Todd McFarlane at the same time. And my buddy, the tattoo artist, he was way more into Hellboy at the time. He's kind of like mm. my evil doppelganger. Nice. And that's <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> uh, two, two years ago at Rose City Comic-Con, he went up with me to meet Mike Mignola. And he uh, signed my forearm, and then my buddy, my doppelganger, drove us three hours back to Roseburg, and at two in the morning, he opened his tattoo parlor and filled it in, so now I, I have that with him. That's nice. amazing. That's so cool. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. That's how awesome. I didn't come to read Hellboy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, and I hate to say it, but uh, the movies reeled me in. Yeah. I was just at a reading funk and I wanted to pick something up. And a, well, another buddy who's really passionate about comic books. He's like, you start with Hellboy. It's a great, great place to dive in. Yeah, no, that's okay to, to see something, see a, a piece of yeah. media and be like, oh, I wonder what else is behind this. Let me look at the it thing that job. started this yeah. off. Yeah, sure. I mean, why not? Yeah. That's, that's fine. Chet Pack. I had started reading all the mainstream stuff when I was younger, when I was like, you know, 12, 13. And uh, I had seen images of Hellboy. Okay. So I was familiar with his name and his image, but I, that's all I knew. And then, you know, they announced the movie was going to come out, and I saw the trailer right, and said, yeah. oh, that looks cool. I should start reading the books. Nice. Wes Matthijs. So in high school, I, I met my friend Bill at the comic book store, and uh, we became fast friends because there wasn't many of us that were, like, avid comic book readers, maybe, maybe car- like, fans of, uh, kind of characters, but like we were avid readers, right? Right. Uh, we went to the same high school, but he was he graduated before me. And Aubrey, like you, remind me of him tremendously. Let's get along very well. <laughs> Old Bill from the comic book store. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he actually got me into Hellboy. He 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 gave me an issue of Hellboy. I want to say I was a senior in high school. It was like 2001. I think he got me the first trade. He got nice. me the first trade, and he got nice. me the Goon and Hellboy. Nice. Like that. The Weird Tales Goon and Hellboy, he got me that. Because we were in the Goon. Like, we read Goon together. And then he was like, you got to read Hellboy. And then I read Hellboy. And I didn't stop reading Goon, but I was, like, all in. I was, like, pretty much right away I was hooked. And then it was, like, shortly after that, Mignola came to New York Comic Con. When I started going to New York Comic Con, like, it was a kind of a thing. There was a bigger con um, elsewhere. The Comic Con was still pretty small. Getting tickets was super easy. Me and Bill always bought four-day passes, and it was super oh, nice. affordable. Like, we could go for four days, and we can afford it. And it was like a small press expo, too, you know what I mean? So a lot of the people that were there, um, it was a small community. So there were, like, people that were trying to break into the scene or that were writing and selling books. Like, we became friends with these people. It was very much like I, like we su- supported small comic books and then went and geeked out with, you know, whoever, whoever was there. That's fun. But yeah, the first time that I met Mignola, I knew what day he was supposed to be there and when he was supposed to be at his booth. And I worked at an ad agency, like, down the street. And I went there one of the days, and he, like, he was just out in the common area. And I want I want to say he was with his wife. But right. I, I'm not 100% sure if yeah. he was with his wife. And I had some back and forth with her, too, like, because I had bought a sketchbook from him, and it got lost in the mail. And she was, like, super great. She's, She's like, nice. all these things happen. Yeah, and she, like, wrote, amazing, wrote me a yeah. nice note and sent a note with the... Um, with the sketchbook, like apologizing, and be like, "Oh, I didn't want an apology." No, yeah, they're both super <laughs> sweet people. Wow. Yeah, uh, it was yeah, it was super awesome. But so they were there, and I brought up that story to them, and uh, and I was like, "Oh, you know, I had my sketchbook," and I was like, "Mike, you know, can I just have you sign my sketchbook?" And he did a little doodle, Aww, uh, nice. and and signed it. And I put that sketch someplace very. You know, Mike, I like I feel horrible telling you this. I put that sketch someplace special. And I have yet been able to find it in the like four or five moves that I've done in no, the past. Yeah, like, you, you put it someplace oh. special, but it's so it doesn't get lost. Place, and you can't. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's not lost. It's not gone. No, forever. right. But I mean, One you day just, I'm yeah. gonna find it. Yes, right, right, right. No, but I know <laughs> right. what you mean. Where you're like, oh, I'm gonna put this <laughs> but, someplace special so that nothing happens to yes. it. And you're like, where the fuck yeah. did I put oh, this? Oh no! Wow. Yeah. Well, you'll find it. You'll find it soon. I believe you will. Yeah. Yeah. But it. So I did. So it, that happened, and then. The next day, I was going to go and get comic books signed. So I didn't bring anything for him to sign that day. The next day, I came with a stack 
you know, and he was only supposed to sign one or two, but he signed the stack. He did them all. Nice. Um, oh, nice. So nice. Yeah. I think Mark Tweedell was there. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Oh. And this probably also oh, wow. be, like, is a little bit, but I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Mark Tweedell was there. William Tunholm. I mean, the first time, I think I was like six oh, wow. years old. Uh, my father has a friend who is a total Hellboy nerd. Cool. And I was at his place and just looked at all his posters and figures he had. So I was always quite aware of Hellboy as a concept. But then I didn't really start like reading it myself until I saw the movies. The Guillermo okay. del Toro ones. Nice. And you're like, I got to check this out for reals. Yes. Uh, and so I got like the first first four trades and i read them and i was like yeah you know this is it's good comes uh, and then a few years later i found this podcast <laughs> and through them all and introduced the bprd and like hooked me forever wow. oh wow things i printed in the entire mignola verse in my shelf so wow Oh, we wow. got you really into it. Wait, so so you hadn't you hadn't read BPRD before you started uh, listening to the show? No, wow. just like four Hellboy wow. trades. <laughs> oh, that is so cool! And I'll tell you, here I am. Aww, <laughs> friendship. Wow. Because that's I haven't really regretted it for a second. Aww, that's wonderful. That is that's so cool, <laughs> Brendan Carter. I think the my first Hellboy experience was definitely the Guillermo del Toro movies, which I loved. And I feel like when those came out, or when I really got into them, I, I think I tried to get into Hellboy, and I just wasn't reading comics at that point. And, and maybe it was jarring to go from the movie that I was really into to the comic, because they are very different, yeah. especially yeah. Destruction. So I think it just took a backseat for a while. And it was really um, just becoming really good friends, or just being a, a, going to my local comic shop a lot. And getting a lot of recommendations from them um, at Memory Lane Comics in Wilmington, North Carolina, if you're ever there. Nice. And, uh, Plug your LCS. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, man. And um, so uh, one of them said, hey, have you read Hellboy? And I was like, I, I did a while ago, but I've always wanted to get back to it. And so he recommended doing that probably around the time that the omnibuses started coming out. And, uh, and, and that's when I bought the first one, went through it, and had to get all the others and went into BPRD. Sweet. Awesome. Nice. Clayton Schofield. I think it was about two thousand two or or maybe there about when we when we heard about that there was going to be a Hellboy film. Um and then I I dove into the those first first few Hellboy trades and it was good and I had to pick, I picked up the BPRD by trade as well. So when the film came out I think I was already on like I had a, probably on the issues of Hellboy about the island, I think it was. Oh wow! Before the film, so and then and then um, for BPRD, it was probably I jumped off the trades to issues around the Killing Ground. The Killing Ground covers were just so crazy. I I couldn't yeah. um, well, I thought I saw those issues on the shelf, and those covers were just like something's called the Killing Ground, and I'm going to wait for the trade. I yeah. don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So from from that moment on, I was. I was in, I don't know, it's hard to describe because Hellboy and BPRD has got everything in it. It, it. Like it's horror, it's pulpy. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's just everything I like. So, yeah. Paul from Gutterhorn. 
when I was at primary school, or what you guys call grade school, uh, 2000 AD is something that I guess you are familiar with. Right, <laughs> yeah. That, that was a big bit of my childhood, was okay. 2000 AD. Uh, and that was a gateway drug into comics. And there was a, a comic shop in Dundee called Black Hole Comics, oh. uh, run by the most horrible human being. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, he hated he hated children. I suspect he hated all people, but I found like he just hated children. Oh, no. Uh, uh, me and one of my friends would go in and, and uh, fox all his comics and upset them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a gateway, and uh, through 2000 AD, it was into the Alien series, and then through that, I think, into Alan Moore and mm. Neil Gaiman and, and things. So just, just at the point where I started to get interested in girls, Hell, Hellboy came out, and yeah, I, I, I had the, the first few issues, but... I don't anymore. I'm kicking myself a little bit. But, uh... <laughs> Ryan Yule. Yeah, so probably like a lot of people, I first discovered Hellboy the character through the original uh, Del Toro movies. And then from there, I started reading the comics and decided that the comics were, I guess, better than the movies. Like, I, I enjoy them more than the movies. So, yeah, yeah. so that was kind of what yeah. it was. So it wasn't from the beginning of the comics. It was It was from those movies. Tom Barnett. I was one of those people that got that CBR pullout, that little uh, four-page preview that they, they put in comic book resources oh, yeah. way back in 93 or whatever. Yes. And, um, I oh, have wow. a copy of that I'm as like, well, yeah. Do you? Yeah. I didn't get it uh, at I'm the like, time, oh. though. I didn't get it at the time. I bought it off eBay, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, I'm one of those original ones that picked it up off the newsstand. I Dang. used to read that all the time. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, something worth reading in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if I offended anyone. Didn't <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But yeah, that was, so that's where I started. I was actually just and, thinking about that the other day. Oh, sorry, thinking about oh, the 90s. Oh, yeah, go ahead. People like, always trash the 90s and 90s. I'm like, yeah, it deserves to be trashed. But then I started thinking, hey, Hellboy started in the 90s. Yeah, <laughs> some good stuff came right. out of there. I want you to talk about some of your favorite artists. Do you have some, who are some of your favorite artists or, or just like some of your favorite stories from the Hellboy comics? A.T. Johnston? Well, I mean, Mignola is, of course, mega. Um, I, I do love Guy Davis. It took me some time to warm up to, to Guy Davis uh, initially, but definitely, uh, if, if an acquired taste, you definitely fall deep. You know, his, his characterization is just so incredible. So I really came to appreciate his work, even though at a glance, if I just looked at a page, you know, I might be like, eh, I don't know. But once you're in the story, it really, really carries you. Definitely James Heron is enormous oh, uh, yeah. for me. I'm just yeah. super blown away by his work, uh, especially like I also love the, the brief little bit of Conan stuff that he did for Dark Horse. And um, let me see. I mean, there are just so many. Like, well, I mentioned to you, John, uh, about Jason Pearson, who who I love his own uh, creator own stuff. The fact that he did a lot. I think it was a Weird Tales one. He did one of the did, Weird Tales, sure. yeah. But it was a really cool one. Yeah, that was the so, one with Liz and like the Exorcist. Pazuzu was in there and stuff like that. That was yeah. one that I oh, felt yeah. like could have been canon. And the artwork was really awesome right. on that. There was a really great pinup yeah, by so, him I mean, too. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of his. Um, recommend promoting him. He's got new body bag stuff coming out soon. So if you like his work, I'd say check that out. 
he seems like a real sweetheart too. But um, nice. I mean, Lawrence Campbell, uh, also Christopher Mitten. I've been into Christopher Mitten since uh, since Wasteland, which is an incredible series. Obviously, uh, the the Fiumaras, as well as uh, Moon and Gabriel Bosch. Yes, so, yes, those guys. I mean, I love uh, I love Casanova, and there's just lots of other stuff. Also, those guys. I don't know if you guys have encountered Day Tripper, which is a book that they made together, and it is just an incredible everybody book. keeps really recommending kind of... that to me i need to check it out yeah Dude, i think yeah, they won an award kind of for the... that too oh yeah at least one and i mean it's about normal life it's kind of one of those things it's like in a seinfeld-esque way it's kind of about nothing but it's kind of about everything those guys are huge for me for sure nice brendan carter artist wise anytime it's mignola art it's good stuff you know oh yeah i think you guys talked about it when you talked about the issue but when you turn the page and you're in manual art again yeah (laughs) that's it's such a great moment yeah um i love lawrence campbell as well um i've gotten a bunch of his prints just because his stuff is so so awesome um i think one of my favorite artists though is james heron right and i don't know there yeah yeah, I don't know how to explain why I like him, but there's just something about his art that just really speaks to me, and I love uh, any time I get to see his. Because he did um, The Abyss of Time, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely one of my favorite little story arcs. That's the um, Howard's Goldenar stuff. Howard's yeah. Goldenar, because yes. I think Howard's is my favorite character. Nice. He's nice. so badass. It's and, your boy Howard. It's your boy Howard. <laughs> it's your boy Howard. Abyss <laughs> <laughs> of time. When that when I got to that issue in my crazy fast read through, it, it was just kind of it was a breath of fresh air because suddenly you're in this completely different thing and and shit really steps it up a notch. Suddenly you're in the past and and body switching and. I don't know. It's, it's it's a really great story. No, that's yeah. that's so cool to hear because you know from what you've told us, it sounds like you were like powering through it, and then you get to abyss of time, and you just have to stop and go. Wait yeah. a minute, what is this? This is <laughs> this is something totally like it stands out. You know what I mean? Not that the other stuff isn't good, but abyss right. of time is just such an exceptional story. Um, I, I totally agree. I think I gravitate a lot to like the the mythological world building of all the. Uh, Hellboy universe, so it's Abyss of Time, it's the island, but anytime that you get that really good backstory of of all the the history and everything, I love that stuff. Brian Levy. James Heron, I I loved. I, I... A part of me, like, I love Lawrence Campbell so much, and I, I do think Lawrence Campbell is the heart of later BPRD very, very much. Oh, like, yeah. He's perfect. I love him. But there was a part of me that, like, when James Heron came on for, like, the few arcs that he was on, where I was just like, this is, like, the Guy Davis successor. And yeah. my mind has changed. But, yeah. like, but, like, ooh, those monster designs, they're just, like, unbelievable. Because I'm a creature guy. Like, I love... I love a creature, you know. I, yeah. I just can't get enough. You but, like that? Uh, uh, you like that ogre head with the teeth, right, and stuff like that. Oh, oh creature! Yeah. I mean, come on, yeah, it's, <laughs> that's good. So good. How <laughs> <laughs> you gonna brush those? There's too many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, I, I love James Heron's creatures. I love um, this uh, Richard Corbin. Also, I mean, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he left a big impression on me too. Like just because I've once I read his stuff, also I uh, you know I went back and you know got into his weird old you know horror comics and stuff, and they're they're bizarre. They're like kind of like 
way too horny, but like I'm I'm cool with it. It's like whatever. <laughs> like, uh, but but yeah, I love him. Uh, I love his stuff so much. Yeah. So those are my big three: nice. Campbell, Heron, and and Corbin. I love how you described Lawrence Campbell as the heart of the later BPRD stuff. I totally agree with that. I I think there's a lot to say in that because he really brings that humanity to it. You know, oh, with his yeah. style. And um, I don't know. I think that's a perfect description. I don't know why, but I just love the way that you phrase that. Craig McKnight. Um, well, for me, it was uh, BPRD-wise, it was definitely the uh, long death. For me, uh, Ben was always, still is one of my favorite of the agents. Yeah. And, and, and also the whole mystery behind the Wendigo and, and, and seeing that fight sequence between those two characters is still one of the most, like, visceral moments like that i've seen in comics and it, it's it's I, I love that i love the art i love the art with, with, with what heron did and, and just how he does so well at, at those action sequences where there's just there's no words and it just but the thing is you can feel it everything yeah. that's happening you can feel it and uh wow, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was definitely a rad moment um reading that series i mean i'm a, I'm a big fan of like iron prometheus with lobster johnson oh yeah really that's a great one um Jeez, and as far as as far as artists go, tough one. I, I really think you know, the the work that Lawrence has done recently is has been well worthy of uh, a standing ovation. Yeah, um, oh yeah, definitely. I know I'm forgetting some people that I should be tipping <laughs> my hat to, but uh, but yeah, I, I, I immediately those are, those are the those are the ones that stand out the most for me. Third wish is is. There's just something about there's like this this whimsical nature. To yeah, that. I totally um, love Third Wish. Yeah, it it's it's just definitely a standout for me. Clayton Schofield. When I jumped in, Guy Davis is pretty incredible to see. Yeah, and, and I had, and, yeah. and I was familiar with um I don't know if you've read um Sandman Mystery Theater, but that's a, a Vertigo title that he drew. Oh but no, I haven't I read that stuff. Fan, pretty big fan of that. Okay. Stuff. If you can ever find that stuff, it's pretty incredible. Matt, I think Matt Widener wrote it. Great guy, Davis Art. Um, when he left the book, I was a little bit devastated. I felt, oh no, I don't know who's going to draw this book now. But <laughs> we, we've been blessed. Like with um, a couple of my other favorites would be like James Heron and uh, right, of course yeah. Lawrence Campbell. Hell yeah! You know, I think those three are probably my tops. I, I don't think you could tell me to pick one of those three though. No, I, yeah, I just love those three a lot. Drew Campbell. Obviously, Mike Mignola is, is at the top of the list. Uh, but Guy Davis, Duncan Figretto, who I kind of was, at, when he first started doing the Hellboy stuff, I was kind of like, eh, it kind of looks like he's trying to copy Mignola. But, right. but I, I quickly kind of figured out that that's not what was happening. He was he was adapting his style to fit the world, and it, it I mean, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Guy Davis, I love his, his kind of rubbery characters i know man uh, <laughs> Guy davis is amazing and ben stenbeck uh his uh, i love the, the like cleanness of his art which is very different from like guy davis who's very kind of stretchy and and loose yeah but uh but ben yeah. stenbeck the, the, the just clean like sort of it, it's kind of pretty cartoony but it's it's not like goofy so i've always i've always loved his stuff you know lawrence campbell is amazing at, at the just epic endings that that we were talking about here everybody richard corbin i became a big richard corbin fan through 
his stuff that he did on Hellboy. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Conquer a Worm was a pretty big one for me. Yeah, uh, that was. I think that was the first one that I read like as it was coming out. Like, oh I'd, wow! Okay, I kind of discovered Hellboy right around. I think I think the first ones that I read were was almost Colossus, and it, it was it was, had been out for a little while at that point. But Conqueror Worm was the first one that I, I was already a fan, and then it was coming out, and I was I was ready for it. Nice. Uh, nice. And so, and then Hellboy leaves the BPRD, and that one was like, wow, I'm just getting into this, and he's leaving the group. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Or. If I had to pick one favorite artist uh, that wasn't Mignola. I'd probably say Stenbeck, and I don't know if, okay. if that's because he's worked on pretty much what are my two favorite series uh, from the Mignolaverse, which is, you know, Frankenstein Underground and uh, Koshi the Deathless. Yeah. Those two series were, he really did some fucking work on those. Yeah, I love uh, Ben Stenbeck. He's yeah. amazing. Yeah, but yeah, the, probably, probably definitely Ben Stenbeck, uh, but uh, Bond and Moon are definitely up there too, for sure. Awesome. Very cool. Mark Tweedell. I know a lot of people fondly look back at the Guy Davis era, and I can't yeah. help doing the same thing because yeah. he was an artist that I initially was really not fond of. Like, I just, like, visually his style didn't appeal to me. And uh -huh. then suddenly it clicked with me, and I fell so much in love with his work that for a little while there, I was reading my favorite comic, that you know, like my favorite current comic, by my favorite living artist and that was pretty cool yeah i'm forever blown away by lawrence campbell and his ability to like, like he's he's so counterintuitive in that like um we're so used to uh cinema where um cinema kind of defines itself in a lot of ways in um relation to theater because in theater you're very far away from the characters you watch everyone from a distance but cinema because it can get close to their faces it revels in that it's basically what it uses to set itself apart from um theater and gets close into their faces and, and gets like little nuances in there and i feel like comics uh often lean very heavily towards the theatrical so to, to the um cinematic language but i feel like in a lot of ways lawrence campbell leans more towards the theatrical he stands back he looks at full figures he wants to see how do you express a very subtle sadness from a distance where you can see a character full-bodied? And he still pulls it off. He, he's constantly finding ways to compose things that pulls emotion at a distance, which is mind-blowing to me. Um, so, I, I like because of that, uh, the scale of this story, I feel like he was kind of the perfect person to do the final arc. Yeah. I yeah. could see why they picked him, of course, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, you have a, a, a scene where it's, like, you've got a whole bunch of people, like, looking at a scene unfolding, and they each got different body language, and, you know, rather than having to have individual panels on their faces so you can understand what they're feeling in that moment, you get a sense of it just from the pose, just from the layout. Niklas! Oh, that's a tough, that's a tough one. Of yeah. course, Mike is the master, mm. but uh, if I could choose, I think it would be... It's a close tie between Duncan Fagredo, but I think I prefer Richard Corbin's version a bit more because um, 
I think he he gets the spirit a bit more. I mean, mm. his, his characters is a bit uh, smaller and more round and what what is not. But he gets the he gets the the mixture better. I mean, it's like uh, this mixture between trashy but also horror also <laughs> horrible and pulpy yeah. but also great. And he gets it better. And it does also help that. Uh, Hellboy in Mexico, I think, is now my favorite single issue. Oh wow! Wow! Okay. Cool. Yeah, because that one has all what's awesome about Hellboy. It's tragic. It's funny. It's absurd. It's pulpy. It's all all in it. That's a I great mean, yeah, answer. Yeah. I love that. Paul from Gardaharn. So I think Mark Tweedale. Book club uh, member. <laughs> 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 uh, once said that. And I, and, and I may, he may have been quoting someone else, but I don't know. He, he said that uh, Mike Mignola draws Hellboy the way that he draws, and Duncan Figueredo <laughs> draws Hellboy the way that Hellboy should be drawn. Ah. Which I think is pretty um, gracious. Uh, and that Lawrence Campbell is the ultimate BPRD uh, artist. But I think the for me, the Fumara. Dave's oh. is exquisite. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, but for pure sublime everything, it has to be Mike Manuela, uh, Hellboy in Hell. All, all those stories are just, yeah, sublime. Yeah, that's, yeah some gorgeous yeah. stuff in there for sure. It, it is hard to, it's hard to, because they're all so great in their own ways and all their different yeah. stuff. Like you were saying, like the Fumara, yeah. like the Abe Sapien, right, is what you had mentioned? Yeah, and yeah, then, it, they haven't had a bad artist on the whole art. Yeah, I mean, even even the more recent ones, um, Goloski Station and everything. I just you can see that they've they've got more artists that they want to bring in and and bring on. Yeah, I can't wait to get to that. Uh, Goloski Station is one of my favorites. Great, isn't it? Yeah. Ryan Yule. Oh man, that is a good one. Um, so definitely one of my favorites is the Visitor. I think. Okay. And. I really like Paul Griss' take on the Hellboy universe. I think it's a lot different than a lot of the other artists. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was one of my favorites. It's a good one. Like yeah, we got a Paul Grist here. Yeah. yeah thanks for helping me right helping here. me get this awesome page here. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yep. I actually have the cover to issue four also on my wall right here next to me. Oh, nice. nice. That's a great cover. Probably when I first started reading comics, I think the first Hellboy comic that I read was the Christmas Underground story. Oh, okay. That's a good one. Yeah, so that was nice. And uh, since it was just Christmas, that's one that I usually read every year. Oh, Aww. nice. That's nice. You know, I, I don't do that. I should go back and read all the the Christmas issues. Because there's, yeah, there's the quite specials. a few. Yeah. You, you don't do that. We, yeah, did, we the, did the Christmas fest. We did. Yeah, but I didn't go back and read all of them, like Christmas Underground and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> there's that one where the lobster is on the roof, remember? Oh, yeah. And the, the guys are... Uh, they think that he's like a ghost or something. Like, what the fuck are you yeah, talking about? You made us read all those Christmas fucking <laughs> Christmas songs. I distinctly remember you making us do that. <laughs> Probably Go. one of my other favorite series is is uh, Kashi the Deathless uh, with art by, by Ben Sembuk. Yeah. Yeah, really good. for sure. The year that that came out, that was my favorite comic of the whole year. And Yeah, that was yeah. great. I, mm -hmm. I, 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 I couldn't wait to cover that one on the show. I was really glad we were able to do that. Tom Barnett. I'll conquer worm. Oh, nice. Oh, man, that's, oh. That's, that's one of my favorites. It just has all of the elements, I feel like. And it also really kind of takes Hellboy from being a fun pulp 
comic mm. to something much bigger and and maybe a little bit more serious. Yeah, you know, it yeah. feels like it starts that transition. Very intense stuff. Yeah, I like that. I love. Uh, yeah. Cowboy Roger and the Lobster, man. I yeah. mean, what yeah. else do you need? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good. I was actually just watching a, uh, a YouTube video about Conqueror Worm. Um, I can't remember who put it out right now. But uh, <laughs> they, they were saying the same thing about how the Conqueror Worm was um, the transition from when Hellboy was like a pulp hero to the more, you know, the other stuff that came after it with like the island and the third wish and everything. Like nice. That. Yeah. 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 That is so true. Yeah. That's a very pivotal book. Yeah, like how do you guys like look at the, you know, if you think about those early stories, I mean, you guys have just got done reading, you know, over the course of two years. You know, and you think about those early stories, and then you think about this last APRD story. There's such a difference in tone. Oh, and, yeah. And, and scope, you know. Sometimes it's yeah. hard to reconcile those all together. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think that, you know, John Byrne was doing a lot of the writing and like Seed of Destruction and some of those early stories. And it wasn't, a, I think Mignola really got his footing when like The Island and The Third Wish came out and then it's like, okay, this is yeah. the direction yeah. we're going to go with yeah. this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tech Pat. You know, it's, it's really hard for me to like think of anybody in individual terms because it just seems like such a, a team effort to bring this world together. Yeah. I guess it's like saying, like, who's your favorite player on this particular team? But you're like, no, I'm for the whole team, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You were a big fan of the Hellboy in Mexico story, right? Yeah, that was, was a good uh, one. I was a big fan of that. It was, it, was, it was nice to see, you know, some things that I recognized. That, that's one thing I've always thought whenever uh, any kind of fictional work, you know, starts talking about, like, old gods or old religions or a new take on something, you know, it's, it's always like European things or Asian things. You don't really see a lot of like the Americas. Yeah. You know, Pre-Columbian times, you know, and so seeing even just a little bit of that in, in something that I, I admire and love so much, like Hellboy was, was great. It was very uh, satisfying. Wes Matice. Oh, I don't know. I love the wild hunt. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite storyline. Like, I really do love it all. My my favorite artist might be James Heron. I really love okay. James Heron, but okay. they're all great. That like is Duncan true. Pagrado, yeah. I love Duncan Pagrado. When I started reading Hellboy, I became obsessed with Mike Mignola. So it's hard for me to not just be like, Mike Mignola's got to be my right, favorite, right? Yeah. I love James Heron, but Dave Stewart maybe might might be my favorite artist. Oh, yeah, Colors count yeah, as artist, right? Yeah. Hell yeah. That's true. Hell yeah. Dave Stewart definitely I mean, I counts too. as an artist. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Yeah, you know what? That's awesome. That's true. I love that. That's I love good. that you picked Dave Stewart. Dave That's great. great, man. I really appreciate yeah. that. William Thumholt. My favorite Hellboy story. I think is box full of evil. Oh, yeah. I, that's one oh, of mine. I think that's one. mine. Yeah, that's my favorite Hellboy story. I think. I, I think that's it's up there for me. What about it particularly stands out to you? First of all, two issues, perfect length for a one single Hellboy story. True. Mm -hmm. uh, back in those short story days. True. And then I mean, Monkey's got a gun, and the little demon who's trapped <laughs> in like first a box and then gets trapped in amber, and Abe in a black trench coat. I mean, it's got it all. <laughs> it's got it all. Oh, it's got all the little oh, things and, uh, that we love about Hellboy. Oh, what's his name? The lizard guy. Oh, Bromhead. Yeah. Bromhead. Yes. I love the panel. 
turns into a half lizard. Yes, that's a great one. Uh, oh, right, yeah. It's got all the elements that you like about this universe. Yes. Yeah, it, it's so funny you mentioned that because I, I've always said, or, or I don't know if I've said it as much, but I think that would make a perfect movie. You have said that. Because it all takes place in one house. Yeah. It's just Abe and Hellboy, so it's like a buddy cop movie. You've got Astaroth yeah. in there to talk about his destiny. You've got Bromhead in there with the devil stuff and uh, and the tongs. I mean, it's like... It's it, a self-contained it, thing that could open up more stuff. Yes, yeah. exactly. It, yeah. it alludes to all the bigger mysteries, but it's just one little self-contained story that's got funny moments and it's got... Abe fighting a monkey and throwing him through a wall and all this yeah. kind of stuff. I mean, it's got some really cool action. I love that story. I'm so glad you said that. I do think that that Hellboy movies could benefit <laughs> from a little bit of, let's scale this back a little bit. Instead of trying to cram in 25 yeah. years of everything all at once, instead of trying yeah. to cram all that in, let's like let it breathe a little and just take one story. And yeah, you can add a couple elements, I suppose, but like just take one story and really let it like let it yeah. be the story that would be that would be really cool to see when oh, it's a movie when it's a movie could I could I like drop two fan cast actors sure please sure. please yes. yeah we like to do that so I only got two that I feel really sure about uh, and it's Liz okay and for her I would like Eliza Dushku I think it's pronounced oh, oh yeah oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I do like her I feel like she's uh, quite a good age for it as well if yeah. they would yeah, yeah, you're you, right. You, she is around uh, the Liz age, and she's got kind of like that attitude. She could do the Liz. Well, I like her. Know. I like Eliza Dushku's. I like her look. She's got a great look. She's yeah. she's good stuff. Also, like yeah. I think Kristen Ritter has some similar elements of that look and, oh, and or attitude. Like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could yeah. be. Yeah, I like that. That's good. And then the big one. Oh, Professor O'Donnell. Oh. So uh, let's see what you think. Uh, do you know the British comedian Bill Bailey? Bill Bailey. Bill Bailey. <laughs> that would be I, great. I don't know if I know who That's that is. That's a good one. What is he in? He's got like the haircut of Professor Donald yes. and the same like absurd ranting that actually makes sense when you think about it. Oh, <laughs> that would be great. Oh, right. Danielle's showing me a picture here. You're right. He I great. do know who this guy is. And he's very like, he could do it. I think he could do he it. He could do the old Donald. He I looks like he him. Could. That's a great one. He could do it. He could, he would do a good job of, of that. <laughs> I love how everybody so wants to. He was in Hot Fuzz. You remember that? Yes, yeah. yes. I, I love how everyone wants to cast O'Donnell. O'Donnell's That's a fun a... one to cast, and there's so many possibilities. There's so many people who could do such a good job. Tech Pat. I've I've always wondered, Aubrey, how do you decide what's going to be your 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 final uh, uh, quote? Um, honestly, it's like as we're talking about the book during the discussion, I'll like see something that stands out to me, and that's like that's what it's going to be. That's the thing. Uh, I tried thinking about it before, like when I was reading the story, but I found like it just it, I was like looking for things to say as opposed to reading the story. So I find it easier just to look for something while we're actually recording. And I will have to say though, I think that uh, the ones I get to from when Mike Mignola does the script. Uh, those are the best ones to do. Yeah. Nice, yeah. And I guess yeah. like one, when we're, one, I guess once we're exa exactly like you said, more organic. Like once we're actually discussing things, the things that end up being a big deal or whatever will probably stand out more. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's interesting. That was a good question. That is good. I love that. I've never asked Aubrey that question. That's a very good question. 
Well, I've always been obsessed with the uh, the titular lines in movies. Right. Yeah. You know, when they say it, I'm like, they said it. They, they said that. I did this, this too. I do the same thing. I'm like, John, they so, said the I name just, of the movie in the movie. They said it. Yeah. And so I, 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 that kind of just kind of like the Aubrey thing also kind of like scratches that itch where I'm like, he said the thing that was in the book. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Awesome. What's your favorite? Yeah. They said the the movie in the movie. The, the my favorite titular line. Yeah, yeah. I think it just might be the "Welcome to the Rock." Oh, wow, oh, nice. Yes, <laughs> that's a classic so one. Over the top and cheesy. When John Malkovich says "Welcome to Con Air" or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! I was oh, just like, could god. this movie be worse? It's great. <laughs> then there was a movie where they said it like several times. In the movie, God, what movie was that? I'll never think of it. Uh, but I love a movie, off? huh? Face That's face a good face one off too. Like a times they did. Off. That's that's oh, true. Wow. That's yeah. another one where they do that. That's like a nice little Nick Cage trilogy right there too. That's <laughs> <laughs> Matt Strackbine. Last but not least, we have. Matt on here and you know Matt I just want to really thank you for all that you've contributed to the show all the art that you've contributed to the podcast and just you were so awesome to be on our devil you know episode where we discuss this issue you know so Mm -hmm. a lot of what we've been talking to listeners about is what was your initial reaction you know what was it like when you got the issue and all this kind of stuff and you talked about that with us uh, at length on the actual episode but not only that, you did kind of like an awesome comic yes, that kind of is, yeah. wraps up the whole thing. So you can find this comic on Mignolaverse.com, and I'll post a link to it on our link tree and on our Facebook About section. It's called End of the Line, and it's by Matt. You've got a nice little intro here. It says, I've been reading Hellboy comics since I got kicked out of a bookstore for not buying Seed of Destruction back in the early 90s. Instead, I just stood there reading it. I was broke at the time, but like any addict, I did what I had to do to get my fix. I've been hooked on the Hellboy universe ever since I first laid eyes on a faulty Zinko jetpack. Since the very first boom. Since Roger came onto the scene. If you know me, you know that I have a hard time letting go. Needless to say, I'm not ready for anything to be quote-unquote over. And the following comic shows my initial reaction to what they're calling the last issue of BPRD Comics. My hope is that my fellow readers can relate in some way. So although I created this to help myself process recent events, this one is for all of us. So, you know, whenever I do these comics, I always think of, like, Matt, the character. But it's (laughs) it's me, you know? But, like, after, you know, I always try and, like, make Matt do certain things that would be, you know, classic Matt. That might not necessarily be me. Right. But this comic was exactly what I did (laughs) when I got done reading it, except for the dream sequence, you know, which is more like things I was thinking of. Yeah. When I was, because, so when you guys know, when you get done with Hellboy, particularly issue 15, you're like, now I got to go back and read everything. Yeah. You know, because it's going to be in a new light or there's new revelations or, you know, how it goes. But in this case, I had to read it because... It was like, wait a minute, what do you mean? No, it's really over. Like, it really set in. And you immediately have to, like, well, what are you going to do? So I was sort of, like, picking up the pieces by going back to rereading everything. And I jumped in on, you know, Hollow Earth right away. 
Right. I went straight back to the beginning. A, a good way to process this might be to make it a comic. It was just kind of like a loose idea, but then if you make comics, you can't really think, maybe I'll make a comic out of it and not do it. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So then I started to kind of fuss with it, and within like, you know, I probably did it in a week, week or so following reading it. So that's kind of like a weird way to like buffer myself from any like weird emotions I had about it being over. And that's why I consider this a method for processing yes. what I was feeling. And I, and I feel... It's a true story. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone who gets to the end of Devil You Know should read this just in terms of processing. I know, Aubrey, it was the first thing that you went to, right, when you finished reading yeah. it. Yeah, so after I finished reading like issue 15, I kind of sat there for a while, and I was just like, I knew you'd put this out, and so I had bookmarked it. I've been waiting to read it, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and just read that real quick. And I was just like... This is really good. This this helps is helping process this very well. <laughs> it's a therapeutic. Yeah. It's a therapeutic piece. Maybe we could talk about it more. I don't know. But when when I did the comic, I had the first and last page completely realized. And as I filled in the middle, I was I was thinking like, yeah, I bet other people have this thought, you know, or or are yeah. thinking about this particular panel from this particular back issue here at the end. With, with those Manola pages and the way the story plays out, and you're like, oh, it's definitely not over. They're alluding to some sort of a future event here or, or events. You know, I'm not the only one who's picking up Hollow Earth right now. Yeah. You know, or at least yeah. thinking about it. Right. So anyway, yeah. It, it, that's why I say it's for us, you know. And you alluded that it was a true story. So uh, I think one of our other listeners, one of our other listeners that we have on this episode mentioned they went outside and sat outside to to read it. So you went out with your dog on a chair and and kind of took it all in out there. That's where I would read comics in warm weather is the backyard. Ah. And so I was sitting out there with my dog, the monkey, who passed away August of that year. Ah. So this was like, I mean, this was my dog for like 15 years. So I was like, I got to get her in there. But Ah. she would, she was, you know, border collies are pretty loyal. Yes. Yeah. And she would just follow me around and sit wherever I was the so whole time. Baby. So this so it's kind of like, oh, classic cartoon dog follows him around. It's <laughs> always by his side. But that's like exactly how it is in real life. So. And so we open. I love how it says Wednesday, April 17th, 2019. And then there's a little asterisk like on a comic. And then it says new comic book day. So. This is kind of funny because it, I, I was sort of broken up about the series being over, but there's moments in here where I made myself laugh. Like, I crack myself up a little too easily. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, it's funny to me now, and I thought, like, the asterisks in this one were so clever. Yes, I really love that. <laughs> that made me laugh, too. And so we see Matt, he's reading the comic, and he's like, what? No. No way. No way. <laughs> and then there, I love these... <laughs> These panels where you're just gasping. What what is he looking at when he's gasping in these two panels? Oh, so this this would be like where uh, Hellboy and Ed Gray are with the Osiris Club at the end. He gets the hand back. Yeah, and then all the stuff with Hecate, and we're in spoiler territory for sure now. Of course, right? yes. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. So just the entire last uh, sequence is something that I read now and gasp at. Yeah, can't help it. I mean, it's impactful. 
So it was all that stuff. And your dog, the little ear goes up. I love that detail as you're gasping, like the dog recognizes <laughs> that Matt, <laughs> something's going on with Matt. And then uh, I love how you've re- recreated the the end that's uh, at the end of that issue. Yeah. And Matt stands there and he's like, what did I just read? What just happened? What have they done? What have they done? <laughs> he's like pacing around. <laughs> you know, uh, I was reading this last night and I was wondering if you took any inspiration from the Baba Yaga. That's what it made no, me think of. Okay, because when he shoots out her eye, she goes, what did you do? What did oh. you do? And that's oh, kind that's of, funny. I kind of saw a little parallel there. I was just trying to do like a classic comic book. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> but like where he throws, like, okay, so from that first panel where he's like, what did I just read? And then it zooms way out. Like, I really wanted you to feel that. Yeah. You know? The comics like, on the ground. Louder, <laughs> you're further away. Yeah, I just thought that was funny. And so the dog is puzzled watching Matt pace around. Let's go inside, Matt says. And we see Matt uh, sitting on the floor, and all the comics are all around him. You got all your <laughs> trades. Is this an accurate representation of your collection yep. here, Matt? <laughs> this is exactly where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> oh nice <laughs> i got rid of that couch a few months ago but i'm not kidding <laughs> it's in the middle of my room surrounded by boxes and stacks of comics nice it can't be over all this work a masterwork matt says well they always said we're going to break stuff that can't get fixed and we see matt's looking at hollow earth and you mentioned this when we had our discussion matt of um, the frog monster putting his hand on the crystal is somewhat similar to Abe seeing Liz in this fiery vision from way back in Hollow Earth. Yeah, so if, you know how I said when I made this comic, I had the beginning and the end figured out. I feel like they had the beginning and the end figured out and just filled in the middle as they went along. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, you know, I'm trying to build some juxtaposition here by putting that quote from the creators of Hellboy over top of that panel. Because they broke Abe and Liz a number of times and kept fixing them. Right. And so it's almost like a clue that we're breaking things that can't fix. And almost like they could have continued that by saying, but what we do fix, keep your eye on, because that's the important stuff. Right. Wow. Again, we see that the end panel. The end, but not over. Sounds final. So much is gone, but what does gone even mean? And we see Matt is looking at Abyss of Time. And I know you like that panel when we talked about the comic. You talked about that panel where he's yeah. holding the, the sword in front of his arm. What does the end mean? Right? Because, yeah. like, surely Galdinar met his end at some point. Sure, yeah, you're oh, absolutely yeah. right. But, mm-hmm. but, like, he lives on, but how's that work? I don't know. I, you know, I could have easily put, like, cosmic eyes in here somewhere. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. I love that. Yeah, but you're you're talking about what does the end mean, but you're also alluding to themes in the comic. I didn't catch that. That's great. Haven't we been here before? Wait, where is it? Where is it? And we see all the comics flying around. <laughs> I love that bottom panel. It was really great. Ah, there you are. And we see BPRD, the Black Flame trade paperback. My old friend... And we see Roger whacking and punching out some frog monsters. This is worth noting to anyone who takes this stuff too serious. I mean, take it as serious as you want. But taking the end of a series too serious or being like, they ruined it. Or, I don't want it to be over. And now I'm just going to whine. 
you can go back and watch it as much as you want. Yeah. You can go back and read it yeah. as much as you want. Now you know where your favorite part is in the completed work. You can go right back to your favorite part. <laughs> so, so this is me like just going right back to the part that I want to read. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like now that I know how it does or doesn't wrap up for a certain character, at least I have the best moments of that character. Yes. I also like how um, you draw your thumb over Roger's butt in that one panel. <laughs> yeah, that's intentional. Thank you. I was wondering if I should bring that up. That's intentional. I didn't want to draw his butt. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> As Matt dozes off on the couch, everything is fine. I have all these comics. I still have all the comics. Not gone right here safe and sound. At least the black flame didn't show up again. Kill that dumb... And then he falls yeah. asleep, right? And there's like the we see in the dream as we cut over to the dream, we see those birds, right? Those the uh, the kind of soul Eagle. birds, yeah. And I love this. Matt's on the shore where those frogmen are coming out that we see at the end of issue 15. And Matt watches them walk by, and he's like, "Abe's babies, weird." <laughs> that always made me laugh. Abe's babies, but you're right; they are his babies. <laughs> I assumed we were all going to be calling them Abe's babies, and Aubrey even did when we were reading about it. Yeah, and I don't know if that's because you had read this or not already, but but like I just assumed everyone's going to be calling them Abe's babies from now. On. I don't know why. <laughs> I like it. Well, and this is prior to Baby Yoda, so I was all over that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> much earlier. And when Matt says "weird," is it though? A voice says, and we see Professor Broom. Hasn't this always been a strange universe? Think about it. Isn't that what you've been after? Whoa, Professor, Matt says. What is the meaning of it all for you? Me? And I love this panel of your hand. Like, is Matt looking at his hand right there? Yeah, so this is the funniest part to me. (laughs) (laughs) He looks at his right hand. Oh, nice. And it's just a regular hand. Right. And then he's, he's like, like, I'm only a reader, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like he knows it's a dream. He's <laughs> like, me? And then he looks down at his hand, and he's like, no, it's just, I'm just a regular guy. Yeah. But like, also, they say you can't see your hand in your dream. Have you oh, ever heard that? Oh, okay. I've heard that, like, you can't look at screens or anything. Yeah, or like your reflection, maybe, <clears throat> but. I've never tried to look at my hand in a dream. Well, dreams are fun to me i never have them that's why i think they're fun because i hardly sleep i sleep like four hours a night so i don't really dream a whole lot or if i do i don't experience them so i always use them in these comics or i always show matt falling asleep reading comics because that that actually happens a lot so i just assume i would dream about whatever i was reading yeah and so when you're in the dream world you can have fun in the dream johan appears to matt after he says i'm just along for the ride then write it out, Johan says. Go where the story leads. And the, out of his ectoplasm, there are all these different arrows. What it, what is that? What what is that meant to represent? There's a lot of misdirection in these comics. Yeah. But they want you to go down a certain path, and at times multiple paths. You know, like one thing could happen, and you're like, you know, I can't even think of a good example right now. But you know how it is when you're reading Hellboy stuff one thing will happen like at the end of an issue or something and it makes you think of like 10 different things a lobster johnson sledgehammer yeah something with howards 
And it's like, those things never happen at the same time. But this one stupid panel just made me think of all of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so you're like, yeah. how much of this m- is meaningful and how much of it is just kind of cool yeah. that it links up, you know? But it has been so devastating, Matt says. And then Kate and Panya appear. That is very sweet, Kate says. But you may be taking things a bit too serious, Panya finishes. Don't say that, Matt says. I'm invested, dedicated, so obsessed. And we see the lobster. (laughs) Your quest for justice will follow you to the grave. I love that right there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it might empty your bank account, but you're not going to die over a comic. It's just, this is just like, you know, Ponya said you may be taking it too serious. Well, let's not get melodramatic. Yeah. And Matt sees the crystal, you know, the amber that we saw at the end of 15 that had Liz in it. And he goes, maybe I can figure this out. Maybe I can predict what comes next. And he puts his hand on the crystal just like we saw the frogman do at the end. And then all of a sudden Hecate pops out. I love how Matt screams out when that happens. (laughs) (laughs) Fool, do you not realize after all you've witnessed... Your heart, it is full of despair while your mind is filled with fantasy. And now it is all over and you have nothing left. Clang. So what? what is that clang? Is that Matt going in there? This is literally the scene from the comic. You're watching now. it, yeah. Well, but in Hecate's talking to me, so we've broken down the wall. And Hecate is like, you know, because that's kind of cool. It's like now you're in the comic and it's talking back to you, yeah. right? You don't want Hecate to be saying this. You don't want her to be doing this, even though you knew this was this was coming. It was somewhat predictable. But so she's kind of rubbing it in your face that, haha, it's real. Yeah. And, and I, I love felt how like the... a lot of us would feel that way. And I love how the snakes are talking, too. That was just like in the comic. Yeah. And on the bottom here, I love how you've recreated this panel with the uh, Iron Maiden oh, closing yeah. and all that. It's really cool the way that you've done that. Um, in the spirit you know, of the way we saw it in the issue. Uh, this comic was the first time I'd ever done anything with a brush. I was inked the whole thing with a brush. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, there's, like a, there's a style shift. I think it's noticeable if you put this side by side with other backups that I did. But it looked different to me. I was like, yeah, my style looks different. But it's truly liberating to work with a brush instead of a pen. Yeah. Because weird things happen where I was like, oh, I kind of like that, you know, but I wouldn't have been able to achieve a line that way or a mark that way. Okay, that's really cool. No, you can't take this away from me, Matt says. Give it back. And there's like this huge, like uh, your hair is blowing back. There's kind of like all this energy or something. This would have been like when Liz ended it all. Okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So now it's just like, that's how I felt. And I love this that it just cuts to all black, right? And there's a hand on Matt's shoulder. Relax. It was only a silly comic book, pal. And we see Roger. That's Matt's favorite, right? He comes yeah, to that, you. He comes part, to you at the end. Yeah, like when he yeah. puts his hand. Like, I, you'll never hear me say this again, but I love that panel. Yeah. When, <laughs> when it's all black, the look on Matt's face right there is perfect. No, I love the progression from that top panel. You know, there's all the intensity, there's the vivid colors and the motion of the debris and your hair being blown back, and then for it to cut into that one black panel is very effective. See, what happened was when the lobster showed up, he 
pushed Matt to the point where the reader is like, maybe I can figure it out. I can predict what happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he's getting way too into it now. Thanks, Lobster. Right? Like, you motivated him to, to go a step too far. And so it's Roger that grounds him. Yeah. And if you think about Roger being born of electricity, grounding somebody, ha Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, but we also know that Roger's your fave, so I, I like yeah. that too. I think that it it ties into all the Matt stories that we've read. Yeah, this is the Roger ending I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when Roger says it was only a silly comic book, Matt says no. It was more than that. It was, he hooks up the dog to take him for a walk. It was number 15. And then there's a little asterisk again. The end. Because number 15 was the end. Yes. See, yeah. clever. I, thought I do, clever. I like that. That was great. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, Matt, I just really love this final panel of you uh, walking off um, under the streetlight with your dog. and I don't know, it kind of gave me a similar feeling to the end of Calvin and Hobbes. Aww. Oh, yeah. Huh, yeah. And it's reality. You have to walk yeah. your dog. You're back in the real world. Yeah. yeah. My neighborhood. This is kind of my neighborhood. Not really. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> But I love this last little inset panel as Matt walks by the street lamp. A little moth flies in front of it, and it makes this shape. It kind of reminds me of the amber, right? Is that what we're supposed to be seeing there? Yes, and also readers are just a moth to the flame. Oh. And the flame being atomic. But you're right. So this is something I would expect to see in a Hellboy book. Yeah. You know, where it's like... Oh, what does that mean? Oh, it can mean a couple of things. Uh, it's just a nice image. You know, yeah. there's something heartwarming about lights coming on in your neighborhood at night or whatever, you know? Yeah. You're, the darkness isn't isn't all-encompassing or whatever. So, I don't know. I, I was sort of going there. But and the main thing is that it was, you know, we're back in the real world. we got stuff to do. Like, the last line of the dream is when he's awake. Right, yeah. Right, so yeah. it's like... Okay, I've processed it. I love that transition there. Yeah. Yeah, and and I also like that they both, it begins and it ends outside. And it's daytime in the beginning and then it's nighttime at the end. I just think that that's a nice way to wrap it up. I don't know how to explain it. I just think that this is a good, it, it is a therapeutic kind of device for everybody who has gone through all this. And I think that, um, I just uh, relate to it so much. I, I I crack up every time I look at these panels of Matt reading it outside and freaking out and throwing his hands up and shouting to the sky and stuff like that. It's like it's so <laughs> perfect. It's it, and it really ties up um, your relationship with the with the reader in your comics. You know, I, I think that that is one thing that we've talked about a lot whenever we talk about your work on these books. Is you're us. You're you're giving the perspective of what we're doing. And I think mm-hmm. that everybody who has gone through all this and read all the way to issue 15 of Devil You Know can totally relate to Matt and everything that he's going through in this comic. Yeah, I feel like I repeat myself a lot because I think of a lot of this stuff over and over again, and I'm never sure what I said on the podcast or not. But like, in terms of being someone who had comics published in a Hellboy book and also being like a reader, I'd much rather be on this side if that makes sense mm. like i, I wouldn't want to be uh, i don't i don't really know how to say it i of course it was an honor i would do it again i would do it full time yeah for a living 
but I'm so content being over here with like, you know, the John Salinas, the Ross Radkeys, the Ryan Yules. I think this is, well, I don't know. Ryan Yules kind of elevated, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? It's like the fan base for Hellboy stuff is provides a lot of entertainment that you wouldn't get without the comic, but it's in addition to the comic. Yes. Right. So yeah. when I make stuff like this and get to put it out there for other readers, that's what I mean. It's like, okay, it's funner. It, it's more fun to be out here with you guys than on the inside with Manola and the creator. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> because they're struggling to figure it out when we're just making fun with it. Yeah. If that yeah. makes any sense. Uh, like being a toy maker versus playing with toys. I guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. that. Did you draw this traditionally, then ink it? I mean, then color it, like in like Photoshop or Procreate or something, or did you do it all digital? So now I do everything digitally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, I did the roughs and some of the pencils, uh, or I guess most of the pencils digitally, and then printed those out. Yeah, so I'll say it's, it's a combination of both. I've been kind of like scrolling up and down through the pages as we're talking. You really did a, a, a nice little color journey in here, too. I love when Matt fades into the dream. The colors here um, on these pages, it almost like fades in. Yes. Like on that first panel where he's just standing there looking. Yeah. Blank, right? Yeah, that's supposed to be like, you know, he's not like blink, 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 blink. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you find yourself in a dream, you're just sort of already there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But then if you could hear waves crashing, you would turn around. Right, right. I feel like you've stepped up your game, too, with your color work on the on these pages. It's like when I work on anything for Hellboy, I kind of, you know, you assume that role. Yeah. Right? You, like, every Hellboy artist has always been like, all right, I'm not fucking this up. You know? <laughs> it was kind of cool that Kevin Alford. Book club member. Book club member. Yeah, it was nice that he asked me to write something to put before the comic it was nice of him to put it on the website right yeah but um you know he said write something and i had written an article or two already he's such an editor he's like oh you only want to do two paragraphs and i was like (laughs) yeah i mean i think that's enough he's like okay but you know he's trying to get me to do more and i was like no it's all there in the comic you know but like but like those two paragraphs i could blow up to a four-page introduction for a hellboy trade paperback no problem yeah because like saying i got kicked out of a bookstore isn't that big of a deal because it was tower records people are getting kicked out of tower records all the time (laughs) like that's kind of a thing like they just love to kick people out so that wasn't that big of a deal but i really did like go back a couple of times to finish reading that comic (laughs) and it's not because i was broke it's because i was spending my money on cigarettes and stuff like that (laughs) (laughs) and uh, you know because i was like a screw up but but it was, it, you know, there's a lot of moments in your life that stand out. And I think discovering Hellboy was a big one. Because it was, I had seen X-Men covers by Manola. I had seen, you know, I had read Cosmic Odyssey, the DC event. That oh, yeah. Read, the Jim yeah. Starling comic that, that he did. That's and, some uh, good stuff. That's Yeah, right? That's some of the best comics you can get. So I definitely read that. But when I saw Hellboy, I was like, what is going on here? He's got his own comic or what is this? You know, in that moment, you just start reading the comic, you know, and being like a lifelong comic book reader 
and and yeah. at this point I'm like practically out of high school, if not out of high school, then you know discovering something brand new is like kind of overwhelming. So it was nice that he asked me to put that at the beginning because I got to express how it started right before showing what I did right after it ended. Yeah. No, I do like that. I like those two paragraphs there, too. I thought you did a good job there. I wish everyone had two paragraphs of how they first discovered Hellboy. Oh, well, you're going to love this episode, then, because I asked a bunch of people about that. Yeah. Oh, great. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, so you get to hear a bunch of other listeners talk about that. Awesome, Matt. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I know uh, we have you here at the end, so thank you for being flexible with your time. I know we ran a little behind. No, I think what you're doing with this episode is just classic Hellboy Book Club podcast thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I always say, man, this is an extension of the letter column that they don't do anymore. So, like, you know, we're all still here. We're all yeah. still hanging out. We're all still talking about the comics. And this podcast is responsible for that. So to be able to sit in every now and then is a true honor. Like, it's so fun. Ah, well, thank you so much, and thank you for joining us for Devil You Know, too. That was an excellent episode, and, like, you know, obviously there's more comics, but, you know, I'll be honest, like, I don't know if I've read any of the the stuff that we're going to cover next, so all the stuff is going to be new to me, because I'm behind on everything, you know, so for... For me, it's going to be a little bit different going forward because I haven't read everything already. You know, the the, the stuff that we have left to read, most of it I, I haven't read at all. So I feel like this is kind of an interesting little, I don't know, bookend or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, well, in you're terms at a of, new threshold for sure. Exactly. And, and, I, and I feel like all the listeners have been so awesome and participating and i feel like this is the next extension of the show you know this is the next logical step you know we have the listeners feedback on the show and now we actually have the listeners on the show too and i think that that's just the logical extension of where this podcast is going and i hope that we can do some more stuff like this you know in the future i always miss talking with you i always miss being on here yeah it's always feels so like like ah back to the old gang whenever we get to talk to you so (laughs) And you know, if not for this goddamn pandemic, a whole year has gone by. We would have found a way to hang out in person. Yeah, yeah. Or now. Oh, like, we definitely we would have met up at a con for sure. Yeah, would, I would have. I would have crashed your house. Yeah, we would have gone over there, man. <laughs> Sounds awesome up there. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully this next year will be a little better for all of us and. Um, you know, yeah. if, if anything, I've been saving up all my money, you know what I mean? Cause I, I do want to make it a point to hopefully if Mignola does do cons again, I want to make it a point to go to one that he's at. And maybe if we could all do that or we can organize that sometime in the future, that would be amazing. You know, I think I'll be able to afford that, but I have not been saving my money at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was telling you, I've been buying way too many comics. Like, it's sinful how many comics I've bought <laughs> this year. It's insane. Well, it's all fun, though. Yeah, well, you yeah. haven't been going out either. You know what I mean? you got to weigh it, right? You, right. You're, you're not right. going out and spending money, so anyway. Yeah, no, that's what I keep saying. It's fine. People talk a lot about the uh, sort of the buzzword is uh, parasocial relationship from like mm. listening to podcasts, right? And, and like you know, you you start thinking like, oh, I'm listening to 
I don't know, fucking Joe Rogan or some shit. Joe Rogan's my best friend. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, yeah, I mean, Jesus, but, but, um, but yeah, but it's like what you guys have cultivated is an actual social relationship with with us, the listeners. It is not. Get rid of the para. Get rid of the para. It's, all, of it. it's just nor. It's just social. It's, nice. yeah. it's good. We're Hashtag bringing back friendship. pen pals. <laughs> yeah, it's just. It it's is the pen pals. Thing. You're right. We're bringing it back. I mean, it literally is. It like yeah. it literally is pen pals, it's and a book it's club. like it rules. It's so Aww, cool, and like yeah. yeah, I'm just I'm just very happy that this that it exists. I mean, I say it in like every one of my letters. I'm, I always. <laughs> ramble on about it but like <laughs> it but it rules i like i just it's the best it's so cool i've just i've never had like a podcast like this where the community's so tight and uh you know the I, it's you know i mean we we, we talk you yeah, know it's, we do. we're actually yeah. talking right now we, we correspond <laughs> and we are on the phone yeah <laughs> yeah Awesome. So, yes. Well, thank you so much That's for saying touching, that. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And I really we feel appreciate the same that. way. We thank feel the same you. way where, you know, we're just three fucking idiots trying to have a yeah. you know conversation about yeah. comic books and hanging out with our friends and so but it's the yeah, it's the it listener rules. portion that brings exactly. that really brings it, it to life rule. so yeah it does rule yeah. so it's what really rules yeah. is the friends we made along the way <laughs> it's yeah it's the hellboy book club you made along the way yeah. right. <laughs> hey brian and where can people find you online oh you can find me at uh lobster creature on twitter if you want to hear my uh, myself rambling about politics and losing my mind, <laughs> and if you want uh, good content and fun art and uh, weird comedy videos, uh, you can follow me at It's Me Brian Levy uh, on Instagram. Nice, nice, awesome. Hey, you damn guys! This is the Muffin Man. If you get a chance, check out my business, Muffin But Good Vibes, on Instagram and Facebook. Oh, yeah. Man. Well, thank you so much for having me on. You know, it's it's really. You guys are like one of two podcasts that I listen to religiously. So it's been really cool. Not only getting to interact with you guys, you know, so far, but, you know, this on top of it has just been like, holy shit. Love you guys so much. Really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for letting me have my little. We appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. I can't thank you guys enough for asking me. This is this is fun. Awesome. I'm glad you're having fun. You guys have uh, uh, been uh, with me. From driving from like San Francisco all the way up into Northern Oregon Aww. several times. Wow. wow, that's great. Wow. Oh, well, I think thank I you so much. in the car with me, just so you know. Yeah. Aww. Awesome. <laughs> I wish we could. That sounds like a good drive. Yes, that would be amazing. It We're sounds, all about the road yeah. trip too, so maybe we can do oh, that yeah. sometime. <laughs> Thanks to all of our listeners who participated. We'll be back on our regular book club schedule soon. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right. Thank you, everybody, book club members, for joining us for this wonderful debriefing episode. I had a lot of fun, and I know you guys did, too. If you weren't on the episode and you want us to share us your thoughts, you can send us a hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section, our Podbean website, and our link trees on Instagram and Twitter. And I want to give a special thank you to every member who joined us on this episode. Thank you so much. As always, thank you to Mark for helping with the reading order, John for being an editing freaking wizard, and Danielle for being her delightful self. You can find the podcasts on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. When we return, we are reading Hellboy and the BPRD, Saturn Returns. So 
you know what to do. Pull out them back issues, trades, digital omnibuses. Get the Hoopla app and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm A.T. Johnston. And I'm Brendan Carter. And I'm Brian Levy. And I'm Chris Egan. And I'm Craig McKnight. And I'm Clayton Schofield. And I'm Drew Campbell. And I'm Hayden Orr. And I'm Matt Strachbein. And I'm Mark Tweedell. And I'm Nicholas. And I'm Nathaniel Green. And I'm Paul from Dr. Harm. And I'm Ross Radke. And I'm Ryan Yule. And I'm Tom Barnett. And I'm Checkpot. And I'm Wes Matisse. And I'm William Thunholm. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, Funny, the first time I met these guys, they sent me to kill a dragon. Ah. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs>